about family, and that's what's so powerful about it. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show. You're listening to episode 40, Aren't You a Little Sean for a Stormtrooper? Joining me are my podgy little porgs. First up, a loose completist and R5-D4 focus collector. It's Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Rich, uh, I got myself a Boba Fett jetpack this week. It's been really uplifting. (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, Next... Our potato head body double and Luke X-Wing focus collector. It's Jezebel. Good evening, Jez. Good evening, Stu. Good evening, Lance. Good evening, everyone. Oh, Jez, do you know how Ewoks catch fish? With their bare hands. Yes. Oh. No, with a fishing rod. Also, here is a Palatoy fanatic and a Kadoo focus collector. Our new regular member of the team. It's Simon McCoe. And evening, Si. Hello, sweetie. Hello, chaps. Si, I had a fight with Jabba the Hutt this week. Yeah, we both really slug it out. Are we done yet? Yeah, oh, I love it when no. Stu immediately laughs afterwards to just to show everyone that it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, a familiar voice who we're delighted to be returning, the Lady of the Wars lover with a grimy crack. It is Peter Davis. Good evening, Peter Weedy. Help, help, they've kidnapped me, let me go. <laughs> lovely, lovely to hear your voice, Pete. How are we? Uh, I'm all right, I'm alive. Oh, did you enjoy a celebration? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad, Pete. And um, do you know how Ewoks keep cool? Um, I think you got to tell me. Uh, they use bare conditioning. Very cool. Oh, dearie me! And for more jokes like that throughout the evening, enjoy the next five hours, listeners, because uh, <laughs> they're going to keep coming. Now, this month's show. We have a section dedicated to falling out of love with the hobby, which I'm really looking forward to discussing. But whilst on Facebook over the weekend, a gent came on and asked, is it too late to start collecting now, literally from nothing? Uh, which I found quite interesting. I had a couple of hundred res- responses uh, he was talking about with prices and availability of items. So, guys, I'm just going to have a quick frisk of your uh, opinions on it. Of course it's not too late. You know, if he's starting from scratch, then... Most people start from scratch with, with loose figures and, and, you know, beaters, this, that and the other. It's absolutely not too late whatsoever. What about if you wanted to get into something a bit more um, highbrow, like a, a prototype or a proof card run? I would struggle to think of anyone who would want to do that straight away. Normally, you know, a lot of people come back because of the nostalgia of it. After seeing movies, we generally see a bit of a, a spurt again in the new year, don't we? When When people have had their sort of passion reignited. I can't think of many people who just come straight into it afresh thinking, right, I'm going to get into prototypes. I mean, yeah, there are some people who are just doing it for the resale value and from a business point of view, but I think that would be unlikely. I mean, I didn't see the post, but I would imagine that the guy just wants to get back and have that nostalgia hit. I think I disagree with Jez there. I think if you're going into the loose figure market, it's, it's silly. So you're paying 150 quid for a loose uh, Lear Organa, and that's before you get to the last 17. It's 
Ooh, lots of cash. You've got got a few grand lying around, then then fine. But uh, if you're coming in on a budget, a low budget, then it's going to be horrendous. You know, you're talking two fifty for um, uh, R two pop up Saba. You got you know two fifty to three hundred for a yak face if you if you get the wrong day. Um, and that's before a man a man has gone well over a hundred plus. It's got you know you're talking three four thousand now a loose collection in a good good condition. Pete, you said if you get the wrong day, what about if you get the right day? Surely it's the it's the thrill of the hunt, isn't it? It's someone though looking for a loose figure will just get that buzz if they get I don't know I remember you know CCP or or Yoda or, or what have you is a loose figure and they think yeah I've got that. And they've, they've spent the same amount of money as maybe someone who collects carded figures or, you know, who's just put some money down on, on an expensive proof or what have you. But it's all relative. They're still getting that buzz and they're still happy with it. So I don't think it's too late at all. I think that it's not too late because, yes, your loose figures are at perhaps an all time high. But I have a funny sense there's a disturbance in the force. I think we're going to see a correction of loose figure prices early next year we've got the build-up now to the last jedi but i think when that's out of the way in the months afterwards you've got post the film you've got post christmas you've got all these collectors completing their loose runs and moving on to other things i think we're going to see a slight correction in loose figures so no he's not too late you're going to have the han solo movie in five months <sighs> yeah but come on han solo movie really i i can't get excited about that personally i know Lots and lots of people are, but I, yeah, I'll, I'll wait to be a convert for that one, I think. Well, no, I, I think the porgs will kill the market anyway. <laughs> they, they look horrendous. I just hope I'm wrong, but they look horrendous. If it does kill the market, would you go bonkers and finish your loose collection if, if everything comes, suddenly comes down? Unlikely. I no longer have a loose collection. Well, you know, redo it. <laughs> Start again. Yeah, yeah, I would probably restart and do it again. I've I've kept the um the expensive ones I had out, so I've never got to rebuy them. Some of the answers were quite interesting. There was quite a few people telling him not to buy, which was quite interesting. But right, let's go on to acquisitions for this month then. And what have we all been buying? I'm going to start with Rich because he was very quiet during that moment, and I hope he's all right. Uh, Stu, we were going to record last week, and up until that point, I hadn't actually had a thing. But then when we cancelled the recording due to scheduling conflicts, I had a parcel arrive and it was one of me off five baggies that came from Australia and it was one of the last three or so I need to complete my full set. So I've got a, a Star Wars B baggie for R5, which is UKG graded, and I'm really pleased with that and it's sitting now proudly with all the rest of its brothers. Very nice, Rich. That is literally, I think, the lightest month of acquisitions I've ever had from you. Yeah, uh, it was getting to a point where I was going to have to say, no, I haven't got anything. But yeah, it arrived from Australia and it came super quick as well. I thought it was going to take a good three or four weeks, but uh, it took about eight days, nine days. Lovely, lovely. I've been sending out lots of parcels in the last week by Hermes and uh, they take eight, nine days to get around the UK. So incredible, Simone. What have you been purchasing? Been a quiet month for me, Stu. I've been uh, I've been all sensible. What have I had? A couple of couple of mint on cards. A Vader sixty five back Palatoy. Bit of a beater, but I I miss my Vader, so I had to have him. Anakin on Tri Logo. A two one B. Oh yeah, probably the favourite thing was the cheapest, which was Buster Eagle in two thousand AD in uh, eighty three. I think it was September eighty three. They gave one month. They gave away the RTJ Panini sticker album with a packet of stickers in a bag with the comic, and then the next month they gave away a sheet of eight uncut Panini Jedi stickers, and I found a sheet on eBay that came from Germany 
four places. And it was, do you remember in the, the, the Jedi album, they had the space scene where you had all the vehicles and you had to make up the halves of the vehicles. Well, this is a sheet of four complete vehicles, which is pretty cool. So you've got the eight stickers, but it, they're, they're all paired up and in one long strip. So, yeah, that's, that's my favourite. And finally, last but not least, a copy of Looking 1983, which is like Return of the Jedi issue. And I actually found out some new information, which was very exciting for me. I say new information. I think Anthony Daniels could have made this up. He and Peter Mayhew were interviewed in it. And the interviewer asks him, what does C-3PO stand for? I had no idea. I'd heard about R2-D2, but not C-3PO. Anybody? Well, if you take off any shiny wrapper, there's chocolate underneath. So it's clearly chocolate, something, something, something. Uh, according to Anthony Daniels, it's Class 3 Protocol Operative, which I hadn't heard before. I was close. Uh, of course it was, yeah. They say it in Empire, don't they? Do they? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're a kid. <laughs> yeah, so I was quite happy with that. And uh, oh, also, it says uh, one of the other questions to him was, if there are more films, who will be in them? And he said, I would be the only one as far as I know. He wasn't really wrong, was he? But you know what I mean? That, that I thought it was quite good for a 1983 interview. So, yeah. So that, that's it. So, Jez, Sires had uh, a very light month, okay, just with the old Palatoy mock and some rare stickers and stuff. So, have you had a, a light month? I've uh, put down a down payment, a first part of a payment plan for my second only payment plan purchase in the Star Wars collecting life of mine. But I can't talk about that yet till I've got it in hand, so I'll move swiftly <laughs> on. Um, I was... I was really, really uh, pleased when Mark A. Baker contacted me out of blue and just said, Hey, Jess, have you got a PBP Luke X-Wing? Because I know you collect Lukes and uh, and I've got a spare. And uh, I recently got two at a very similar time and I'd be happy to send one on to you exactly the same price. I bought that off him. It arrived very nicely in the post. And I have to say, whilst uh, with a lot of these, they've got very loose limbs, this one looks fantastic. If I could describe it, I, I had a bit of a rearrange of my Luke X-Wing loose figures the other day, and you can instantly tell this one. So, you know, people talk about variations and stuff. It looks like it's either got a wet flight suit or the flight suit is slightly tighter than all of the others because every single crease in his arm, every single sort of indent in the elbows and knees, etc., it just a, stands out that little bit more. It's uh, it's really clear to see that this is a completely different variation, and I'm delighted with it. Something else for the Luke X-Wing focus, and then something else which came through. I was really, really pleased when I got a message from James Woolley, who listens to the podcast, and said, oh, I heard your discussion on the shuttle and your discussion on whether or not you would buy reproduction parts to fix the inner workings because my wing locking mechanism's not working. He said, oh, I've got some spare bits. And he's he sent me a couple of um, spare bits to uh, take my shuttle apart and try and get the wings fixed. So, uh, yeah, I was really, really pleased for that. So thanks very much, James, and thanks very much, Mark. So, um, yeah, I've had, a, I've had a good month, really. It is a good month, Jez. And can I just say, Jez, we were talking about starting, a, well, I think we've already got a YouTube channel, but we're going to obviously start trying to use it a bit more. When you take the wings off, knowing that it's quite difficult to put back together, could you film it for me just so I could have a laugh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it's pinging off everywhere and just expletives <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be a treat to watch. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just stop there. We've only got three videos on, and one of them is a video of putting the wings back on an Imperial shuttle that I uploaded about two years ago. 
Yeah, but this one's going to be Jez doing it, and he's a Navy engineer, so he should know how to do these things. True. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, I might take the video down so you can't copy and then see what happens. Pete, you've been away for a little bit, so you should have a few acquisitions there, especially for your grimy crack. Yeah, I, I can't remember what on earth I bought at Celebration. It seems years ago. But I can remember there was something I was really after, and I found it. Apart from all my, like, you know, modern stuff, I managed to put something in all of my focuses from Celebration. And my list of wants, I got, which is awesome. But the best thing I really wanted was years and years ago, when I were a lad, me and my brother had a scrapbook, and we put on the front of the scrapbook an Empire Strikes Back sticker. It's the one of Vader and the Flames, the helmet and the flames. And I found this scrapbook several years later, and I took the sticker off and put it on, I can't remember what I put it on, something, probably a lunchbox. And someone nicked it at my workplace, and I was gutted. I've been searching for a, a version of it, never thinking anyone would ever have it. It must have been from the fan club or something. And I found one, someone actually had one in the room sales at, uh, at, um, in, in uh, Orlando. So that was something I really, really wanted. I didn't pay much for it, in like a fiver, but uh, it's a bit creased. But yeah, it was something that uh, I always wanted to replace. But um, farthest from recently, I managed to get a couple of mocks. <laughs> and I'll say Mox in the loosest form. Um, we've got a power droid, which had the offer sticker that had been ripped off the front and stuck on the back. Managed to get that for not too much. And I'm, I'm got... really glad you bought a power droid because I think you've been like <laughs> kind of like talking about it for about two years now. Yeah. So I've been trying yeah. to get yours off you and then you'd get a better one. But you've been very selfish there. <laughs> and then uh, I got managed to get, and he was very loosely li- termed as Mock because it was a Han Hoth on a Return of Jedi card. Got it from Big Rob, our friend Rob, and it was just about inside the bubble. So I've had to wrap a piece of plastic very carefully around because he's the pressure on the bottom of the bubble, he'll fall out. But uh, he's just about in, so I've had to support him. Otherwise, it will no longer be a mock. It will be an ex-mock. I got a few bits and pieces from Father's From, from comics, some Empire Strikes Back, Gimcrack, nothing massive, all very, very cheap, as I like to be. So anyone got some crappy mocks, let me have them. Pete, have you thought about putting a little bit of glue in the no. corner of the bubble? <laughs> because if it, if, 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 if VCs are acceptable in the hobby. Well, it would be a resale. It'd be more of a remolding of plastic. Because all the it's all very well attached. It's just the it's so cracked that uh, it is literally any bit of any vibration is going to pop out. It's funny you should bring up um, Hanhoff because I was just going. Oh, do you know? Do you know um, why Hanhoff rides a tonton? I don't know, Stu. How does why does Hanhoff ride a tonton? Because it's really heavy to carry them. <laughs> I think that's the best one so far. Oh, damn yeah, so me! It's like Christmas all over again. I think someone thought about laughing then. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put in fake laughter from all of you from my previous shows. Every time I say something, it looks like you're uh, really luck. enjoying that's it. A, good luck saying that's something for me then. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That's a challenge if you had Rich. <laughs> laughing at everything he must he must do a big laugh somewhere he was he must have laughed on a panto once and just they just put it on every single joke really really just repeat it over and over i reckon he just suddenly laughs at something really really random he never laughs and then all of a sudden like maybe a brick's out in a house or something and it's just craziness, craziness. do you reckon rich will ever listen to the time when he had that absolute meltdown which we put to the <laughs> tape it was, uh, yeah, that really, really bad. I, what was that, episode 27, 29? When Rich absolutely lost it. Do you reckon he'll ever listen back to that and, and laugh? 
I think if he sees a, a sea-looking horse, he'll laugh. Do you know what? I can listen, still listen to that, and I still find it absolutely hilarious, Rich. <laughs> it wasn't funny just... then, not funny now, never, <laughs> never going to be funny in the future. Even just thinking about it now, it's like, it's just like the best. Episode 29, if people want to go back, listen to the last two, three minutes. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. What about you, Stu? It's been very, very quiet for me at the moment, actually, because I'm trying to sort out things, trying to get my garage straight. I keep finding little gems in my garage, which I'm bringing indoors, which has been fun. The only two things I can kind of say have been added. Now, first of all, Jez, your your lovely wife, shaved her head for charity, didn't she? Oh, yeah, 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 she did. Yeah, fair play to her. And Cole Dennis ran a little raffle to give away a Rebel Commander Mint on Card. Rebel Commando, not Commander. Mint on Card. He took some money in and paid some of it into into your charity pot. And I won that, so that turned up. So big thank you to Cole. Um, Yeah, thanks, Cole. That's really good of you. (laughs) Top man. Didn't have a Rebel Commando. And the other thing I've bought now, I'm quite into these now. I bought my first Dom Post mask from 1980. I got the Yoda, and it is scary as hell. I've uh, bought a polystyrene head to go inside it, which I need to paint, though, because it's got this white coming through his ears. But the hair and that on it, I'm looking at it now, actually. I might take a photograph of myself wearing it and put it on our Instagram, because um, it's good fun. So, yeah, I'm quite into the mask. I quite fancy the uh, prawn head things from the cantina. The name escapes me. First one to give me the name of the prawn band. What are they called? What are the creature's called? Biff. <laughs> Mode or notes. That's the band. What what the actual creature's called? Bish. Oh, the question was, give us the name of the band. They're called Bloody Bith. Bith. Figrin, Dan, and the Modal Nose. Uh, Are you saying Bith Griffin what, Rich? They're called (laughs) Bith. What? B-I-T-H. Bith? Was it Back to the Future Part 4? Wasn't he in Viz? His name wasn't Biz. What are you going? <laughs> Back to the Future, Rich, was a film. It was a trilogy made in the 80s. Oh, Rich, are you playing that game where you give an answer and where you've got to guess the question? <laughs> Is it, who does Jason Smith cosplay as? Biff. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, well, they're talking about quizzes. Let's go on to my quiz this month because we're going to play this month. As you well know, I have ended up speaking with about 120 collectors in the community and I've already put a big thank you out on our on our Facebook page. But thank you to everyone who took their time getting back to me because I think everyone bar about two people actually responded. So brilliant, brilliant response. So this month, lads, I have surveyed nine questions. We are playing this month Family Bib Fortunes, okay? Oh, inspired. Yeah, inspired. Okay. Now, obviously, surveys, there's normally uh, numerous answers. Now, I did have quite a few answers for each question, but I've only chosen the top six or seven to go actually in the answer. So if you do say an answer that was chosen, it would still be wrong if it's not in those more chosen, okay? So let's go over to Family Bib Fortunes. Stu, I just want to say that I know that there was a lot of sucking up in the last one, but I think we all <laughs> really appreciate the work which you've done on this. It's, it's, it's a great deal of work. Yeah, you've really raised the bar, so uh, well done. What I am going to say, Jez, is... <laughs> <laughs> I, I am not I'm not someone who I owe one of you a favour or I've upset one of you I'm not just going to keep giving them the answers I will pay you straight down the line I, I love all four of you equally 25% of my love each there will be no biased in tonight's game I promise and I believe you that's the way I am I just feel sorry for whoever's part of your family on tonight's family bib fortunes okay <laughs> are we going to family it up we are going to family it up oh, yes. oh. okay
Good evening and welcome to the show where two families will battle it out for the chance to win £5,000. And if they match the top answers in big money, a choice of two star prizes. Either this top of the range family estate... State. It comes complete with a high-performance engine, airbag, ABS, remote central locking, and a lot more besides. And with this particular car, it all comes as standard. Or a fa- I love these prizes. Or a fantastic holiday for up to 12 people. Les, this week's South Africa Airways holiday is at the famous Sun City Resort in South Africa. A city surrounded by acres of untamed Africa. A city that never sleeps day or night. A chance to blend fantasy and absolute luxury for our family fortune hunters tonight. Uh, There's no point Jez getting that one because he knows three. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah, but he's a jet fighter pilot so he can take his ego with him. Right, so they are great prizes. Okay, so let's go and try and beat the survey, and let's meet our families. So, first of all, we meet the Lars family. We've got Uncle Jez Owen Lars. Evening, Owen. Hello. Where have you bought your family from this evening? Oh, well, I've bought them from my homestead. Okay, and on the same team as Owen, we have his beautiful wife, Aunt Pete Baru. Hello, Baru. Oh, I love What's going on? Yeah, a, a beautiful family, and um, I reckon you're going to scorch this quiz tonight. So best of luck. So, the Lars family, you'll be competing for all the wonderful prizes against this Wookiee family. First up is Lumpy Richard. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Uh, Lumpy, where have you bought your family from? Well, I haven't actually bought a family. I've actually bought a tree from Endor, so we're going to call the tree Simon. Okay, brilliant. Well, you have bought... you. That's what you call him at home. I know that your grandson, Itchy Simon, is also here tonight. Well done. Evening, Itchy. Oh? I think uh, this should be a good, a fair quiz. I think I've done the teams very, very fairly. So best of luck to both teams. It's time to play Family Bib Fortunes. So if we can have uh, Lumpy Richard and Jez to come forward first. So fingers on buzzers. Name a vintage item that has a handle. Uncle Jez Lars. <laughs> uh, Jez? The rifle carry case the rifle carry case let's see if that's up there that is the top answer i put all the carry cases together so 31 so take back your places you're going to play would you would you, you think uh on baru peter well we person? might as well like it sounds fun yeah okay. yeah yeah we'll play please okay itchy lumpy keep yourselves together because you could steal it at the end okay so baru can you give me an answer what are them mug things hey, <laughs> Mug is not on there, I'm afraid. That is one strike. And Lars? Oh, dear. How about Ugnaught's tool carry case thing? Ugnaught's accessory? That is the fourth answer with eight. Well done. Baru, there's five left. Oh, let me have a think. What's Grandles? Forks are Grandles. <laughs> <laughs> you can do this. What are you going with? Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Two strikes. Uh, Lars. Yeah, a lunchbox. I'm afraid someone did say lunchbox, but it isn't on the board. So we're going to hand over. So you both get to give an answer, and then you can decide between the two of you which one you want to use. So, Lumpy, what are you thinking? Well, I must admit, like, I'm shocked that the Sigma mugs weren't on there, because as soon as Pete said that, I thought, yep, yeah, that's what I would go with. The the guns, the blasters, like the hands all over. Okay, you're going with blasters, and yeah, Itchy, what's your idea? Leaning towards one of the vehicles, Slave 1's got a handle. Yeah, your, your blasters, let's go with your blasters, man. Right, okay, then we'll go with the, we'll go with the handheld blasters. 
Okay, are handheld blasters on the board for Lumpy to pinch? They are. They have four votes. So you have just put into your account £43, boys. The other answers on that board also with four votes was a lightsaber. With Mm. five was the Tonton teapot. Uh, With 12 was the Rebel Transport. And with 19 was Slave 1. Uh, I will say three three people did say mugs. And curiously, two people actually specified Chewbacca mug. Both Barry Smith and Nathan Huxtable. So don't know what you boys are thinking. I wonder if you'd be friends. Okay. So they're £43. Let's get the next two into the middle. Let's have Baru and Itchy. (laughs) Hello, darling. Okay, yeah, second question. Name a quote from The Empire Strikes Back. Itchy. Itchy? Who's scruffy looking? Right, let's see if it's up there. Yes, four people said it. You do have a chance to pinch here, though, Baru, with a different quote. I like to pinch that, yes. What are you going with? <laughs> well, you, you can't just pinch it. You've got to give something. <laughs> scruffy looking nerf herder. Is that up on the board and is it higher? It's up there, and it is one vote higher. Yes, it had five. So, do you want to play or pass, Baru? Can I confer with my bold friend? Of course you can. <laughs> You're acting boldly. Um, there's nine answers. You've got seven more. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if they can get them all. So, oh. let, I reckon maybe let them go for it. Okay, okay. I'm the blue milk to the tall one. Okay. So, <laughs> um, Lumpy, we're over to you. What have you got? I am your father. Oh, nice. Beautiful. Yes, that is third on the board there with eight. Itchy? Uh, He's no good to me dead. Yes, that also has five. Well done. Uh, Lumpy? I am not a committee. Uh, It was was said a couple of times, but not on the board. Itchy? Bounty hunters. We don't need those scum. Again, it was another one that was said, (sighs) but not made the board. He got one left, so Lumpy. He is clumsy as well as stupid. So what? we're passing over to the other team. Oh so there's still word. five up on the board. Let us go to Lars first. Lars, what have you got? I love you. I know. Brilliant. And can we go to um, Baru? Baru, what have you got? I, I was thinking about laughing at fuzzball or laughing at fuzzball. Okay, which one are you going with, team? I, I've just got to be the Noah. And now you love... Right, so you're going. I think with... we'll go with "I love you." Yes. Know. So is "I love you." I know to steal the money. Yes, it is the top answer with <laughs> nineteen. Brilliant. So you've got forty-one pounds on that one. So two pounds in it. The other four up on the board that made it on four, and I thought they smelt bad on the outside. <laughs> also on four, join me together. We can rule the galaxy as father and son. Five, well done, Baru. Laughing up, fuzzball. And the other second on the board, ten was do or do not. There is no try. Thank you for the people who don't know the films and sent me Jedi ones. And <laughs> shout out to Grant for sending in Schnaffle Schnaffle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure if they actually show have shown Empire Strikes Back on Kishi because yeah, those guys. I cannot believe they missed the obvious ones. Well played, Baru. I think you nailed it there. I love you. (laughs) Well, this one, this round is double money, but we've only £2 in it. It's whoever wins this round is going to go through to the big money at the end to see if you can win those prizes. Let's have Baru and Lumpy. Bring it on. Play on round three. Name a vintage item that makes a sound. Oh, uh, 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 Baru, we will go to you. 
Okay. Uh, Millennium Falcon. Millennium Falcon, let's make sure. Millennium Falcon, Falcon, is it on the board? <laughs> yes, it is second with 22. Ooh, second. Uh, Rich, can you find that top answer to pinch play? Let's hope not. Um, something that makes a sound. I'm going to go with it's one of two, and I'm going to go with the X-wing. It's on the board, but it's not the top oh. answer. It is eleven. So, Baru, do you want to play or pass? Oh, there is six reckon? answers left. Look at my hairy lover. I'll, I'll let you go with this one. I, th- I oh, think oh. Mm, you know we could do it. There could be a trick one in there. Can you just <laughs> remind us what's been called out so far? Uh, Millennium Falcon and X-wing. It's up there on the board behind you in um, oh, neon yeah, lighting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I reckon we could probably do this, Pete. Okay, let's play. Lumpy, itchy, get ready to try and steal, because every win has been by a steal so far. So, <laughs> right. So, we're over to you, Lars. What have you got? The Imperial Shuttle. Oh. I'm afraid what? no one said it whatsoever. <laughs> what? Um, uh, You've got to go with um, the obvious ones, Jez. Baru? Uh, I'm going to go for a blast, you know, the, the hand blaster, you know, the hand sword of blaster. Yeah, that's up there with six. Well oh, done. Just, just... Okay, Lars? Atat. Yeah, that's up there with six as well. Baru. My mind has suddenly gone blank. <laughs> He's a pirate. I'm going to have to hurry you. Oh. Okay, lose a strike. Back to you, Lars. Imperial troop transport. Top answer with 23. Oh. Uh, back to you, Baru. Three more. So harsh on me. Oh, B-Wing. I'm afraid that's not up there, although it did get a vote. So there are three answers left on the board, but going over the other side. Lumpy, what have you got? Uh, That'll be TIE Fighter, then. You're going with TIE Fighter. Lumpy, you're actually itchy, but Lumpy? (laughs) I also think possibly the the lightsaber. You know, you press the lightsaber and the noise came on. But I think TIE Fighter is going to be far more obvious. Right, you're going with TIE Fighter. Is it on the board to steal and go through to tonight? Big money. Woo! Yes, it's on yeah. 15. Well done. So that's double on that one. So well done. £166 added to your 43. You have £209 in the kitty. Yeah, we'll just take um, the cash. Yeah, we'll yeah. The other two answers that made the board were Snowspeeder and R2-D2. Yeah, I was going to see the R2-D2 clicking head. Um, I just want to give a big shout out to Jenny Bennett, who chose the Sigma music box. So... <laughs> <laughs> just as well last 20 people didn't see that because we'll never right so we're hang going on, through the big hang money yeah it's a dead rich if you rewind that rich just laughed <laughs> oh oh well, i can cut that into the beginning record yeah, it for yeah, posterity yeah, yeah. rich <laughs> your jokes laughed. okay right so how this works is si- um itchy i'm gonna boot you in a minute from the the call okay i will ask richard six questions and he will have six answers yeah okay and then I'll bring you back in. You will get the same six questions. If you uh, say the same again, I'll ask you to choose another. If you get all six top answers, you win tonight's prize. And if you get over 200 points, you will win the money of five grand. So I am now going to boot you, Itchy. Stay around. It's only going to be a couple of minutes. Oh, actually, be a five because we'll go through his answers to see the scores. Okay, we'll see you in a minute. Right, here we go. Name a vintage item beginning with B. B-Wing. Name the most common Trilogo mock. Uh, Darth Vader. Name something you'd find in the Moss Eisley Cantina. Aliens. What is your favourite vintage Ewok item? Village. Name a small vintage item that is easily lost. Uh, Endor Black Blaster. Name something associated with Jabba the Hutt. Luff. Okay, right, let's see, first of all, how you've done and if you've got any of the top answers. Okay, so you said B-Wing for B. Is it on the board? 
It is rich. Top answer as well. Well done. Uh, the most common try logo. You said Darth Vader. Is it on there? It is, but only for five. But it is on there. Name something you find in the Moss Isley Cantina. You said aliens. Is it up on the board? Well done, Rich, but only worth seven. What? Not, not a top answer. What is your favourite Ewok vintage item? You said the village. Top answer with 30. Well done. So I was going to need to get a couple of top answers. Name an item that is easily lost. You said the Endor Blaster. I put all loose weapons together. They are on a board. And it's top answer with 41. Well done, Rich. And finally, it was name something associated with Jabba the Hutt. You said his laugh. I'm afraid only one person came out with his laugh. You are joking. 116. So quite good. And you got three top answers, so Sai needs to... Well, he needs arrest. to raise his game, doesn't he? Well, he does, because you've put him in a good position. Let's yep. see. Let's get him back. I with Jess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, banana. <laughs> <laughs> There's another laugh. Oh, dear me. Okay, Itchy. Yes. Itchy, um, your yes. teammate Lumpy did very well. He's You're on 116 points out of the 200. And he has found three of the top answers. Ooh. So, okay. let's see what you come up with okay nice and quiet everybody itchy are you ready i am name a vintage item beginning with b b wing another one uh, blaster name the most common tri logo mock clarty name something you'd find in the moss Isley cantina greedo favorite vintage ewok item wicket name a small vintage item that is easily lost layer blaster another little helmet from one of the figures and name something associated with jabba the hut salacious crumb okay Nice answers, right. Now, Rich found three top answers. Let's see if you've got the money and if you've done it. So, first of all, you went with name something beginning with B. Uh, Rich got the top answer with B-Wing. And you said Blaster. Is that on the board? Oh. I'm afraid that isn't on the board. It was said by a couple of people, but it hasn't made the final thing. There's obvious things on there like Bosk, Boba Fett, etc., what do you consider to be the most common tri-logo mock? You need the top answer for this to win a car or a holiday. You said Klaatu. Is he on the board? But he's not the top answer for oh, the second. Okay. Anakin Skywalker blasted it away. Mm. Okay, name something you'd find in the Moss Isley Cantina. You said Greedo. Was the top answer on 15. Mm. Well done. I just want to put point out Todd Osborne. Thank you for space hookers on that question. <laughs> um, Stu? What's yes. a hooker? <laughs> it's a rugby position. What is your favourite vintage Ewok item? You said Wicket. Is it on the board? Yes. Second. Rich got the top answer. So, well nice. done there. Also, uh, the just like yourself, four call, two call for school kids. I don't like them. I'm not saying it. You know, Frank Muse, Michael Molly, Darren Bolton. You're all uh, dudes. And a shout out to Cole Dix, who, uh, who responded with Caravan of Courage VHS Sleeve Proof. So I'm surprised none of you got that. That was second on your list. Name a small vintage item was easily lost. Sorry, you said helmet. I'm afraid that isn't on there. CCP Comlink was the second highest. Uh, Falcon Ball, those kind of bits. Uh, mm. Matt George put something that was easily lost. He put the Ewoks line. So I appreciated that one. <laughs> and finally, something name something associated with Jabba the Hutt. Richard didn't get an answer on this. You went with Salacious Crumb. Is it up there? Yes. Top answer, Cy. Nice. So if you had pulled out the finger on the uh, mocks, you would have won prize. 186. 
It's just fallen short. Five um, top answers out of six, and right, that only well, six. yeah, but two of your answers didn't score at all, size um, itchy. So, if um, I was lumpy, I'd be lumping you right about um, now. I'm let down. It, it, I, I would feel let down. You have gone home with two hundred nine pounds, though, boys. But um, yeah, a bit, bit of let down there. I would agree with you, Rich. You put him in a really good position. He hasn't really added anything. <laughs> you can no. buy a house up north for that. I'm blaming Rich there for the. I mean, I never remember my Jabba the Hutt place at laughing. He didn't say Jabba the Hutt toys, and I didn't complain either, did I, Stu? No. 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 I, 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 to be honest, you, someone did vote laugh. The Jabba was very, very varied in fairness. Mm-hmm. I would have uh, I would have complained, Rich, and had the one again. What, I what think what we've all gained from this. <laughs> what would you have said, uh? What if you had said it was place it? I would have uh, said Slaves Crumb first, and then Slaves Crumb was the top. But you had the hooker pipe, whatever you want to call it, second yeah. slave layer. Um, oh, I thought his, you just meant his greed, um, dribble, rancor, tongue. Salvage didn't make the thing. Palace didn't make it either. Yeah, rancor, rancor. Yeah, I just said rancor. Yeah, it was on there. Mm-hmm. You want to li- well, clean your ears out? No, I just don't want to listen to you. Skimpy dancers. That would have <laughs> been my answer. Boobies. Right. Let's go over to... I hope you're um, not too disappointed, Rich, because I know you're very competitive, but let's go over to Rebel Briefings. Meg Ryan in Star Wars. I'm all out of love. The Rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. And thank you, Rich, for giving me ones that I can read this month. Uh, Rich, Meg Ryan in Star Wars. I'm going to be honest, it's gone over my head. I don't know what you mean. You know what, Stu, I still chuckle when we were in facts and obviously... Jez is arranging a little trip to facts, and when that coach, when you were standing on the pavement, and, and that coach with the wing mirror went flying over the top of your head, and you were completely oblivious. That was absolutely brilliant. That moment, if you had been one inch higher, like four six, four seven, you, your head, <laughs> your head would have been rolling down the pavement. And I still, I still chuckle at the Belgians as they turned around and they were all pissing themselves laughing at you. It was a what a moment. It's a shame you missed it. It would have been nice for you, actually. If you had a, had a third body experience, say if you'd been killed, right, and, you, and you, your body came out of it and looked at it, you would have found that absolutely hilarious because it was, it was really funny. Yeah. Right. Anyway. <laughs> Is this going somewhere? <laughs> Brilliant. You love it. You dead for, for entertainment. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. At least he's laughing. That's good. Record it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there must be something wrong. Anyway, right, Meg Ryan and Star Wars. So the reason why I brought this one up is because James Kennison had posted on Star Wars from UK um, an update on these Leia blasters that we have seen, you know, for a good few months now, with lots of people saying they're definitely fake, others saying, oh, we're not so sure, others keeping a hold of them just in case. So James has posted an update on Stories from UK. He's also posted on taking various other Facebook groups. So I thought, well, rather than just go through everything that James has listed, uh, I've had the absolute pleasure to sit down with James and record an interview with him earlier this month. So let's cut that interview now. Well, I'm delighted to welcome Australian vintage Star Wars collector James Kennison to the Vintage Rebellion today. Good evening to you, James. Good evening. 
James, before we go any further, I just want you to clarify a little mystery that we've had. Now, you're more commonly known as Aussie James on the forums, and we've struggled with the meaning of your username. So could you just firstly explain the purpose of your username to our listeners? Uh, it should be self-explanatory, but I always joke about it's the fact that I'm really Canadian, Steve. <laughs> but yeah, Aussie James is always my forum name. Started off at Rebel Scum and on the Imperial Gunnery as well um, from its initial stages. And yeah, and I use my real name on Facebook, but people know me as AJ, so it's stuck. You've been heavily involved in TIG for a long time. You've been documenting, you've been recording repro weapons for years and years and years. So firstly, on behalf of the community, I want to do thank you, not just you, everybody involved with TIG for everything that you guys have done. It is very much appreciated by all of us Star Wars collectors. Cheers. What I really want to go into and why I've asked you to come on the show is discuss the latest that we've had on the Leia Blasters. Now, as most collectors are aware, over a thousand of these Black Leia Blasters were suddenly recently discovered. So first of all, what can you tell us about the Leia Blasters? Where have these come from and what were the claims of the backstory? Well, initially seven appeared and they came with an explanation that they were found at a like a second-hand shop, thrift stop, Goodwill, and it was a lady work there and they'd be given to them from a friend that worked at Palatoy, and that description as far as the selling goes, and there was only seven. Initial pictures looked fine, nothing glaringly obvious that said, you know, reproduction. Um, it had an injection point under the magazine, casting was really good, and they floated. We tried to get hold of one. One finally made its way to America, to Josh, who has insane amount of weapons to compare to. For whatever reason, the initial photos didn't show the back of the blaster very well. It was noted that it was quite a thick blaster, but from the back there was a clear, flat square, basically. I'd never seen before and didn't match anything known previously. And so that became the telltale sign. We got one to Steve at UKG after a lot of stuffing around, and he agreed that they weren't originals. They were good quality reproductions. From there, pictures emerged of a claimed Palatoy box and a baggie full of Lear blasters, two boxes in fact. There are other people involved and I chose not to listen too much to the story behind it and just focus on the item itself. We've all heard the stories about people diving in dumpsters behind Star mm. Wars manufacturing plants and we really do care program as far as replacement weapons go. So at the end of the day... We looked at it, compared it to lots of people's collections, loose, mock, baggies. It was a blaster that just stood out as wrong. Unfortunately, a second type appeared from the same source, which was slightly different at the back. They all have a fairly, a little bit more rough texture than we'd normally expect to see. And there was rumours of Jawa blasters existing as well. Once they came to the market, they were actually advertised as reproductions straight from the start. So, yeah, that was pretty much convincing news that they were reproductions. The Java Blasters yeah. look really, really good, and it's only a very small detail that gives those away. Um, the Imperial Blasters stood out due to some different features, like the cross-hatching pattern on the hand grip was fairly unique. And then the closest original to that had other identifying features, such as the barrel detail at the end. Um, so those stood out as well. At what point did this go from being seven blasters to a thousand? Okay, the quantity is in dispute. There was a, another collector that tried to get involved in purchasing large amounts 
or being a middleman, whatever the case may be. Their claim was 1,300. The original source said there was just a couple of hundred, but they certainly mentioned the possible existence of Jawa blasters. They did contact TIG right from the start um, when the first seven appeared, and they were you know, disappointed that their items were suspect at that time reproductions, and they were convinced they were real due to the story that they were given. But, yeah, like I said, it's stories. I'm not saying they lied. But, yeah, 40-year-old memories and how it's turned out now with the other blasters as to me, proof that there's no doubt they were fakes right from the start. But, yeah, certainly they're getting very, very hard to pinpoint. You need a really good eye and good pictures, which I'm renowned not for taking. <laughs> yeah, and in lot sales, etc. it is what it is. You're just not going to pick them up until you get them in hand. Don't know if it's just me and the community being cynical, but it always seems to be expensive accessories that we need to worry about. And obviously with the prices of the Leah Blaster shooting up recently, has that any correlation? Or do we need to be worried about even some of the cheaper blasters like the Blue Black Stormtrooper, for example? Yeah, I mean, anything's possible once upon a time. Ewok accessories, if you saw an Ewok accessory and someone asked if it was a reproduction, you could safely say no one reproduces them, why would you? They're going to be original, but that's no longer the case either. So, I mean, every single, I think without exception, accessory, cape, you name it, hood, has been reproduced in some way out of Mexico, pretty much everything. Yeah, all the accessories, blasters, staffs, capes, they're very poor quality. You can pick them up out of a lineup fairly easily. Someone's obviously thinks it's financially viable and for their time to keep pumping them out. Do you say that the Jawa and the Imperial Blaster has come from the same source as the Leia Blaster, or is it just the same seller? I hate to assume, but I'm just going to assume there's just one individual that initially sold the first batch of Leia Blasters to a seller, told their story, and hinted about the Jawa Blaster, and then the airs released them out into two different sellers. Um, so there's more than one seller in the UK. They've made their way to Germany. There's a seller there that's been selling them fairly regularly, yeah, and into America. So even initially with the first lot of Leah Blasters, I could trace feedback for buyers, and they were selling them on as original without any shame or conscience. That's pretty disappointing. I think the worry now is is the amount of people who are jumping on the price of the Leah bandwagon, but they don't have a weapon, and they are buying these weapons innocently and pairing them together to sell further on on eBay. I think there were a couple of links that have been put up on stores from UK of a seller who was selling, you know, a Leah with one of these blasters and perhaps not even knowing what they've had in the first place. Yep. Yeah, no, there's some that don't know, and there's certainly some that do know and still choose to omit various details to the next person. And some have blatantly lied and said they're original from their own collection, which is, yeah, like I said, a blatant lie unless they refer to their own collection as something they've accumulated in the last couple of weeks and then chosen to resell. The same seller I've contacted, and I've told them I can see what they're doing, they've just basically ignored me. I've had this buyer contact me, and when I told them they actually knew and I'd actually sent them messages, they were very disappointed. This is possibly one of the rare times that would actually say, thankfully, we've got somebody like Toy Tony's story, because Toy Tony has made it very clear back in the day that when he went up to Palatoy, he purchased everything that was there. He wasn't going to leave 
a box of you know layer blasters lying around for somebody else to come and swoop in at a later time, and then for them to resurface forty years later, that was possibly genuine. Possibly, but I just can't see it happening. They're such unique shapes and four occasions, and they all be connected in some way, not showing up anywhere else, and they all four have similar traits. Yes, because Palatoy didn't make these weapons, did they? Did the weapons that Palatoy get, were they any different from the weapons that went to Kenner or to any of the other licensees? No, they imported everything from the various factories, possibly without rhyme and reason, and certainly I can't see it plausible for a factory to just do a single batch that batch only get exported to Palatoy and that batch only sit unused for whatever reason and then appear 40 years later. The number 1,000 is far too small, isn't it, for them to have made it any kind of a viable run? Well, we're only guessing at 1,000 as well. The person that sold the first seven has got back to me and said they never said 1,000. It was a few hundred, but they're not the original source. They're just a associate or friend of the son of the Palatoy employee. So there's lots of hands to go through before it comes out to the collector's market and what stories get passed on along the way. But at the end of the day, that is the only way to determine if something is real is to see it in a carded form or baggy form. Or even ex- even if one existed loose in someone's collection, it would have cast some doubt whether or not they were a reproduction. But yeah, and there has been other reproductions in the past that have been close to as good quality and no one's ever disputed that they're reproductions. So some of the handheld sabers that have come into the limelight recently have actually existed for 10-plus years. The yellow, blue and green Luke handheld sabers, they float, look very good. Um, interestingly enough, they have the same rough texture as the blasters that we're discussing today. And there's been other palace blasters that have looked excellent with all good details and floated as well. People have said they still believe that they might be real because who would copy it that closely and get one detail different to an original? But I still keep going back to the fact that one that hasn't existed before, sealed, it's a reproduction until proven otherwise. Um, it was great to have Steve at UKG back up what a lot of us suspected in the first place. Yeah, And there's never been any claims that I know of of the Imperial Blaster Java Blaster as being original stock. And I think there's no doubt that they're, they're from a same batch or same production method. Wouldn't surprise me if something else was released sooner rather than later, be it Sabres or... Endor Blasters, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So And the Palace Blasters again as well. So, look, it is what it is. Um, we just have to keep on top of it. Is there a concern that repro makers are reading TIG and looking at your photographs where you're highlighting I'm guessing most of the minute details, I'm assuming that you're keeping one or two things private to yourselves but using those resources to make their weapons even better in order to fool collectors in 12 months time. Sure it's been a concern right from day one with TIG um, it was one of the first questions brought up. It was, yeah, putting up lots of pictures, lots of details, what's to stop the reproduction makers using that information and perfecting their art, so to speak. And I think the general consensus in the end was we'd rather be educated collectors or collectors that have shared information amongst each other rather than basically ignorant ones and not knowing at all. Um, otherwise, how would you spot them? Yeah, certainly it is a concern and perhaps one day, reproductions will be indetectable. I hope that day doesn't happen. Sure, there's money to be made, 
they could just as easily make that money and leave their own mark or hole in the reproduced items so we know the reproductions. Well, that's just leading nicely into the next question. With the price of genuine vintage weapons and the flooding of mass market repo items, why should I care if I have some repo items or if I buy any to complete my collection? Why should a collector care? Look, it's really an individual's choice. Do I care? Yes, there's no economic reason why I care. It's just part of being a hobby. There's rules that sort of make themselves. Sure, there's people that not going to abide by them or don't agree with them and or just want to collect for themselves it is what it is but yeah personally like i think that the majority want to keep their vintage collection vintage while we're vintage collectors if these weapons were white or silver or blue would there be as much of a problem i mean i suppose the argument will be if they're totally the wrong color it doesn't achieve the purpose that people that are buying reproductions want, which is for it to display correctly. So the reproducers are doing themselves out of money, yeah. so to speak. The yeah. other thing is people say, oh, if they made the lead blasters grey, it would be great. But then we sort of forget the quite difficult to find leady lead blasters grey. So, you know, there can be confusion there. And the idea of putting a hole through them, a little drill hole, small hole anywhere, has been around for a little while. It's probably an easy thing to do in the production process with the moulds, etc. But, yeah, I'm not sure if reproducers care. They do it for the money. They're not doing it for love of anything else, I don't think. Now, a couple of people have said, look, these weapons were poorly made back in the, in the 70s and 80s, very, very cheaply produced. Is it even possible to recreate the conditions to make perfect repro weapons 40 years later? They might say they were pumped out crudely and cheaply, which they were, they were, you know, either tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. But at the end of the day, that 40 years ago, production of plastics was still very good. So I think the quality is there. Yeah, 40-year-old weapons hold up pretty well to all the abuse that they've had with child wear and tear. And, you know, I think they're a good quality product, so in theory could be reproduced now and look the same. If I'm just a, a typical collector now who is a little bit worried about their own collection, what would be your best advice on how to go through my collection and checking off my weapons and identifying repos? And if I do find a repo item in there, what should I do with it? I still believe the best method to check is visual checks of the item, paying close attention to detail and comparing it to known existing originals. There's lots of pictures on the internet. It doesn't just necessarily have to be TIG. But, yeah, certainly really pay close attention to detail and then you can be comfortable they're authentic. If you can't match it up exactly, try and match it exactly to a reproduction. If you're still unsure, just put it into the unsure pile and ask the media of other people that would help to authenticate it. If you do find a confirmed reproduction, by all means, keep it as a reference, keep it as a display item for your figure if you so wish, but somehow mark it clearly be it a little heated pin pushed through the handle, fingernail polish and putting a red dot on it somewhere, yeah, and leaving it at that. I'm still hearing claims from people to say that weapons float, therefore they're legitimate. Look, it's just an old test that's not 100% accurate, but it's quick and easy, and it's been around for a long time, so it's a, something that won't die. I still think it's useful for some things, and it's useful for the speed at which you can quickly check some items but all it does is help you pick out ones that you need to check more closely and even the ones that pass 
want your slope to go through one at a time and make sure it matches up a, a real item. But for those starting out, it can be a quick and easy way to pull apart a few things. And then, but like I said, you still have to double check visually matching it with known originals or known fakes. Some sound advice there, James, and I'm sure our listeners are going to really appreciate what you've had to say today and bring to us to the community. No worries. Well, James, I'd like to thank you for your time here on the Avengers Rebellion. Um, we'd love to have you on as a main interview guest at some point in the future. We've had a lot of feedback when we've had guests from other countries, and especially talking about their childhood experience of Star Wars. No worries, anytime. Thanks very much for your time, and, and keep on spotting those rep wars for us. Thanks for having me. So there you go, guys. Quite categorically from James and from many others in the Star Wars collecting community. It's now confirmed that those Leia blasters are well and truly fake as are the Jawa Blasters and the Imperial Blasters that are starting to make the rounds in the last few months. So, Pete, I just want to know about those Blasters in particular. Do you have any prices handy of those Blasters, um, in, in particular that makes them ones being made in you know quite high reproduction numbers at the moment to justify them? Well, Rich, before you start, I think it's worth noting here that um, this is another reason for people getting involved in the hobby, new, that this is just going to terrify you. And you won't, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, there's repros for everything these days. So, you know, that's another, another reason to uh, to tack on to the thing we talked about earlier on. But as prices go, for the Lear Blaster, it seems to be for the black one, it seems to be anything from about 50 quid upwards these days. I've seen, I've seen prices people paid 60, 75, someone paid for a, for a loose blaster. There's one on eBay at the moment for about 55 pounds, um, the Jawa Blaster seems to sort of probably the cheapest of the lot seems to go from anything between nine pounds about fifteen twenty again depends on on what time of day it is. Um, and the Imperial Blasters, the blue black blaster seems to go from between ten to fifteen quid, and just the blue one goes from between about eight to thirteen. Again, depends what time of day, what country you're in. You know, what, what if your Facebook group or eBay, there seems to be a bit cheaper on the Facebook groups, more expensive on the uh, on the auction sites. So, uh, but I mean, they, they could change tomorrow, Rich, especially a Lear Blaster, the black one. I think it might have been Nick Rees had posted somewhere that it's cheaper to buy a Lear Complete by far than it is to buy the Blaster on its own and the Lear on its own. So it's absolutely bonkers, ludicrous. Well, I mean, I mean that figure is pushing up towards 150 now for a mint figure in decent condition. It's 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 just gone. Well, I think I said quite a while ago when I kind of reviewed the year that. You know, most of the first sort of 12, 21 will be you know, up towards the £100 mark. And it, I mean, the Leah was well out on her own. She's she's got getting further and further. So but there might have been a bit of a surge after she passed away. But um, it seems to be that, that uh, where people are settling quite easy now to pay any up to £100 for a, for a minty Leah Organa, which is a bit strange, but there we go. We've heard stories before of ex-Palatoy employees and fines by recent family members, etc. Do you think there's any chance whatsoever that there's still anything to be discovered or uncovered from the Palatoy factory that hasn't been found yet? It's a tough one, isn't it? It's obviously got to come from an employee now, if it's going to be the case. But I think everything is going to be shrouded in suspicion. Yeah, there's something emerging after 40 years. There is the chance, but I doubt it. Well, see, what got me thinking, and I briefly mentioned this in, in, in the interview, because we wanted the impression that the likes of Titoni 
and Jason Joyner, they went up to the Palatoy factory when it was closing down and cleaned it out. And I've certainly heard stories of Toy Tony having, I don't know, if I've heard if he had one truck up there, I've heard he'd had three trucks up there, and everything was just loaded into these and into these trucks that Toy Tony took away. And obviously, as we know, Toy Tony's still trickling out stock and is trickling out weapons. So if there was a bag of... Now, we heard there were 50 Lear weapons, then it went up to, you know, a couple of hundred and then a couple of thousand. If those weapons were lying around in the Partoy factory, then Toy Tony would have surely taken them away with him at that time. Surely if there was a different design as well of of any of them, that somewhere, somehow, something would, there would be some sort of reference to it, that there's not just a great big lot of the same weapon. I just can't see it. See, I've, I've worked in um, diecasting. And if something was made wrong in diecasting, it certainly wasn't kept in a box somewhere. You either used it and just accepted the fact that it was wrong. So these these Lear Blasters, if they were genuine and they arrived in Palatoy, would anybody have noticed the square end on the blaster? Would the bloody heck is like? Those those blasters would have been out. Now, if they put them away because somebody's went, oh, no, they're not right, they would have been binned. They wouldn't have been kept for, you know, any length of time whatsoever. A, a little bag of that. Um, Simon, you're a bit long in the tooth. Did Have you heard the stories of Toy Tony and Jason Joyner going up to the Paltrow factory and, and literally cleaning everything out that was up there? Um, I hadn't, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, obviously, we know Toy Tony for his, his 10,000 uh, GM and Palatoy card backs, but I hadn't heard of him being up at the factory. But, you know, Jason being up there, it wouldn't surprise me at all. He's He's been... He's been wheeling and dealing since uh, since Jedi, hasn't he? Uh, mm. But I hadn't heard I hadn't heard the story about Tony. And do you think it's plausible, as many have argued, that a different mould could have been made for Palatoy? I think it depends what it is, doesn't it? I mean, we we had the Falcons made over here by that company in the in, in the Black Country. I don't even know if they were different moulds or whether they were just moulds brought across from the Far East. But I don't. I just don't see any logic at all in a new mold being created and sent over to Palatoy to make, well, certainly not one blaster, um, but nor two, nor three, you know, the Jow, the Stormtrooper and the, the layer ones. It doesn't make any sense. You can fit a thousand of those weapons in, in a, in a small parcel that would cost back then a couple of dollars to send across the world. Why would you start shipping steel molds about and all the, the support and work that's required around those? Also, if you look at the blasters that were being faked or that this guy's got brought in from the Far East, you've got the Stormtrooper, you've got the Jawa, and you've got the Layer Blasters. They're all first 12 weapons. I appreciate a couple of those appeared into ESB and even into Jedi, but they're all first 12 weapons. Why would there all of a sudden be a demand for weaponry that came out with the first 12 figures in 77, late on in 83, 84. And if you look at some of the figures that those weapons came with, Jawa, Lair Organa, Lair Hoth, Lair Bespin, they're bloody impossible to find on Palatoy cards. Absolutely impossible. Um, you know, they, So they weren't designed for a late surge in production or anything like that because the figures were never produced on the cards in any reasonable quantity. So it, none of it adds up. To be honest with you, it stinks to high heaven, and it's quite rightly been shown by the people in the know to be a load of old balls. 
Jez, there was a lot of people, you know, James is one of them, who said right from the start, you know, there's something not right about these. And there were some who were more one way of saying these are absolutely fake. Don't be fooled by it whatsoever. You know, the story was iffy. The the timing was iffy. You know, as Pete said, the surge in the prices of those black blasters. And then all of a sudden they're appearing on eBay, which I think they were 20 quid, 25 quid, something like that. Um, but still people were buying them and they were buying them in ones and twos and they were just keeping them and holding on to them. Um, so why do you think so many collectors want to believe that these are real and they were just not accepting the evidence that was put to them? I think people don't want fakes to be that good. I think there's there's two parts to this. Some you might think people are buying them knowing that they're fake but putting them together with other other figures so they can try and sell them off as original legit ones but it's not very nice when you know that fake ones can be this good and it's obviously very very bad for the hobby if it, if it continues to get to the point where the these fake ones are almost impossible to tell the difference that could have a massive effect on the market on the value people lose all confidence in what's out there so just assume that that it's all junk uh, and therefore, if you can't distinguish between what's real and what's not, then I think things are just going to nosedive. You know, I've got nothing against the guys who have bought one. Somebody's bought one for 20 quid and 25 quid, you know, because they're a little bit unsure. But I would certainly be wanting my money back now. I would, I would certainly be sending it back to the guy and say, hey, these are fake. Otherwise, you've paid, you know, 20, 25 quid for something that's, you know, probably worth less than a penny. Didn't a few people do that? Didn't a few people ask for money back? And uh, apparently, by all accounts... The guy sent the money back, no questions asked. Yep, I'm aware that plenty of people have asked for the money back and he has refunded fine, which is great. But um, um, as you heard from the interview with James, the big worry is, okay, we've, we've seen we've stopped at this time, but in another 6 to 12 months, there's probably going to be another big drop on the market where whoever's made these goes back to the original supplier and says, actually, what, what we need to do now is round the ends of these and that would hopefully, you know, stop some of the people spotting them from the pictures. When stuff is going for 50, 60 to 75 pounds, and let's face it, let's say within a year, two years, um, if if the market doesn't collapse, layer blasters will be going for 100 pounds. Then you're going to get loads of people trying to churn these out with all sorts of, you know, I mean, people will spend a bit, a bit of time on a little little production mould or something and be churning these out. And uh, before they can uh, do anything, they'll be... They'll be quite wealthy because you know when, when things are going for hundred quid or seventy quid or something, then it's worth doing, isn't it? It's not like the, some of the other blasters, which are, you know, as we said, a uh, an imperial blaster can be eight quid. There's almost no point in producing repros. But when it's uh, when when things are going for you know fifty pound plus, then it certainly it will catch people's eyes. I totally get the fact that many will argue that they can't afford to pay a hundred pound for a black blaster. I get that. I totally get that. But funding the guys who are making these and giving them 20 quid you know if enough people do it that is quite a hefty profit as Simon was saying I would have no problem whatsoever if these were cast in white or cast in red and and then the arguments I'm getting back is yeah but they weren't available in white or red back then that's correct they weren't but they weren't available in that mould they weren't available as repos back then I would be far happier if all of these weapons were cast in white and then people just used them as placeholders until the market did crash and then you know, they could replace them as and when. But thanks very much, James. That was a great interview. And thank you, James, and everybody who was involved in that investigation, especially the guys of TIG. Um, your photographs on there absolutely fascinating. Really, really fantastic asset the community. And keep spotting those rep wars for us, guys. 
Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. So we talk about I'm out of love. I don't want to name anybody, but I've spotted a few guys who have made posts recently about how they have, I'm not going to say lost love in the hobby, but they may have lost interest in certain facets of the hobby, uh, where that perhaps might have went down one route of focus collecting. They've now decided, actually, you know, this is not for me. Things have happened. People are offloading, you know, collections, offloading parts of their focus collection, etc., etc. So I just want a general chat here, first of all. So what do you think the reasons are for people now at this moment in time losing interest or losing a certain focus of the Star Wars collecting community? So I'm just going to throw that out there for anybody to start that off. Do you think if you have too much of anything, it can sometimes get a little bit dull or it just gets too much, you know, it can dictate too much part of your life and sometimes you need to just step away from it and refine that hunger for it i just well, i'm sure we all have it especially during the podcast there's months when you're not feeling star wars and you've still got to come out and grind a podcast out you know i can i can feel it coming from side tonight that he's not overly <laughs> want to be here with the way he's acting that's a very good point that's true and it's something it, it hasn't happened to me today but today i was looking at my collection and thinking I'm pretty much agreeing with what you're saying there. There was so much of it. I was even toying up with the idea, is is it hit the point now? Not because I've lost interest, but because for space purposes, I don't have the rooms to display it how I'd want to do it. Is it time for me now to start scaling back? I just It's going to be very, very difficult for us to let go of anything if I do decide to go down that route. I think um, I think the, the focus, the focus is, is people don't think it through enough because the focus, I mean, mm-hmm. you can really get that point where you either go right i'm going to start spending money i could be putting my kids through college or buy them a car or something or buy a small plastic figure and you're thinking is it really worth it and and do you not lose a little bit of that that joy when thinking you know life has to come first family has to come first really than your collection i mean we've already seen jez you know uh a collection to help out with his uh, fees for buying his house you know suddenly it becomes more important and the focus does go out of it because Maybe maybe the focus is has to be focused on something else. I think Dave Tree kind of nailed it on one of the forum um, on one of the Facebook groups where he said just collect what you want. And I don't think he's really in into the kind of focus collecting. I kind of agree with him to some extent. I mean, I've I've, I've refocused my collecting to sort of be quite you know wide spreading in in what I collect, but keeping in one area. But I'm not like you know after ridiculously priced things. I go well, I've done that. I've collected enough in that area. I'll now move on to something, you know, even more fun. So do you think focus collecting could be damaging them? I think it depends what it is, obviously. But yeah, I think it can. I think if you just focus on one figure and go to the nth degree, I mean, there's there's only so much of the really, really hard, yeah, that's why it's rare, really hard to get stuff. And I think, you know, you can kind of like flake out at the end and go, well, you know, I'm, not, I'm never going to get that or I'm going to have to spend like 20 grand to get that. And that's a lot of money. Even I mean, especially the, these days when everyone's struggling a little bit. Um, and then people kind of flake out at the end and go, I can't, I'm never going to get it. So what's the point? And look at your collection and go, well, I might just sell it off. You know, we do see collectors selling their collections off for a variety of reasons, but uh, maybe people should just collect a bit of Star Wars stuff and not worry about it too much. What you're saying there, though, is you're saying, oh, we've got, I've got to have this foreign cart for 20 grand. If that's what you're collecting for, you're collecting not for the enjoyment of that. You're collecting because you want, oh, I've got this to show to others that's what it sounds like to me rather than a little bit yeah I, mean, like, I, mean, I agree with you I, I keep looking at my greedo bits and thinking mm, i would rather have 
I'm still a long way off having a figure, every figure on a card. Yeah. And that's more important to me than my greedo focus at times, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I started doing the, the every figure on a card. I'm not sure whether I'm really interested. I mean, some figures they don't really like that much. I'm thinking, no, I'm trying to get the ones I like. I mean, like getting that power droid thing. I mean, he was, he's a bit battered up, but it just looks brilliant because it's a power droid on a card. And I love the power droid. It's crazy. And the card's great. And, and it was, you know, cheap as chips. And uh, someone did us a favour on the price. It's just, you know, um, it, it's just something nice. I mean, it, I didn't worry about it. I went to work. Condition, it didn't matter. It's just a power draw in the card. It looks great. Jez, do you think there's a bit of Disney saturation in here with all these movies coming out? And um, I think a lot of vintage collectors are sticking their toes into the modern market now. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of friends who we've got who collect modern. There's There's saturation. It is complete social media saturation i think that you know there are more and more facebook groups all the time coming out mate now a lot of people are, are looking at instagram and other things and then after a while you just think hang on a second I, I need to disengage with some of this because i want some of my notifications coming through on my phone to be other things as well so it could be that some people have just become just absolutely overwhelmed but I think um, Pete's on to a point with the whole focus collecting. I mean, when I started off collecting, I I, I don't think I coined the phrase, but I just came up with the phrase, I've just got a non-focus focus. I just wanted to buy whatever I like the look of, the card backs, characters. Really, really enjoyed just having, having the freedom to choose whatever it was at the time when my budget could afford it. And, and it was a lot more forgiving. And then when I went away with work and I took one character figure with me and that was the Luke X-Wing and then came back after being away for a while, I thought, yeah, yeah, I kind of like this. So I, I focused on that. But it's it's not as forgiving because you do feel a bit more pressure. I think when something comes up and people tag you, uh, which is which is great, you're like, oh, I really want to get that. And, and I think it was Dave Tree who put that post on and he, he said, oh, I don't really know many happy focus collectors. Uh, and yeah, I, I think he might have a point. I'm sure there's a lot of focus collectors who are entirely happy. But yeah, I had to sell a great deal of my stuff to, to afford to get the house. But now it's only in the last week or, or 10 days or so that I've started to look at my own collection after I read that post of Dave's and I thought, hmm, yeah, well, there's a lot of orange in my collection. <laughs> Uh, and I do miss some of those other carded figures. Uh, so my way of just getting back into it again is just having a little look at what I've got, what I've lost. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to actually getting back on and, and getting the hunt on again. And I think slowly there's certain Luke X-Wing stuff, which I'm I'm going to keep and, and probably keep for a very, very long time. But I, I'm going to start getting some of the non-focused focus stuff back. So to sort of reignite my passion I wrote down 20 card backs that were my favorite card backs, not just the, you know, the first 12, but of the ones which I thought that artwork's brilliant. Uh, and that's how I'm going to reignite it for me because I'm slowly going to say, right, I'm going to sell this uh, Kenner 20 back or sell this Kenner 21 back. And uh, so it's not necessarily going to cost me any money, but I can still get that Star Wars buzz by slowly replacing some stuff and, and just get that variety back, which I now miss. Sai, do you think that too many collectors are focusing on the buying 
and not the the learning, the education, the going on, you know, the SWCA blog and, and places like that and doing some reading and perhaps if they kept involved in the hobby that way, it may help against some of this. Um, I'm not so sure, mate, because I don't think I didn't start collecting Star Wars uh, because I wanted to learn about the production and the production process and the history behind them and all the rest of it. I like 99.9% other people got in because of the nostalgia. And that's still why I collect. And whilst I enjoy seeing a first shot or a a mock-up or some kit bashed figures or vehicles, um, that's not why I collect. Um, Yeah, I'd love to own them, but I certainly wouldn't pay the money. And I, I equally, I don't feel the need to go off and read about you know uh, this that and the other and whilst the variations and particularly the the world market with your toll toys and your pbp and your lily leddy and you know even stuff like your ouse is interesting it's it's not the be all and end all and I, I think there's a bit of a danger that um we can take the hobby out of the fun place it is and make it something you know try and make it something almost highbrow and informed um when some people just don't want that and they're, they're happy just to collect for the love of collecting um and i'd i'd probably put myself in in that bracket there just just for the love of it it's great reading about things but i don't feel the need to know every last thing about it do you have to just accept that there are some pieces you're not going to get yes definitely mate at this moment in my life there are pieces that come up for i'm going to say again it's, it's greedo that I just couldn't even begin to contemplate spending the money on it to have that in my collection. I'm seriously thinking about letting a few of mine go and just keeping my favourite pieces of it. Uh, to be honest with you, Star Wars has been a little bit, um, because of the price and stuff, sometimes it is, I'm probably in that section at the moment where I'm not doing too much with it. I've actually been buying Game of Thrones figurines for a shelf in my office. Been enjoying it. Reasonably priced, all under about 25 quid. And just been potting around doing that and just being a nice break from Star Wars. I'm a collector who's been collecting for, I don't know, to say somewhere between five and ten years. I've got everything that's fairly easily obtainable. I've got a full loose set. I've got some vehicles. I've got the majority of carded figures, but I've resigned to the fact that I'm not going to be able to afford some of them because they are four figures. Um, I've dabbled into some certain areas. I'm running out of space. What kind of advice would you give somebody in that kind of situation as opposed to just go, right, there you go, the lots went to Vectors? <laughs> it's quite a sad ending there. Um, I, I think you have you have to just take a step back and, and look at why, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a mad collector, then you're going to collect something. As, as Stuart just said, you know, he's collecting some other franchise toys i mean I've, I've i've delved into other franchise toys for the years you have to you have to think right am i enjoying this because i like star wars and i like nonsense now we all have i think most the majority of men have the collecting genes so you're gonna you're gonna do it anyway so if you if you've reached a kind of point where you, you you've gone over it there are virtually anything you can possibly think of you can get with a star wars logo on it so it's not like it's you know it's it's suddenly going to die on you. <laughs> There's plenty of scope there to branch out. But I think I think you if, yeah we should take a look at your collection, have a look and seriously answer: Am I enjoying this collection? You know, do you need 45 coloring books, for example, or do you need you know 25 of the same mock just because it's got you know a price sticker on it? Go through it, you know, reevaluate, 
you know, do you enjoy your collection or do you think, you know what, I can move on? Because, you know, the Star Wars market is still quite vibrant, so you will better get rid of it, not all in bulk, and then reinvest in something else you you do enjoy. Maybe it isn't Star Wars. Maybe it's, you know, Game of Thrones, Star Trek, you know, something else. So always, there's always something to collect out there. I bought three loose He-Man figures, and then I checked some He-Man checklists, and there's some like 50, 60 figures. And I'd say probably only 10 of them interest me, and I'll get them 10 at some point and stay there. And it, a little part of it does irritate me that I haven't, I'm not going to go and buy the other 50 or 60. I know that I'm not going to do that already. You see, but, but that's coming into the, the, again, almost like a focus collection. You, you almost want to get the line. I mean, I was looking at my, I went up to loft in, in, into my box in my loft. I thought, what is, what is this doing sitting here? And it's all just a bits of bits and pieces I've just clicked because I loved it, like uh, um, a Strontium dog from 2000 AD figure. I mean, I love that figure. I love that character. So I got him out, put him on his shelf. There's there's no other. Well, there's only a few in the in the series. There's, I've got like a, a Geiger statue from the from the artist Geiger. Um, you know, there's only one of those. So I put that out there. I didn't, I didn't go mad and buy all his books or anything. And then he actually kind of refreshing and go, yeah, actually, I I just bought bits and pieces I like. You know, and didn't go, didn't get into the focus collecting and the, the, the line. I think you have to, you have to really ask: Are you serious enough to do it? And if you are, fine. But are you someone who's not a completist? You know, can you just enjoy stuff? Do you have to? Do you have to go to every game in a season of football? Can you go to a few and enjoy it? Um, nothing to say about the focus collecting. Two sort of things that have always bothered me about it. One, there is. Um, always a finite amount of things that you're going to be able to collect and then a finite amount of things you're going to be able to afford to collect. Uh, and, you know, it, it does seem to be, I've noticed a few focus collectors of late, uh, more than the general collectors of, you know, I've hit a bit of a wall. Um, what next? You know, love the lost, uh, lost the love for it. So there, there's that. I think the burnout is going to be achieved far quicker than the general buy what you like. And the other um, slight warning is, and I've seen this in the, the other hobby that I had before this, which was uh, British military medals, is if you're a focus collector and you reach the point where you go, you know what, I've had enough of this, I want to go down this route or I want to start buying everything. When it comes to selling off, you've got a bit more of a problem because you've got one specific product or at least based around one specific character or vehicle or whatever. Um, you have instantly um, made your job of selling off that much harder, um, particularly if it goes to auction. If you end up dumping it all at Vectors or something like that, you, you've uh, you've really narrowed the market down and you're going to find it that little bit harder selling. Jez, you're the oldest of us and you're probably, you know, what, your four or five generations removed from that famous caveman, Ugg the Lesser. <laughs> do, you think, do you think there is a bit of that hunter-gathering thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Star Wars, stamp collecting, vehicles, you name it. People... people People have a hobby, don't they? Uh, and we like having hobbies. Um, yeah. We've come up with a few reasons there. Okay, so so what would be your best advice then for somebody who's, you know, somebody who's contemplating... All right, okay, we'll go a little bit further than that. Somebody who a few months ago was thinking about, actually, I need to change things, so I'm going to lose complete interest, and is now at the point where they are thinking, actually, I think it's time to get out of the hobby. Is there anything that that person can do to perhaps reignite their passion i would say unless you need the money i would perhaps pack it away and give it six months or a year you know and then go back to it if you're still not doing fit after a long break then sell it but there's nothing worse than 
oh, I'm not feeling it this month. I'll sell it. You sell it, and then six months down the line, oh, Star Wars. Star Wars, you know, because it does does return. Things do return. If you've got that true passion, it will return, regardless what people say. If it's in you, it's in you. So I just wouldn't do anything rash if you are someone who's thinking of selling up. Perhaps money is the object in purchasing new things. Are there things that I can buy for 50 pence a pound, you know, things that are less than a fiver that could keep my interest going and still make me think, actually, you know, there is a place for me here? Uh, it depends. If you're a focused collector, no, no. But if you are just a, a collector who's struggling a bit with the love of the hobby, then, yeah, of course there is. There's loads of things. Um, the You know, I mean, that looking comic that i picked up that was what three or four quid and it's it's brilliant it's just not only is it star wars but it's childhood it's a bit of knowledge it's all sorts of things all rolled into one um just to just go back to stew's point um don't give it 60 days give it 120 days and make sure you get down to a farthest from get interacting with people again the hobby is as much about people as it is about the toys so i'll just add that as we said, there's a lot of saturation out there. Earlier on, we we said about it, just switch off Facebook. Just turn off all your notifications and go and do something different. I mean, there's not going to be many people who love Star Wars more than Grant, you know? And we know that Grant's just said, you know what? Life priorities and this and the other. I just need to go off and do this for me for a bit. And uh, and Grant will be back. Yeah, of course. He's, he's not going away. He's just turned off some notifications for a bit. I know that's exactly how I felt after the first Father's From. It's my first opportunity where we just talked Star Wars non-stop with a lot of people, friends and strangers for a whole weekend. And I came back and I was just absolutely shattered, sick of it. You know, sometimes people come back from celebration and have a little bit of a downer, don't they? Because they've had so much of it. So just just disengage. Yeah, I think there's some cracking advice here. I think all of us have, you know, generally think the same things. Some good advice here to don't do anything rash. You know, absolutely not. You, you may regret it in three months, six months' time. I think um, both uh, Stu and Sai said, put your collection away, turn Facebook off is a great point from Jez, um, and just see where it goes. But there are other lines to collect. I mean, as, uh, we've had quite a bit of feedback on the bottle caps that Jason McElwain was talking about last episode. You know, um, there's plenty, like the Toys of Tatooine guys, they're often putting erasers and stationary items up on um, Facebook, and they're, they're quite reasonable placed. So um, there's nothing wrong in stopping collecting your loose collection because the last, you know, 10 figures that you need are just ridiculously expensive. You don't know where we're going to be in two, three years' time. I think there's quite a few people are praying that the market's going to crash. And if the market does crash, then obviously it'll be a great time for those who aren't in it for the money and just, just need to complete their collections. Don't do anything rash and just see where, see where life takes you. There's bigger things to worry about.
Wars song. We've got a bit of an old classic here, the Star Wars gangster rap. Andy Monahan contacted me and suggested we play this because it was always his favourite piece of music. I listened to it, can't believe how much I still enjoyed it. The Ben Kenobi bit of the rap is so, so tight. Lord Vader and I give respects Your planet and your life is what I expect Cape on my back, cable box on my chest Leather pants on my death, hot oil on my breath You'll be jealous of my boots, jealous of my gloves Jealous of my belt with my blinking lights stars I'm the Dark Lord with the power to diss Dismiss your people's skills like the Bantha Piss One, two, three into the four It's the Emperor coming through the door Ready to make an entrance, so back on up I'm about to blow some planets up <laughs> yeah, you know I'm crazy And my skin is pale and pasty Cause I'm evil I like it when the planets go boom I watch God busy in the Death Star bathroom Red has had pet stormtrooper attack A hundred laser blasts and I still can't hit jack Galactic recession you can't avoid I'll be unemployed if the Death Star's destroyed Four and three and two and one And when I'm on the mic the same people run Cause the force is flowing, the lightsaber glowing Cause it keeps me growing I'm not joking, my family's straight broken Now my uncle Owen's in the front yard smoking A barbecue, barambaroo Now there's nothing left on the farm to do Sold my land speeder and I sold my comb And now I'm feathering my hair all alone I'm a Jedi Knight with the license to kill I think you know what time it is, it's time to get ill in my best, I'm the best smuggler. Light bear, chuggler, Leia's main snuggler. Chicken lone sharks when the falcon starts. And Chewie's killing gun darks with them wookie bars. I'm Leia all up in your face. I'm the only chicken out of space. Go bikini, there is no other. I'm first base with my brother. I'm not galactically known. But I wear a blue cape at home. Lost the falcon, I was low on cash. Trash about my mustache. I can't swindle, I get crooked. I had a hand, but Vader took him. Now look what we have here. I'm still balling year after year. Public enemy open one. Store troopers said freeze, but they got none. Can I make them say I never had a laser gun? But it's the Jedi tricks I'm playing on your mind, son. Cause I'm more than needing Uncle Ben's in my bird at the pins. No next to kids.
Right, joining us for this month's interview is Sean Monaghan. Good evening, Sean. How are we? Hey, good evening, guys. How are you? Happy to be here. We're delighted to have you. I'm, I'm so delighted. I normally just do an interview with, with one other person, but Jez and Pete, neither of them would let it go. They clearly both wanted to come on and join this interview for some strange reason. So <laughs> I don't know if they've got stories about you or on you, but um, <laughs> neither of them would give it up. So you've got half over half the crew tonight. So we are joined by Jez and Pete. Good evening, boys. Hello. Evening. All right. This is great. I'm, uh, all this attention, I'm on it. We've just been informed before we came on that Pete's a bit wet from over licking himself. So, Pete, we hope you dry out in your shed. Very moist. We're going to go down a bit of a, a bit of a memorabilia night tonight. We're going to look at the films back in the day, maybe the toys from when you were young. As a matter of interest, what year were you born? Yeah, I was born in 1970. 1970, so, I, I, so yeah. good age for when New Hope came out. Oh, yeah. When you look up Sean Moynihan online, the first thing you get is music. Brother Dynamite, I take it that is actually your brother? Uh, well, he he may as well be. Uh, Alan Miller and I have been uh, playing music together since I was 16. It's uh, 31 years now. We've been uh, playing together in bands, and uh, you know, we 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 literally met in a garage band. Yeah, when I was a kid. And, and these days, it's uh, we do an acoustic duo rather than uh, you know like a full blown you know, electric band because it's just it's it's easier to get gigs. A lot more manageable and a lot more fun because it, it's it's more spontaneous. If all right with you, um, I'd like to play out the interview with one of your songs if that's all right. Sure, go for it. Brilliant. Now, I quite enjoyed looking for your videos actually because um, one of the feedbacks on YouTube was the guy on the right has got Steven Tyler's smile. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's that's funny. I, I don't I don't read the comments, but oh, that's cool. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And then, we have, I, we I had to go back fun, and watch. I had to go back and watch the video, and you have a... Uh, because you smile all the time, it's kind of right there. So it's brilliant. brilliant. I love it. I love it. It, ke- it keeps us young, you know? It, it's wonderful to have that have that outlet. I mean, to be able to, to sit and and write a song, you know, with, you know, with your best friend and love that song and go out and be able to play that song for people, like, in a, in a live setting, I, I wish everybody could know what that feels like. Brilliant. Also, while searching online obviously with your music. I, I came across the lyrics, but I haven't been able to find a song yet, but you did a song for the holiday special. <laughs> yes. Well, that was, yeah, that I, I, I wrote just, I, I don't know what came over me, but this, this was years, years back. I wrote, it was, it was the, the day of uh, one of the anniversaries of the, the star Wars holiday special. And I wrote, uh, I just wrote a lyric to the tune of uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And it's so if you sang, you could sing the lyric over Sgt. Pepper and and, uh, and I'm friends with Steve Sansweet. And I sent I sent it to him, you know, just as a gag. You know, I said, I said, you know, here, you know, happy anniversary. You know, <laughs> I think I, I wrote when I sent it to him and and, uh, and he was like, this is great. He's, he's like, you mind if they use this on the blog? And uh, I said, sure, if you want, you know, and and they ran it. They ran it on the on the Star Wars blog and uh, io9 picked it up. And uh, yeah, that was my very, very brief uh, <laughs> moment of moment of uh, infamy attached to the uh, the holiday special, which I which I which is, you know, obviously terrible. But 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 I love I love the holiday special. I'll always have a place in my. Uh, yeah, I was going to get onto that in a sec because um, I know you're quite defensive of it, aren't you? But as as far as the song goes, where can I find it to listen to it? Um, it doesn't exist. I, I never recorded it. 
I just wrote um, I just wrote a set of lyrics that you could sing over the oh. over the holiday special. It, it doesn't exist as as a recording, unfortunately. Well, for the Vintage Rebellions um, holiday special this year, we've just been discussing offline about. Uh, Jess suggested you and Bate doing like a, a classic Christmas carol, but maybe um, you could record that as well. It'd be brilliant. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> I'd love love to hear that on there. Yeah, sure. Everybody I talk to absolutely slates the holiday special. Defend it. Tell me well, why it is such a great piece. Well, I, it, it, it's always going to have a, a place in my heart for me personally. I mean, it, it is terrible. I mean, it's not. There's no denying that the holiday special is is uh, is truly awful. I mean, I, I equate it often to uh, you know. Have you seen uh, the Ring? Yeah. Yeah. So I equate it to that. It, it's sort of the the videotape that keeps circulating throughout the world, reaping souls. You know, it, it's 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 kind of like that. It's it's gloriously terrible. You know, and I and I've 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 showed it to uh, my son, and he just he can't get you know he can't get past the first you know five, ten minutes of, of it, you know, where you have, like, Chewie's uh, wife and son and father, you know, all all talking to each other in, in, in Shrewook in, and not, uh, and there not being any subtitles, you know, on it. It's, it's just painful. But the whole, the whole thing is, I, I see that it as, I've done this with people where I give them the holiday special challenge, which is you must sit and watch the whole thing in one, it, watch the whole thing in one sitting. You can't break it up. You can't stop. You can't get up. You have to sit and watch the whole thing at once. And and only a handful of people who I know have actually completed this challenge. I I, I would <laughs> I love I love putting that challenge out there for for people to uh, to, to attempt because it is by no means easy. It is like getting a, a tattoo on your eyelids. Sure, I just want to defend the uh, the era of the holiday special because I mean we're not too dissimilar in age. Of these two youngsters with us, and um, but it was it, it was kind of the the that sort of show that was typical in the day, where it's got like a variety performance of things not taken particularly seriously. I mean, you know, the, you had like the Osmond show and stuff over here, where where you know everything was always a bit of a pastiche, a bit of a Mickey take, and you know you had like the Morecambe Wise show and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, and, and and they brought in popular you know things at the time so it might be a james bond theme or something you know along those lines so and, and i think i think it's it's kind of like a it's kind of a representation of time and place i mean you couldn't mm-hmm. get away with it now but at the time you know a bit of singing a bit of dancing a bit of dressing up like an idiot and i think it, i think at the time it fitted in i, I think people forget that with, with with that holiday special yes it was silly but you know at the, right. at the end of the day it was i don't know <laughs> No, you're right. You're right. That's that. That's a great point. It is definitely of its time. Like like when you watch it, I think it was because it we're a little bit far removed. To your point, we're a little bit far removed from that era now, where you know everything was a, a goofy, you know, fun variety show back then. And you, I don't think, and and at the time too, I don't think that's quite what we were expecting <laughs> when it when it aired. I mean, because because you have to remember. Growing up with the original trilogy, especially in the 70s, like there was no home video uh, until the, the early 80s. In between films, all you had were the mostly what you all you had was the Marvel comics. Yeah, absolutely. So to get to get you through. So when they announced that they were, there was going to be a, a Star Wars, like a two hour Star Wars, new Star Wars TV show. You know, you just went, what? You know, like, really? Like, uh, that that was mind-blowing. Like, like when, when you were, 
eight years old that it was going to be, oh my God, there's going to be a two hour Star Wars show, like new Star Wars content for the, you know, and it just, your expectations couldn't help but be, you know, super high. Was it heavily um, advertised in America at the time? Um, not any more than than uh, than any special event on TV would have been. It wasn't like you know, it wasn't treated on like Super Bowl type levels like you think it might have been. It really it was just like you found out about it. It was going to be on, but but still, it was a it was a big event for Star Wars fans only because there really was nothing else. So it wasn't really hyped. Um, as uh, an as event TV, I guess, you know, in the wider sense. But for Star Wars fans, it was you know, we, we were it was it was pretty seismic. I mean, we were, we were expecting something, you know, something pretty uh, pretty special. Hey CBS, what's coming on? Friday, blast off to a galaxy far, far away. It's the Star Wars Holiday Special, starring all your Star Wars favorites. Will Chewbacca get home to his planet in time for the big Wookiee holiday celebration? Watch and find out. Then on Flying High, the girls put it on and take it off. You know what? What? I don't think either one of us is going to get much sleep tonight. Join us for a far-out Friday, beginning at 8, 7 Central and Mountain. You're on. Tomorrow on CBS. Well, that age of variety TV, obviously later you had the Muppet Show as well with uh, Luke Skywalker coming on to the Muppet Show. But, Sean, whilst we're throwing out challenges and this, that and the other, and yeah, I look forward to the uh, 12 days of Gimcrack, um, <laughs> if you're so passionate about the holiday special, perhaps, maybe, you could do a commentary podcast um, so you can really, really convince people oh. about how great it is. And I'm sure <laughs> if someone's going to go through watching the holiday special, oh my god, oh, yeah, god. let's have this character. Just, I, yeah. by no means of, uh, would I would I say that that I that the holiday special is brilliant because it isn't. But but that would be that would be really funny to do. Let's do it. I think that's a yes. <laughs> okay. yeah. So that's that's three challenges. We've had, we've only been on ten minutes. Jeez, please. <laughs> I'm going to start making a list, Sean. Okay. Why is it making me work? Yeah, somebody's <laughs> got to buy me a pint when all this is. If you do all that, I'll definitely buy you one. <laughs> Go on, next celebration, we'll be doing shots, mate, and talking politics like usual. Ooh, oh, jeez, no. No more of that. I learned my lesson the first time. <laughs> so, the year before the holiday special, obviously, Star Wars hits the screen in America. Uh, you were a great age for going and seeing it, seven years old. I would say that's kind of prime age. Did you see it in the theater that year? I sure did. Yeah, I saw it in July of 77. Uh, My my Aunt Lynn took me to see it at uh, Fox Plaza Theater in Staten Island, Staten Island, New York, where I live, and uh, which is gone now. But uh, it was just a a mind-blowing thing to witness when you were seven years old. I, I, I said this on, uh, on Steve Danley's, uh, uh, Star Wars at the movies podcast, which is excellent, which you should definitely check out. True story. Um, but, but, but I told him, I told him as, as I told him about this, I can divide my life into three parts before I saw Star Wars, after I saw Star Wars and after my son was born. So it, it had that much of a profound effect on me, like seeing it at that age and just, you know, coming out and your entire, you know, my entire consciousness was just completely expanded. You know, I just felt like, wow, if you 
if you work hard and you're true to your friends and you believe in yourself and, and uh, do right by people and apply yourself and stand up against tyranny and, and you know, and do all the right things, you know, anything is possible for you. And, and that's, that's, that's what I got out of it. And so it was. It was. It was just a, a, an amazing thing. They, they had the um, the program was available. The, the theatrical program was there. I remember it was five dollars. Got that and went home and devoured it. And you know, it's just I was instantly hooked. I became that that kid at school who was like you know obsessed with completely obsessed with Star Wars all the time. Did you get to see it again? I'm not sure I saw it again that summer, but I saw most of the re-releases. Because I remember seeing all the the Empire teasers in the theater. I remember seeing both both Empire teasers in the theater. So yeah, so I definitely saw the the re-releases. You, you come out of the theater that that time. Did the toys become an instant must-have? The toys, you know, the, there were no there was there weren't no, there wasn't a whole lot of um, there weren't a whole lot of collectibles around at the time. I I, I remember. Maybe the day before or the day that I saw A New Hope, they had um, we went to Kmart and they had uh, a bunch. Of, it was like a, a poster set with uh, with colored markers. We like you know colored this black and white line art of. Uh, remember one was Obi Wan fighting Vader on the Death Star, and I think the other one might have been like a stormtrooper on a Dubak. I want to say. And I remember coloring it, or vividly remember coloring the the Ben and and, uh, and Vader, uh, you know, sheet like the day that I went to see it, and not even knowing who these characters are, <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, this is this just looks so cool, and I was, you know, I remember uh, coloring that in the the day that I went to I got taken to see it. So that was July, but by by the fall, it wasn't. There were puzzles, you know, Kenner had puzzles, and. Um, I think of what else was around. Posters. I had like the I had the the Luke that that Luke classic Luke poster where he's like you know shooting past the camera and it's it's got like a uh, it's a factors poster and it's got a blue background and it says Luke Skywalker on it. I remember having that on my wall. That back then it was uh, it was a whole big industry around iron on T-shirts. You know, there were like just shops where you'd go and, and just you, there there were like a million different designs on the wall, and you you picked one out and they and they you know put it in a big press and and made a, a an iron on T-shirt for you. And they had I remember like all the different T-shirt designs that they had. But beyond that, there really wasn't a and and yeah, I think I think at that point and and obviously they had the novelization and the comics. But other than that, there really wasn't a lot to consume. You know, we all had we all had like a Star Wars lunchbox that fall, and then I remember the I remember the the early bird kit. I remember seeing it in um, in the store. I remember it was uh, and I, and I I have to I have to correct my own memory from from what I said on Steve's show. It actually originally I said it was Sears. It was actually a store called A and S. It was like A ampersand S, and I remember seeing the early bird kid in their toy department. Of course, I told my mom about it and, and she was like, oh, that's, that's a ripoff. That's <laughs> like, there aren't even any toys in it. That's junk. You know, you don't, you know, you don't need that. By the, by the time my birthday's in February. Right. And so, so she said, by the time your birthday comes, you know, those toys will probably be out by then. Star Wars figures. R2-D2. 
Chewbacca, Luke, and Princess Leia. They're the Star Wars early bird set of figures. These action figures are not yet available, but this Star Wars early bird certificate package is in stores. With this colorful Star Wars picture display stand and certificate to send in to get a set of figures by mail. They'll be sent to you at home between February 1st and June 1st. The Star Wars Early Bird Certificate Package, new from Kenner. Did you know anyone that got the early bird? I didn't. I didn't. Nah. I did have a lot of, like, you know, other friends as a kid who were, like, as into it as I was. You know, so I was kind of, like, in my own world with this with this kind of thing for a very long time. Did any of your toys kind of, like, um, I'm sure you had other toys, did they ever sort of mix up for Star Wars toys? I mean, I, I had a... I think for for me for several years, Luke Skywalker was my evil Knievel toy until they actually came out in the shops. Um, so you know, various things kind of doubled up as the Falcon or, or whatever until either you know several years later I actually got that toy. Did you have anything like Planet of the Apes toys which you you did your Star Wars play with, or was it? You know? Yeah, I had the. Uh, um, you know what? The, they were Fisher Price had these um, action figures that were about the same height. I've got a load of them. Like right, they were about the same scale. I remember there was like a, the adventure series thing. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like the diver who was in like the blue wetsuit. Yeah, right? I think I still have that somewhere. Yeah, I used I used those guys. It was sort of supplemental uh, Star Wars uh, Star Wars figures. What did you use, Pete? Oh, you said Evil Knievel. Yeah, and a variety of play people kind of mixed up with them. The the, the Playmobil um, stuff because you had lots of vehicles and I think like it was the I think I've said it before there was like a um, a show a, a, a riverboat and that was that was my skiff for quite a few years mm. <laughs> I never actually got skiff because it had the railings on the side so it looked a bit skiffy skiffy as a word <laughs> skiffy <laughs> skiff I love it. <laughs> to, to be honest with you, Pete hasn't actually changed. Um, he's actually got quite a bad Barbie doll fetish now. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I'll let you him send some of his photos that he's sent me. <laughs> <laughs> he's Stu, a bit of a... Stu, Stu loves them. <laughs> yeah, you're a wrong one. Yeah, but don't also, send them. So, I mean, Star Wars didn't come out over here. I mean, you were talking about July of '77. I mean, we really didn't get it until. I mean, yes, it was premiered at the end of the year, but I mean, I didn't see it until well, it wasn't in my local cinema until February of '78. So, are you Americans again with your? films coming out here. <laughs> <laughs> well you know we, we are we are a little ethnocentric that way i guess sorry into 78 then the figures start to hit the store shelves yeah do you remember your first dealings with them do you remember what your first figure was where you got it i've thought about this i i i want to say that my first figures i want to say were r2 and 3po I'm almost sure that, I, I, and I've thought about this. I've racked my brain trying to remember exactly what the first figures were that I got. But my earliest memories of of playing with those toys were uh, the 3PO and R2, which I still have. Miraculously, I, I still have my uh, my original 3PO and R2, and, th- and that's like one of the you know the things I'd grab in a fire, you know, kind of things that those those, those would be a marble at their bottoms. Yeah. Do I, with your, what? what? Does, your, does your R2 have a marble up its bottom? I was going to say, does my auntie have a bar- what? what are <laughs> your R2 have, uh, uh, does uh, have a marble up its bottom. Uh, I, for some bizarre reason, all my, my, all my like droids have marbles up there, you know, the, the end hole, should we say. And uh, I don't know why. I must have had some kind of weird thing about I, I just wondered whether you, you were going to join the club. I, I think that says everything we need to know about you, Pete, I think. <laughs> That's why it sits in a shed. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but no, it, it, it does not have a marble in his uh, posterior. That's, that's, that's a shame. That's a whole other interview and a whole other podcast, man. 
<laughs> Do you know he actually wrote that question down on his show notes for tonight? Yeah. What can I ask Sean? Does he put a marble in his R2? <laughs> <laughs> Just...
pop up one with the blue snaggletooth. Got those both that Christmas. And that that <laughs> that's tough to beat <laughs> at any age, you know, and and just you know, again, it was like the only place you would see, you know, new toys. The only thing the only thing you came close to seeing what toys were gonna look like coming down the road was the Sears uh, catalog. Christmas catalog would come out every September. And I always looked forward to that like crazy because that was the only place that you were going to see what the next Star Wars toys were going to look like, you know, five months down the line, you know, and uh, no, four, four months down the line. And I remember seeing the Death Star Space Station for the first time in that catalog and just going, oh, my God, look at this. And, and that remains my, my favorite playset. Love that thing. Love that thing. And I, I remember going to uh, going to. I don't know why I have a memory of this, but I, I went to, you know, you go to like other kids' birthday parties, you know, in, in, in grade school. And I remember, for whatever reason, this sticks in my head that one day we bring in, you know, you got to bring a gift, you know, like to, uh, to your friend's birthday party. And I remember, I think we gave him two carded figures and one was a power droid. <laughs> and it had the, had the Fed offer, you know, the mail-in Fed offer on the front. And then Christmas in 79, I remember getting you know you come down and santa's brought you stuff and uh, i came down and there was a, a a shirt box under the tree and i, and I remember going going up oh, it's a shirt box oh, what is that you know and i open it up and there's four carded figures in it yeah that, that was that that's a that's a that's a sweet memory sure you mentioned earlier on about the r2d2 and the c3po that you still had those so mm-hmm. i take it have you got the whole collection i have okay so when after 83 84 i was about 13 14 and you know after after return of the jedi came out it was it was pretty much it was pretty much understood that they if they that probably weren't going to be any more star wars movies and if there were it was going to be a long time you know before any came out and um sort of everything around star wars wound down and you know you're getting into you know your teenage years at that point and when you're you know at that age you're not you know you're not playing with your Star Wars, you know, figures anymore. At least I wasn't. You go, you, know, you adapt, you know, other inter- adopt other interests, and you know, you kind of, you know, live your live your teenage years out. And then when I was 22, that's when uh, Steve Sansweet's um, From Concept to Screen to Collectibles came out. Collectible came out, and I remember seeing it in the bookstore in Walden Books. I remember that, and and seeing that book on the shelf, and there's no if you've seen that book, there's no type on the on the cover. It's just the Vader case. You know, some of it's black, some of it's gold. Pretty brave design choice when you think about it. But I saw that and I went, "What is that?" You know, because that that's so iconic as as a Star Wars collector. Like that speaks to you. And I went and I picked it up and I was like, "There's a book about Star Wars toys." <laughs> I was like this? What really? And and then I, and then like and uh, Heir to the Empire was out and um everything and in dark empire would would come out the following year and and i i said to my mom i said i said um you know get grow instantly nostalgic again for all you know for all the stuff and i went asked my mom you know did we keep anything you know and uh it took me up in the attic and god bless her she kept my vader case and inside it were all my original vintage figures um uh, we'll kept it she kept god bless her she kept it all she kept my uh well she kept all my original figures she kept 
my vintage Falcon, my Imperial Troop Transport, which, which as odd as it may sound, rem- remains my favorite vehicle. I think, I think that's it in terms of uh, what got saved. Because I don't think I ever had an X-Wing, and I didn't have a, I didn't have a TIE Fighter. I wasn't big on vehicles, really. Well, see, you know? th- that was going to be my next question. That Did you supplement your playing with Lego? Was Lego part of your life growing up as a kid? I loved Legos when I was when uh, when I was like five and six, and yeah, I remember I got what did I have? It was it was the it was like a spaceship, I think. Yeah. That uh, yeah, you had the uh, Benny, the 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 blue astronaut. Like I had that ship, whatever that was. But no, I, I didn't really play with them together. For the, for the most part, Star Wars was kind of separate from everything else. But I mean, you took those toys everywhere. I mean, that was like you know they and. What what's so funny is like the reason why there are so few mint examples, especially loose examples from from that era. And you have to remember that that there was like I'm trying to remember what the exact number is, but I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of, of uh, 350. I think is is the exact number. I asked I asked Steve about this once, and he he told me. But I, I, it escapes me. I'll circle back on it. But I think it's the 350 million. Star Wars figures were sold between 78 and 85. And the reason why so few mint examples exist is because those toys were loved. You know, those toys got, got a lot of play. I mean, they, they, they went with you to the beach and in the bathtub and in, you know, in the creek down the street, you know, or like in the dirt in the yard or whatever. Like those, those, those toys got, you know, got, really thoroughly played with you know do you think sean that we we kind of don't appreciate that as much as we should do that that's uh, we're all after these mint figures and mint ships and mint everything else and actually you know the 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 real star wars toys and figures were the beaten up stuff and the stuff that is covered in <laughs> covered in crap well um, you know, i had that's a great question i i i i see it from a different perspective because i i grew up with it you know so to me they were they were they were toys you know, to open and play with and, and, you know, and cherish. Whereas, you know, guys who are, you know, in, who didn't grow up then or in, in the hot, maybe just coming into the hobby now, like in their, you know, early 20s or whatever, like I, they, they see it as like, they didn't have that experience. So I understand why the, there's such a deep fascination with, with vintage Kenner toys and wanting to get them in, in his most pristine, um, condition as possible because they they never had the experience of walking into a toy store and buying a, a 12 pack off the pecs you know they didn't have that i i was fortunate to have that experience we had a we had a toy store called uh, smiling sunnies in staten island where, where yeah and it was like a mom and pop toy store and you would um they were known for two things they had all the corgi cars they had like a like a crazy uh, like this big display case full of like you know corgi and matchbox cars, and they had a uh, couple of pegs worth of Star Wars figures, and that was the place you went to get like the latest figures. Like the newest stuff was always there. They always had like a great supply of like newer toys. I remember I remember getting my my uh, my Yoda there, like when Yoda first came out, and like going home and like opening it up and like you know 
putting it on my surfboard in, in, in the pool. You know what I mean? And, and, and like, it, it's, you know, I, I have those memories. You know what I mean? I, I remember exactly what that was like to go home and pull that, pull that figure off the card, you know, and, and pull the snake off and play with it. Like, so I'm seeing it through a different prism than someone who's younger now and, and is just discovering this stuff and going, wow, this is the charm of these toys. is just unbelievable. And, and they, you know, so they want to go out and spend crazy amounts of money for, you know, a 12 back and stuff. And, and so I can, I, I see it from both sides. I mean, I, you know, to me, there were toys and I, I only have like a couple of, I only have a couple of carded figures. Now I have a, um, I just bought an, an AFA 85, uh, R2 sensor scope off, uh, Darren McAleese at, at, at room sales this year at, at celebration and which which is which is beautiful it's a return of the jedi card i think it's a, i want to say it's a 77 back and i and i and i love it it's gorgeous but you know other than that like i don't have you know and i have like a couple of you know beaters you know like you know on uh, figures that are still sealed on beater cards that i've put in um ian sanderson's uh you know display cases that that, that look dynamite that look great but i don't you know that's that's not a real huge pursuit for me, like in my collection, because you know I kind of had that experience. You know, like I grew up with those toys, so it's not as important to me to have like a, a carded collection. Does you do you um, encourage your son to pop them off the card, as in uh, modern stuff, or does he uh, does he keep them pristine in their cases? He no, he doesn't. <laughs> he would much rather rip something open and play with it. You know. <laughs> So, yeah, but my my son's cool about it. He understands that you know I I've raised him to understand that you know hey some a lot of stuff and we play with with my old toys and some new toys all the time. You know like play is important and 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 we we play with those toys you know pretty regularly. But there's some he understands that there are some things that you know okay this we play with most of it, but you know there are there are some things that let's 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 leave that in the package. You know, and and mo- most of the time he's he's cool about it. But I am by no means a a, a let's not open this okay, type, cool. type of dad because I, I I don't know. I toys toys are meant to be for for me personally. Toys are meant to be played with. Yeah. Now, Pete, you did actually want to discuss the shops in his local area, didn't you? <laughs> we did actually pre-talk about this. I, I didn't know whether we'd be on the hit list if we, we did talk about it or not. But there was a certain shop that uh, Sean mentions in a. An interview on Stephen Danner's um, podcast, which was a place you used to buy your your comics from, which had a rather, rather bad end. <laughs> well, yes, uh, yeah, you're talking about Paul's Sweet Shop in in uh, in Staten Island. That was uh, that was like a, a soda shop, you know, uh, soda shop magazine shop that I used to. Uh, drive my family crazy, you know, making me, uh, making them bring me there to buy, because that was really the, the, the main place where you'd buy comic books was, was Paul's Sweet Shop. They had a crazy selection of, of, of comics and, and, uh, and magazines and stuff. And that was like the place to go to find a lot of that stuff. And, uh, like I bought the, the Empire Strikes Back Marvel adaptation there, like the, uh, the digest size one and, and mostly ruined the movie for myself. <laughs> before, because I read it before before I saw the movie. But uh, yeah, w- w- you you're referring to the uh, the because it, it was acquired after I stopped going there around like uh, it was around eighty five. I want to say right, Pete. They, they, it was it was uh, 
acquired by uh, you know acquired by the mob <laughs> by by someone who was in the mob. And uh, there was a, a rather unfortunate incident with, in which they found a uh, a uh, body in the basement of someone who they had uh, whacked. Yeah, I mean, it, it actually became, you read the stories, it actually became a front for a, a mob operation. Yeah. So it's quite an unfortunate end. But I mean, just going to the comic side of things. I mean, I mean, I think you kind of touched on it earlier. For me, Marvel Comics was literally what the internet is now. It was the only place you would get information on Star Wars with the letters pages where people would ask questions and go, hey, when's the next Star Wars film coming out? I mean, especially over here with the, with the comics we had, th- that was it. I mean, you might get the odd snippet in a newspaper. Your dad might go, oh, look, there's a new Star Wars film coming out. But that, that was the internet of Star Wars. There was no other way of reaching out and joining in with other Star Wars kind of human beings. That, that was it, wasn't it, really? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's true. I, I forgot about the, the letters pages, which I would always read. Yeah, for that reason, because you'd actually, yeah, that was the only place that you were going to find Star Wars news, you know. Specifically, Star Wars news on a monthly basis. Yeah, I was trying to I was trying to cover the headline for Sean about you know his obvious involvement with the mob and uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe Jesus, him in some way. But we, we wouldn't <laughs> that alone. Sean Mobbyhan. Oh my God! Please don't. I, I I I we. But I'll tell you, we we did play a gig once, two gigs actually, at a at a uh, bar restaurant in. New Jersey, right over the bridge, right over the outer bridge in, in New Jersey that I, I later found out was uh, was a, a money laundering operation. It was was a, it was a front? It was a front for the mob, and it was it was a money laundering organization that was uh, going on while we were. It was a lot of some kind of shady. It always looked like there were shady dealings going on as as we were playing. But uh, you know, I, I was concentrating on playing, so I wasn't really. Paying too close attention, but but just we would playing, Sean just keep playing, ignore yeah, everything. just keep playing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like tunnel vision, you know. Just let's just you know get through the gig and don't ask questions. They pay, they always paid us, they always paid us in cash, so it was, it was fine. Oh, of course. <laughs> Marlon Monaghan, isn't it? I mean, you, we could do some sort of Sean Father um, artistry on that peach. Oh my god, know, the Sean oh, Father what? Three, you know. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! Ah, oh, dearie me. Any ties between me and the mafia is strictly coincidental. And and, and and the fact that I grew up in Staten Island, which is, you know, it when you see the when you see the house in the in the Godfather movies, like where they have the wedding stuff in the beginning, that's all not even ten minutes from where I live. I've and actually been to Staten Island, Sean, believe it or not. Have you? I basically did the Staten Island ferry, saw the, the uh Statue of Liberty, and then went straight back in. That was my <laughs> That was my that was my adventure in Staten Island. But two you set, seconds. You, you set foot on Staten Island soil, and then you and then you turned around and, and got back on the ferry again. All right, it's, that's fine. Well, it's, that's it's it's the cheap way to see the stuff that looks like actually going into it. So it's quite a nice view. And then you go back, and then that's it, right? Staten Island ferry is is the the best for me. Is the best uh, tourist buy, probably maybe in the world because it's free. Yeah. So you get on, and you just have this wonderful ride to stand outside and you see the Statue of Liberty up close and you know you could just you could sit outside and have a beer and that's how I get to work you know <laughs> I, I, I commute I do, I do every day I commute on the ferry top and, tip uh, top tourist tips there you know, you know I do think Sean is connected to the mob because um, instead of a horse's head on a pillow it was a Chewbacca mask it was one of those laughing <laughs> Chewbacca mask things that's what I definitely heard that somewhere do you guys mostly collect uh, vintage, or are you into the the Power of the Force era stuff too? 
all all sorts of modern I've got. All, I'm crazy. What about you, Justin? Is that is that is that a this modern era? No, not so mark? much. For me, it's just all yeah. about the um, it's all about the original vintage stuff. And don't oh, get me wrong, oh, I was oh, the. Why don't you go on say? about modern what you had put to grant and we've got we've got a thread on facebook <laughs> exactly what you've said about modern come on literally jess. 48 hours ago jess um, come on jess I, I, I don't know is it repeatable i mean i don't know i said about modern you don't understand why any one of our age group would yeah, collect modern i, I don't get it because i'm i i'm exactly the same as you sean that you know i was the kid in school the thermos kid the kid with the sticker album doing all the swapsies and and when people thought of star wars back then if there had been facebook yeah i would have been tagged so i'm massive super fan fan of the movies probably watch the movies just as much if not more than any of the guys on the podcast but i just don't get the appeal of buying um <laughs> modern toys i don't get it really you should uh, yeah. you should leave a horse's head on jez's pillow rich <laughs> could probably get you one because he beats horses up he does what's this uh, what's this suddenly willy wanging competition there jez about how much of a fan you are what's all that about <laughs> he's just he's just trying to convince himself Pete. clearly it's not that oh, it's, yeah. it's the vintage it's rebellion it's not the whatever toys r us is selling today rebellion not for long sorry ah. toys r us um, but it's 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 the Vintage Rebellion, guys. Come yeah. on, if you love modern, do another podcast. Wow. <laughs> well, there, there you go. Where do you go from there? <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. Who's taking right, a blue out of your milk? All right, I, I, won't, I won't talk at all about how I have a, um, a, a mostly complete uh, loose run, then, of the 95 to present era. Uh, I, I, won't, I won't get into Do that. you really? Yeah. So how, how, how many figures does that entail? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, I, I'd say. I, well, I don't want to say. I, I'm probably overstating it. I don't. Want, I don't want to say I have a nearly loose run, but I probably got like it's probably about eighty five percent of the modern era loose. Do you have them all on display? I used to. I'll send you some photos. I, I used to have most of it on display. But then you're not one over, and you're not the lot over, and you couldn't be. I've got to know, Sean. Do you have a Delia Blue? Uh, I that's the Zeltron, right? From the the two pack. Yeah, she's like blue. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, well, not well. She's red, isn't she? Isn't that sort of the joke? Like her name is Adelia Blue, but she's a Zeltron. <laughs> her skin, her skin is red. We're probably talking about. Jez is thinking. Yeah, yeah. I think I've got one of her cookbooks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was thinking she's the you know, boss of Norwich City Football Club. I just want to confuse Jez. I'm pretty sure I do, Peter. I I, I got to look that. Fantastic. Yeah, find out. I want to know. Right. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bring it back a little bit. Yeah, bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you remember the Power of the Force era in America? Because obviously at that point you would have been when were they out? 85. So you would have been 15. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was starting to age out of uh, of my junior collecting at that point, and uh, I don't think I ever saw those those card backs in a in a store at that point i was you know obviously i was getting to be you know getting into music and you know girls and you know all, all the usual stuff that you're chasing when you're 15 so I, I i can't say i was really uh going to toys r us or smiling sundays anymore so i wasn't uh i wasn't really privy to to seeing those toys in, in the store 
at that point. I actually when I when I picked up uh, from concept to screen to collectible, I think that might have been the first time where I actually saw like the Luke Stormtrooper and uh, and the Yak Face and a lot of like the the stuff that had come out at the very end of of the run of Buchanan run. That was like actually the first time. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm almost sure that was the first time I was seeing any of the stuff that came out. Uh, post eighty three because I hadn't seen any of the droids figures or or the Ewok stuff either. Do you, do you remember those being on the telly, the cartoons? Was it that past you by as well? Uh, yeah, I, I had. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't really aware of those at the time. Years later, I, I picked up. Uh, this is when you, you could go to shows and and, and they actually sold uh, uh, VHS bootleg tapes, which you don't see it shows anywhere anyway, because it's such an outdated format, but I remember picking up uh, the Droids TV special of uh, uh, The Great Heap it was called, and uh, I remember picking that up in my early 20s, and that's that's a hoot. That's like that's where R2-D2 meets like the, the female droid and they have a little moment at the end. It's pretty <laughs> kind of twisted, but, but uh yeah, that, that's 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 my that's my only real exposure to uh, to the droids collection. Brilliant! I, I thought you'd be quite into them being a holiday special fan. I thought you were there. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not a masochist. I, I, I don't I don't I don't uh, indulge myself in in all the bad Star Wars. Just 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 some of it. <laughs> what about um, as we'll, we'll go with Pete's uh, Pete's expression, gim crack? What about the old mm-hmm. oddball stuff? Do you do you like that now? Do you appreciate it? Do you do you purchase it? You said about the Burger King glasses earlier. Earlier, mm-hmm. do you have any of them? I do. Yeah, I I, I completed my uh, my loose collection of the glasses around 2001. I remember um, wanting at the time to complete that run, and I did. And that was that was back when you could still do it pretty cheaply. Um, but I love those, yeah. And and I, I still display those now. I love those glasses. My probably my favorite uh, gim crack. There was a um, at Burger King when they had with the fast food promotions that they were doing for uh, Revenge of the Sith. There was a, a plush, a little like about three inch high plush Jawa. If you remember this, that if you if you squeeze his stomach, his eyes light up. And that that I absolutely love that piece. It is it is to me it is just everything that it elicits the same joy in me that that it, you know my vintage figures did when I was a kid. I don't ask me why, but you know like it's such a it's such a goofy, fun, wonderful little collectible that you know whenever I see it, you know it it, it really it makes me smile. It's great, such a fun little piece. Perhaps we need to get Jez one so he can appreciate a bit of modern. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it, it does not. It, it does not scream uh, modern. It's just. It's just a fun piece. Sure. What, what was your? What were your feelings then? When so after Return of the Jedi? Yeah, it wasn't too many years behind you. But when it got to that, for me personally, it was like, well, a bunch of funny furry bears. Star Wars is probably over for my my age group, and that's probably it. And of course, there was no films really kind of planned. What was your what was your feelings then? Were you, were you kind of grown out of Star Wars and that was it? Or were you still sort of hoping that the rumours were true that there were more films coming out? Or do you kind of just abandon it and go down the go down other things like music and girls and stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you don't you don't just wake up one day and decide, you know, this is kid stuff. I don't want this anymore. It just sort of just sort of faded into the background yeah. of my life. It wasn't like I made a conscious decision to get rid of it. It's just that you know you start getting a little older and you're and then you're an adolescent you're you know in in your adolescence and you're enjoying other things and 
you know, you develop other interests. I got like heavily into music and and uh, you know and that sort of thing, and and taking music lessons and everything, and and I and it just sort of faded into the background of of my you know my life. So it just for for so many of us who grew up in that era, it was just you know it just kind of faded away. You know, I I, I never I didn't have any uh, I didn't really have any high hopes that there were going to be any more Star Wars movies at that point. I just thought you know. Because I loved Jedi, loved it, and then when that was gone, you know, it's like I don't, I don't even think I saw Jedi more than twice in the movies that year, and that was it, you know. And then we just, you know, we all just got on with our lives, and it wasn't like I said, it wasn't until years and years later when, you know, because I heard about, and I remember, I remember hearing about Heir to the Empire, you know, when that came out, and thinking like. Wow, that's really interesting. Really, they did that? They they came they came out with a, a book, really? Like about post post Return of the Jedi? Like what yeah, because you know you never stopped I never stopped loving it. It just wasn't top of mind anymore. But once there was more once there was new product out there and you know, real new content for you to you know, that out there for you to consume, I said, Wow, this is could I get this into Star Wars again? And the answer, the answer was pretty apparent. You know, like I, I, you know, I read Steve's book and later, you know, got to know him and and, uh, and read. Once I read Dark Empire, like the following year in '93, it was that that uh, that summer. Is is a funny story for you. That that summer, I got my jaw broken, and uh, that so I I I was recuperating and I read Dark Empire at home and I just met, I was just blown away by how great dark empire was for me personally. I loved it. And, uh, and that was sort of the tipping point for, you know, for getting me back into star Wars full throttle. We need to know about how the jaw was broken. Let's not <laughs> was this a bar brawl or someone stopped, stopped your stormtrooper, or, you know, what, what happened here? I got in a car accident with uh, with um, uh, a gentleman who was much larger than me, and uh, he and it was late, and I was coming home from being out with my friends, and, and I was waiting. So of course there were no. This is ninety three, so there were no cell phones, and we're and we're just hanging around waiting for waiting for a, a, a policeman to show up. And he, this guy was uh, huge, and he was juiced out of his brain. And he and he got he got in my face one too many. He was really itching to start a fight with me, and he got in my face one too many times. And and I and I was like, listen! And, and, like, <laughs> and the guy knocked me out with one shot. He knocked me out. I, I came to, and I was on my back, and he was pummeling me in the face. <laughs> and, was, and God, God rest his soul, my buddy Chris Seidenberg was, was on his way home at the same time and saw the accident, and he stopped too. God rest his soul. Chris Seidenberg saved my life that night. He he, he pulled the guy off me, and and, and I, I remember I spit out a tooth. And and and, and the next then the next day I, I went to the emergency room and I found out my jaw was broken. Oh my goodness! That that is an experience I would not wish on my worst enemy. It's <laughs> believable. Because then I had to have my jaw wired shut for yeah. seven weeks. If you've ever had your jaw wide shut, that and that that is that that's a way to lose weight. I'll tell you what, because all you can because all you can eat are shakes, you know, for the oh, seven weeks. Yeah, all you can eat are like you know you don't know what insure tastes like until like that's all you can you know all you can consume. 
for seven weeks at a clip. Baby food, you look at baby food in a whole different way. <laughs> because that's, you know, that's that's all you can eat when you draw by a shop. Stu, punch me. I want to lose some weight. <laughs> oh, my God. I really don't know where to go with that because I was just about to talk about Caravan of Courage and Sindel and stuff like this. And suddenly yeah. we're talking about smashed up jaws. That's a great story. <laughs> it's the best interview ever. Hardly any Star Wars, but it's the best interview ever. <laughs> it's Star Wars all the time, but loads of Star Wars. I don't know about Sindel. <laughs> Anyone know Sindel? She's hot now. Is Sindel the, the little um, little blonde girl from uh, from the from the from Caravan of Courage? Yeah, the curly hair thing. Yeah, doesn't she grow up to be um, Phasma? Isn't that the whole fan theory? Really? <laughs> I'm you here. What a mug. That would be awesome. Really? Seriously? Is, isn't, isn't, that, isn't that the fan theory, that she grows up to be Captain Phasma? I hope so. I've, I've seen that. I, I've, I've seen people posit that. Which would just be the most, right? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that just be the greatest, like, mind-blowing origin <laughs> story like for, for, for Phasma if they did that? Suddenly, Is... Courage will be redone. Is Caravan of Courage and the other one canon now? No, I think I said it wasn't, wasn't it? I don't think so. Those got three theatrical releases in other parts of the world, too, those Ewok movies. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was on my local cinema. I don't think they ever showed it on TV. Well, I didn't show it on TV at the time. There was definitely a cinema release. I'm pretty, pretty sure of that. It was definitely released in Germany. Mm. Sure it was my local, because they showed any old rubbish. <laughs> I mean, any old amazing films about Ewoks, which were really irritating. But I, I love. To, but to answer your question about, about like the stuff I love to collect now, I love eccentric stuff, like things that are you know a little unusual. Like there's one of my favorite things is, is um, there was when they were filming uh, the the scenes around uh, the sail barge, Java sail barge. When they were filming those, they filmed them in in Yuma, Arizona, and they the local paper, the local newspaper was the Sun of of Yuma. I, and I know this because I'm a newspaper guy. The uh, the Yuma Sun, uh, the Sun of Yuma, um, ran a a supplement that is its its own special section of just about the filming of the the sailboat scenes. Cool. So it's a special section of the of the newspaper, like you know, like a pullout section. Yeah. Because the local paper found out that found out that they were that they were going to be filming. So Lucasfilm made a deal with the local paper, and they said, okay, just you can come to this. You can come to the set for a day. You can interview whoever you want, but but you can't publish anything until we're gone. Because local kids were like starting to find out that they were filming there and coming, and they were like you know guys in dune buggies, you know, up in the you know up in the hills like around the site that was like starting to be disrupted. And they said you know you can come for a day. You know you can take photos, and it's all these like amazing photos of like you know the set and actors on the set. And everything, and it's and it's it's amazing. And I, I picked it up, gosh, around. Finally, found one on eBay. You can probably find it. It can't be too hard to find one now. But you, I got mine on eBay maybe around like 2007 ish. I think I got mine, and the thing is awesome. Everybody, it, it's it's so wonderfully obscure, and, and everybody should own. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's it's hard to track down, but it, but it's it's great. It's great. And I have a I have a. Um, I have a painting, an original painting a guy did. I was searching, I had a search, an eBay save search for George Sekul, right? The the, um, the, celebra- the Celebration 2, right? Exclusive figure. 
and it's George Lucas with the with the it's like a George Lucas head on, on an X Wing pilot's body. Yeah. And I was like looking for a loose one. So I had this saved search, this eBay saved search and and I and uh, and in the results one day there was a guy who had done this amazing painting of of George Sekul. <laughs> Right of Lucas, you know, in the in the X-wing outfit, and he's like coming out of the uh, the cockpit of an X-wing, and I was like, man, that is beautiful. Yeah, it was such such a such a. I'll send you a picture of this amazing painting, and I and I so I bid on it, and I think I got it for ten bucks, and you and you and you could see like the brushstrokes, and it is like the original painting that the guy sold, and I was like, this is beautiful. Can you sign it? You know, and he did. And um, fast forward years later, uh, the first time I went to Rancho Obi-Wan, I'm going around and we did the tour with Steve and, and, and it's over and, you know, and I'm showing him pictures of my collection and I, and, uh, I show him the, the George Sekul painting. I said, oh, here's something you might find interesting. And he, and he just goes, oh. <laughs> Steve's like, where did you get that? <laughs> and I said, you know, and I told him the story and he's, and, uh, and he's like, would you sell it? I'm like, no. Some of the prints, exclusive prints. Oh, yeah, man. It, it is It is something, if you made prints of it, it, it is something that, that people would definitely want. We've got to see that. We're, we're yeah. Putting yeah, I'll send it over. Yeah, it'd be great to see that. Sounds amazing. Yeah, no, he was he was just like, wow, what is that? You know, I mean, the guy who has, who has absolutely everything. Yeah, know? I can imagine that look because we were in Anaheim and we presented him with the Star Wars from UK podcast polo shirt with his name on it. And, and the look, I mean, I mean, some might think it was horror and disgust, but I'm pretty convinced it was just absolute admiration and joy when we presented him with this. I think, I think the F-U-K bit might, might have uh, slightly annoyed him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love Steve. Steve is, is like, I love Steve Sandswick because he's so in touch with his own joy over the smallest you know thing you know in his collection like, you, you could be you could be somebody like that who has virtually everything but he'll he still has a story for every piece in his collection you know and he find he still finds so much joy in like in the simplest thing and that's that's really what the what the hobby's all about can i just take you back to your children and, and make you new friends which, which is even which is really the, the very best part of it that's even more Steve, uh, sorry, Steve, <laughs> talk about Steve Sunsu. <laughs> Sean, can I just take you back to your childhood a second? Because um, you mentioned earlier on about when um, you gave a, a Kenner 20 back power droid. But with regards to your own birthday parties, one of the things which I've seen uh, is, is the design where tablecloths, napkins, plates, paper cups, this and the other. Does that ring any bells at all? Did you did you have that sort of stuff as a kid? And, and if so, does that flick your switch now just to to get back some of that again from your childhood? I remember being aware of that kind of thing. I'm not sure I ever... Well, I, I guess I probably must have had, like, a, at least one Star Wars-themed birthday party like that. I had to have, you know, when I was little. But I don't... I can't honestly say that I, I really remember it specifically, which is weird because I have a pretty good memory of, of my childhood. But I don't... I don't... Uh, I probably... The answer is I, I probably did, but, but I, I don't have a specific memory of that i do remember being aware of that stuff because you you know you, i'd go to the mall a lot when i was a kid because i had three um i had three aunts and i spent a lot of time you know hanging out with them while my, my mom was a nurse and she was you know, she worked a lot so like you know spend a lot of time with my aunts and 
you know, you'd go, we'd go to the mall a lot, you know, when it's little, especially in Jersey. And I remember going to the, um, like the card store, you know, and like seeing that kind of stuff there. And I remember seeing a whole big section of Star Wars greeting cards when I was little. I must have, I guess that would maybe must have been, because it was before Empire. So you figure it had to be like 78, 79. And there was just a whole section of Star Wars themed greeting cards. So it was like, you know, I, I think there were mostly like birthday cards or whatever. That 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 has to be like um, a whole subset of collecting somewhere, you know, where somebody collects Star Wars greeting cards as a you know as a as a focus. But uh, but they all had they all had a similar look to them, you know, like maybe they all had like a blue border. I'm, I'm trying to remember or something like that. But they all had a, uh, a specific trademark look. But yeah, I I, I can I, I don't know. I honestly don't remember having a Star Wars birthday, but I had to have, <laughs> considering considering how how Star Wars is just in my DNA from when I was seven. I I I, I must have at some point. Well, Sean, we have kept you for plenty of time. I'm sure people are walking past thinking, oh, he's doing a lot of journalism in there today on his own. <laughs> just sitting in a conference. Room. You know the 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 other thing. One thing I just want to mention. The the other thing I, I absolutely love collecting these days and you guys do such an incredible job with this is celebration swag that 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 stuff gives me so much joy and makes me so happy because it, it's such a, a personal reflection of your own love for this you know for this hobby and for and for star wars that it's everybody's it's a piece of of Everybody who everybody who gives you something, it's like it, I sort of see it as like it's a piece of their fandom that they're given to you because because all the ingenuity that goes into like all these like really funny like you know buttons and pins and it was a guy who made uh, an Ewok rock you know at, at the, did you see that at, at, at the, it was packaged you know at um, you know in in, in uh, Orlando you know just I mean the ingenuity behind this stuff is just unbelievable you know and and it's so i mean aside from the fact that it's super rare right because you're only gonna you're only gonna find it you know if, if you hang out with the right people but that stuff is just and it displays beautifully because you put it in 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 uh, like a shadow box you know and that's like and and it's a conversation piece because people come over and they're like what is that you know like what is this what is this big you know big huge shadow box full of buttons what is that <laughs> you know and then you, you explain the whole subculture of it you know, to them, and, and uh, you guys. I mean, I was I was there at, at Europe, you know, last year. You know, coming and hanging out at the booth and making the you know, <laughs> make, making the, making the sand person noises and the tauntaun noises, you know, and stuff like to to earn the swag, you know. And and you should earn, you should have to earn it. You should you should have. To, I, I agreed with that. You should have to do something fun to. Uh, earn that but i love that stuff some people didn't you know some people didn't you know they were like no not doing that and they were really adamant about not not making a fool of themselves it was people that were dressed in cosplay and then saying no wasn't it that was the funniest you're like well you're painted blue and you're (laughs) refusing to do a (laughs) tonton myself go away I loved it though. We had we had policemen doing it, police ladies doing it. The funniest thing is when you were in a panel, and some you know very serious panel, and then suddenly all of a, you could just hear a load of people. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and they Yeah, that's great. That's fun. You know, like people's. You know, it's just you, you can't 
you can't take you know you can't take anything really way too seriously. You certainly can't take you know your fandom you know, too seriously. It's kind of it's kind of an anachronism to be like you know I'm a serious cosplayer. <laughs> you know, I won't get into such buffoonery. well sean final question yeah and uh the earth's about to to be no more and we're all moving to another planet and space is limited no monetary value counts you can only take one piece of your collection with you what are you taking i would take my original uh vintage street because that that to me represents you know my connection to my earliest connection to this and and those two pieces will always be so near and dear to me you know that if i had if, if i lost everything else and i still had those you know i would still have the one original tether to the the deep deep joy that that uh, that, that, that all those toys brought me when i was brilliant well sean thank you so much it's been a it's been great fun all and right obviously we already know that it's not going to be the last time we have you on because you've got many many jobs to go away and do um so i can't wait to hear hear the holiday special song and i can't wait to listen to the podcast that you do a, a voiceover for the holiday special <laughs> good times <laughs> the 12 days of gimcrack has come in let's do it challenge accepted sean thank you ever so much tonight uh, we all appreciate it it's been a blast and um let's listen to one of your songs as we play you out any any preference what we play um how about the uh our cover of uh, your love from the outfield perfect because they what what's cool about that what i love about that one is uh one of the guys is i don't know who it was but it was like the uh the outfield actually the band that re- recorded that song i love the outfield and uh they they actually commented on it they actually saw the video and commented on it i think they i think they were brilliant i think i, is what, I think what, they um they wrote that you look like steve tyler <laughs> see know. what i did there full circle <laughs> but yeah guys thanks so much it's been great yeah, thank you man. so much mate
Let's go over to Jez for this month's newest acquisitions. Hello, what have we here? Ah, good. New acquisition. Guys, straight over to Star Wars Forum UK, page 2133. Now, this is just a very quick shout out to uh, Jedi Jut, who showed off his Clipper diecast Landspeeder. But this one's a special one because not only is it a clipper diecast land speeder, but it comes with the Meccano import sticker, which is a great update to a previous NA, which we had mentioned before on the podcast. Rather than us talk about it, we're going to go straight to Justin, who uh, can tell us all about this wonderful new addition to his collection. G'day, Jez. G'day, lads. Thanks for having me on the podcast to talk about my latest acquisition. I guess I should start by giving a little bit of background about myself. My name is Justin Lee. I live in Queensland, Australia. I was born in 1977 and I've been collecting vintage Star Wars toys since the early 2000s. A few years back, I sold out of all my carded figures and boxed ships to focus heavily on the diecast line. I collect Minon card, box, loose, variants, catalogues, mailers, adverts and pretty much anything that's got the diecast line in it. I'm trying to click an example of every foreign card or box diecast that's ever been made and also collect loose variants. A couple of months ago, I posted on the Star Wars Forum UK website um, about a 21 back land speeder that I'd just picked up. And I mentioned to you, Jez, about the Clipper land speeder with the white Meccano import sticker and how it was in the top three ultra rare diecasts around. For a long time, I was unsure if they were even legit vintage item. I mean, I'd never seen a carded example of a land speeder tie or an X-Wing. And the online examples were just crap, heavily pixelated photos, all from the same source. And they looked easily faked. 
after um, asking around on a couple of Facebook pages, talking to Andrew Norton, um, Spoons, and searching on the forums, I found a French collector who had uh, a carded example of a land speeder. We talked for a little bit, and I became convinced of their legitimacy. So I never was the title of my post on the Star Wars Forum UK when I managed to acquire my example of the Meccano Landspeeder. It just so happens that the same French collector had a spare. Unfortunately, the bubble uh, was fully detached and the loose Landspeeder was in okay condition, but I didn't care. It was all there and once it arrived, I set about attaching the bubble Landspeeder back onto the card. I have no problems with reseals in my collection, especially one this rare. It displays really, really well in a GW acrylic case. It won't be my favourite piece in my collection, because that title goes to the Toll Toys Landspeeder, but it does come a close second. I find it fascinating that Meccano had its own branded three and a quarter inch Minon card figures, but weren't bothered with the diecast line, settling on the clipper cards with the white Meccano sticker. The white Meccano import sticker was placed onto the top right of the clipper cards. The sticker itself was made from a vinyl plastic type of material and over the time it's hardened. The text on the sticker translates to The conformity of this product with the mandatory French standards is guaranteed by Meccano, not suitable for children under 36 months of age. I'd say these were sold in France in the early days of Star Wars toys. I'd say in limited numbers too, due to the scarcity of them today. I mean, you just don't see these come onto the market, whether it be a mint on card or a card back itself. I want to put a massive shout out to um, a mate of mine, Andy Norton. Big help, mate, in um, helping me value this, because, yeah, there's just not enough information out there on these Meccano import sticker diecasts to... Um, get a true value so um yeah thanks mate much appreciated and if there's anyone out there that's interested in the diecast line i'd suggest you definitely check out andy's website vintage star wars diecast.co.uk definitely the first place you need to go for anything vintage star wars diecast well so that's it for me keep up the good work guys catch you later bye perfect so we'll move on to page 2138 I saw this Ian Sanderson, everyone's favorite Ian Sanderson had posted an awesome Yoda display piece. Not only did he show a great item, which had been fantastically packaged, but he had also really handily put on a link to the Star Wars collector's archive on his post. And and it really, really is a, a cool looking piece. I contacted Ian the other day and I said, mate, can we come on? Can we have a chat? So we arranged it for last weekend. But then the old hurricanes hit Florida and hit, hit all over. Uh, but Ian was still really, really determined to come on, bless him. So now we're going to cut straight to a quick chat I had with Ian the night the hurricanes were heading to Florida. Yeah, Ian, look, thank you ever so much for joining us, particularly this weekend. Uh, how's it going? A lot of people online very, very concerned about you guys over in Florida. It, yeah, it's a bit wet and windy right now. We're just... The storm's making its way, well, the hurricane's making its way up uh, Florida as we speak. Luckily for me, it seems to be coming up the uh, the west side, so we're missing the, the very worst of it. But there's uh, there, there's talk of 70, 70, 80 mile an hour winds out there, with it due to get up to about 110 for a couple of uh, short spells later on. So uh, 
So as you say, the the, the hatches are battened down, and we're uh, we're just waiting. Well, mate, I mean, love to the family. I hope Liliana and Emma are, are coping with this all right. Well, Emma's coping with it all right. Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't really mind. She's fine. Liliana, not so keen, but. Then again, the other the, the positive is that her idea was we were going to evacuate and go up to uh, up to the, the places where it's now actually heading. So uh, oh, right, okay. So she's she's feeling a bit better insofar as we stayed anyway. So, good man. Uh, all right. So all is good. Well, look, mate. Thank you ever so much for coming on. As I said, it's 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 great of you, and also in some respects slightly unbelievable that you find the time to come on this evening. Really, really appreciate this. Actually, funnily enough, it's probably I haven't got very much to do right now as it is. It's probably a good time to uh, to catch me. You know, we're just we're just sitting here and waiting, really. As you know, I wanted to talk to you about this Yoda. Now you've put some cracking pictures on, and and also the links in Star Wars Collector's Archive. But what made you go for this, mate? So, as most people know, I lived up in North Carolina when we first came over here. And I was very lucky to uh, to find that uh, Chris Chris uh, G from uh, Rebel Scum lived the best part of about five uh, five ten minutes down the road from me. So you know we met up, and there's a really good gang of, of collectors up there in North Carolina. Anyway, he uh, he once said to me, "Oh, do you want to come have a look at my collection?" Well, yeah, I was like, "Yeah, why not?" So anyway, I think I probably went back there about twenty times. And I still probably could have gone back another 20 times if we hadn't left. Oh, Emma's come to say hello. You want to come and say hello? <laughs> hello. This is it's Uncle Jez. Can you say hello? Can you see us, Uncle Jez? Hello. Oh, look at your Disney ears. She's got her Mickey Mouse ears. She's been brushing her hair for about an hour or so, haven't you? No, it's Minnie Mouse ears. Oh, sorry, it's Minnie Mouse ears. Yeah. Who's your favourite character? Who were you collecting yesterday? You wanted all my princess? I can't believe you've gone all shy, <laughs> honestly. Who's your favourite? Very Princess good. Leia. Oh, yeah. She's a popular it's, one. She does like Princess Leia. And you've got a Princess Leia outfit, haven't you? Yeah, but I don't know where it is. No, we're going to wear it next time we go to a Comic Con, aren't we? And yeah. Halloween. And for Halloween, yeah. Yeah. Right, anyway, you want to let me get on with Uncle Jez and you, uh, I'll speak to you in a bit. Lovely to see you again. Bye. 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 <laughs> Sorry about that, mate. That's all right, man. Yeah, so I, I, so I could have gone back there at least 20 times and probably, well, no, I did go back there 20 times, could have gone back there another 20 times. There's some. He had some amazing pieces, and one of the most amazing pieces, or one of the ones that caught my eye, was this Yoda. It's it's kind of it's it's kind of got a three D feel to it, and you know, I mean, you think this is what thirty thirty five years old? Then you know, it was probably more cutting edge back then than you know some of the uh, displays you see now. I mean, nowadays you've got a U-wing over the top of, uh, <laughs> of the Funko Pops, haven't you? Yeah. So I think it was it's the way that it was made up looked looked really good, and, and and you know, I mean, Yoda's a very cool character anyway. So um, so I always had uh, I always had a bit of a, a soft spot for this, and I I told Chris, and actually Chris sent me a message about oh, about two or three months after uh, after I'd been there. 
and said, oh, I've seen one online, and I, I saw it, and I, I think I was just, I didn't have the cash at the time. I rarely ever have the cash at the time. So I, I passed on that one, and I regretted it. And um, so anyway, so, I mean, more recently, my, my buy-in's been pretty much curtailed. The, the business is taking any, or Christian's taking any, <laughs> any of my spare cash. But it, this one popped up on eBay, and it was, it was, I mean, it was expensive. It was, you know, probably the most I've ever paid for a, a store display. But I just thought it was so cool. And then I spoke with the seller, and um, you know, said, "Look, please send this, uh, you know, as well as they can. You can do." And she was quite adamant that that's what she would do. And as I say, I, I was amazed to see three days later this you know huge great big box i mean it was it was basically two sort of moving moving boxes taped together chock full of uh chock full of uh packing peanuts and uh and my yoda nicely wrapped in the middle of it so i mean she she, she probably spent about 150 dollars on postage and packing but uh but yeah so uh so i now have my yoda and i've just got to try and figure out where i'm going to put it now right now height wise i think i read somewhere it said it was about three feet is that right yeah yeah it's quite it comes comes well up to my waist i mean it it, it, i guess it's got it's two-sided so i I imagine it sort of hung down from the middle of uh you know some you know like from the ceiling but but yeah no it's, it's, it's quite a big thing so i'm put it this way i'm not getting it i'm not getting it graded right okay it says it's so it's made of it's plastic and cardboard or i would i would say it's almost like vacuum packed um or vacuum formed sorry not packed yeah. vacuum formed so um but you know i mean it's just it's just really cool and and the 3d element to it you know just makes it you know makes it really stand out i mean again i i, I need to work on my display room we've, we've moved five times in five years so <laughs> not anymore yeah. So you know that's something I, I've got to do, and it's it's going to be you know quite a focal piece, I think. Well, so. what I'm looking at here because the picture which you've put on, so yeah, it does have a little pinhole at the top, so it does look that's like that. it's been spinning as opposed to it being floor mounted. Um, yeah, no, it definitely was. It was definitely something that was hung down. I think. Yeah, and it is. It's obviously it doesn't say Yoda on it, which is. You know, you look at it, and it was the whole thing with Empire Strikes Back when it was meant to be a bit of a secret with regards to his name, I guess, because obviously you were you were watching the film, and Luke was looking for Yoda, and then you had this odd little creature talking to him for a while. So, hmm. yeah, I think I think obviously it's something generic that will have come out, you know, as and when uh, Empire Strikes Back hit hit the shops. So um, again. I'm not. I'm not particularly up on store displays and things like that. They're, um, they're at the moment they're miles out of my 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 budget range. But uh, yeah, I think I think it wasn't specifically aimed at being Yoda or Yoda any Yoda toys. It was just, you know, this is one of our cool new figures, so we'll use him to promote the film. Wicked wallet, mate. Thanks ever so much. Any other store displays taking your fancy in the future, or just do you think? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I've no money. I've got to pay acrylic <laughs> bills. If something catches my eye, if something takes my fancy, then 
and I can afford to buy it at that particular point, then, you know, I'll grab it. If I can't afford to buy it at that particular point, I'll store it in the old memory banks and, you know, hope something comes along at some point. The best thing about this hobby is that we don't all collect the same thing. We don't all collect the same way. And, you know, it's something that I might find really exciting or, you know, attractive might might put others off. And, you know, just as something that somebody puts up and says, oh, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah all right <laughs> so um so no i mean that's 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 pretty much where i am and but uh, store displays I, i'd like something palatoy if i could do i mean that would probably be more you know more sort of aimed at what i you know what i remember but uh but no I'm, i don't think they they turn up that often either to be honest so. <laughs> all right dude yeah <laughs> all right mate look all right anyway love to the family you and, too uh, we'll have a catch up soon you stay safe out there Cheers, dude. All right, mate. Thanks, mate. See you later. Bye. It's about family, and that's what's so powerful about it. Just an observation, Jez. Um, Yeah. You know, obviously, Yoda was, you know, kept back a bit and was a bit secretive. Yeah. Bit of an odd choice, perhaps, to put out as a store display. Yeah, you know, I I had said this when when we were chatting that it obviously didn't say Yoda, so it was just another creature. Uh, I think it's just such such a, a completely different type of uh, type of alien. If you look at new people introduced, new characters introduced, put it on its head, who else would they have wanted? Who would have stirred the imagination? You know, you've got Assad drivers, this, that, and the other. But who else released on the Empire Strikes Back line was, was really there, which would, would grab your attention, mate? To Fett? Yeah, yeah, fair well. I mean, Fett had already been out a little bit. People had already seen that. But yeah, yeah, I think Fett would be the, the other great one. Lobot. I mean, this is a... Did you just say Lobot? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. I mean, Jez, yeah. if, if you saw that from behind, it would look slightly rude. If you it saw looks... it from behind. Yes, the shape of it is quite manly, shall we say. It, it's two sided, Pete. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, it's dual sided, <laughs> mate. And when you say it, if you look, still, at it, it still has a slightly odd shape to it. What Yoda shape? Oh, your sausage! Look at it. it it's looks, on a card, isn't it? It looks a bit like Squidward from SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> it's a little bit phallus. Oh, it's eight. I mean, first of all, thanks ever so much for Ian for coming on and chatting about it and getting Emerald as well. How brilliant was that? But this image is uh, been used several times, and I love it. It's it's on the front cover of the Empire Strikes Back read along record that I've got, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's just, it's just great. Mm-hmm. I, I I absolutely love it, and Ian quite clearly does too. But three foot display, that is awesome. It's like getting Stu standing in the corner of your room, <laughs> <laughs> or lying down. It, it probably does more work than Stu as well. <laughs> Do you, know what, do you know what Yoda's short for? Because <laughs> he's got little legs. Yeah. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh no. Sorry, are you crying or laughing, Steve? <laughs> oh. Do you know go. what, Rich? You say that, side. Rich um, once pickpocketed Yoda. I can't believe he stoops so low. <laughs> Jazz, move on, yeah? Hold on. Hold on.
Oh, yeah, quick, we're going to have to move quick. on. This is shocking. This is really, really shocking. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That was on page 2138 of Star Wars Forum UK, and it's also on the Star Wars Collector's Archive. This amazing Kenner store display, Empire Strikes Back Yoda. Nice one, Ian. So I go on to page 2144, and I, I saw a great story about friendship, and, and I just thought it was really, really lovely. Max F. puts on a post. The doorbell went this morning and the postman passed me a parcel. There was nothing unusual there, aside from the fact that I wasn't expecting anything. It turns out that Carl Dennis decided to send me one of two figures I needed for a run of Palatoy Jedi figures I'd been working on as a gift. I must say I was blown away at the kind gesture. Genuinely blown away. What a great thing to happen. Guys, first of all, what do you think about stuff like this going on in the community? Just people sending gifts and, and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it happened to you? What, what are your thoughts on it? Well, it happened with me to complete my loose one because I got, you know, one of my favourite items, the pop-up R2. The Absolutely amazing. And I think Star Wars Forum UK has been one of the biggest contributors, I think, of the charitable work that's gone on in the whole of the Star Wars community. I know a lot of Facebook groups are doing some great things, you know, like the Jabba's guys and Equobase has regular, you know, charity things. But I think... From what I can see, a majority of it started as from UK, and I think it's just continued on. You're absolutely right, and I think it's a it's a recognition of of respect and thanks for for previous deals as well, and just people recognising that there are some good eggs out there, and they just want to thank him. I, I contacted Max, and I just said, "Look, you know what was going on." He said he was bowled over by the amazing kind gesture. He said he'd actually taken uh, a bit of a back seat recently because there had been a few other things going on in his world. And to receive a package like that really lifted his spirits. He said, he, he said it was so good. The reason being, Carl sold him a Meccano Ben Kenobi, uh, which he snapped up at a very reasonable price. And he said he thinks he got it really, really cheap because apparently there were tens of buyers who were really, really interested. But he stood by the deal uh, and he and he sold him the Ben at that price, and he still got it. A while later, he was looking for a loose Luke Skywalker, and he had a spare one, so he popped it in the post for him to say thanks for the Ben deal. And then out of the blue, six months later, this Weekway shows up, which is part of his Palatoy run. So it's just some mutual thanks there going back and forth, and, and people just remembering good gestures and, and good deals. I, I think it's brilliant. And he was a good friend. So, guys... You know, we, we look at different ways for people to stay involved. Uh, and sometimes people do take these uh, a run or want to do the 77 run, etc. But it was the Palatoy Jedi figures he said he'd been working on. And I thought, right, well, I don't really know much about that. What, what's going on there? And, and what's your understanding, Stu, Pete, Si, Rich? What, what's your understanding is the Palatoy Jedi run? As a guess, I would say it was the Jedi cards released with the Palatoy, you know, address on the back of it. Yeah, so it's the uh, 65 either ABC run of figures that came out prior to the Tri Logo release. Yeah, uh, it's not not a not a massive run, really. So how many figures are we looking at? Off the top of my head, about it, yeah, go on off the top of your head. What what card backs did we have then on the Palatoy? Oh, crikey! You well, it depends. Are you going to count the hybrids? Well, let's just talk about the end of The Empire Strikes Back then and leading into Return of the Jedi. So just so we can ascertain what figures we're looking at, what sort of a challenge is this Palatoy Jedi figure run? So for, uh, well, actually, ah, forgot, you got the 45C back as well, haven't you? 
nice. which is also on the Jedi, Jedi card, yes. along with the 65 ABCs. But this is my point, you see, because the 45 bag was Empire Strikes Back, so those figures came out on the Empire Strikes Back. So even though there was the Return of a Jedi 45 back, they weren't debuts necessarily. So then you would think, right, well, okay, so there were 20 figures. That Mm. would make sense, wouldn't it? 45 up to 65. Mm -hmm. So the Jedi run would be a 20 figures. But no, the Jedi run is 16, commonly referred to as 16 figures. I have seen it say 17 um, somewhere else. However, the majority of people say it's 16. Is that because you had the two Ewoks airbrushed out, so Logray and Chief Chirper. Well, actually, it took me quite a while to to look into this because I was thinking, hang on a second, I I, I don't get it. And yet they were airbrushed out and then they came back in, but I was thinking, hang on, no, hang on a second, what's going on here? They were actually additional figures, which were Forlong, Zuckus and TIE Fighter Pilot also debuted on the 45, even though they weren't on the back of the 45. So, right, so they debuted on the 45A, didn't they? Oh, don't start bringing A's and B's and C's into it, mate. I'm just talking about a basic Yeah, the, the Empire card as opposed to a Jedi card, though, yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah TIE Fighter well, yeah. came out at the end of Empire. Yeah, but So so these figures, Fallon, Zuckus, and TIE Fighter Pilot debuted. Because I, I was looking at this and I was thinking, hang on a second, of these 20, which are on the 65 back, the additional ones, why aren't these on the list, on, on the uh, the list of 16, what people refer to? But yeah, Fallon, Zuckus and TIE Fighter Pilot all debuted on a 45 back, even though they didn't appear as a character on the 45. So let's say there were 48 available on a 45 back, but that's 17. And, and where's the 16th one? Now, apparently, it was uh, your old favourite... The fourth one is Nine Numb, because according to Jason's Palatoid Guide, there aren't any Nine Numbs on a 65 back. So therefore, if you want the full Palatoid run, you're looking at the 16 figures, which then have come onto the 65 back. That's interesting. So I was going to say, it sort of makes sense that Nine Numb wasn't there and only came out later or appeared later on the car back because he was the mail-away offer. But then so was Snack Bar. In fact, he was earlier because it was Revenge of the Jedi, wasn't it? So you'd expect him not to be on the 65 back, and he is, isn't he? Weird. Oh, you're oh. about debut cards only, so he's not counting like the 65 Ds, for example. Ooh. No, mate, he's not. So this, yeah, this is the Palatoy debut run. So this right, is the Palatoy. So I've got you now, so it's not, he's not going for the full Jedi one, he's just going for the Palatoy debut run. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Then, okay, yeah, good luck. Good luck. You're going to need it. But a cracking tale, page 2144, a great story of friendship and a really, really kind gesture from Lee Jackal, Carl Dennis, sending a 65-back week way. And uh, it's just great for stuff like this. Oh, I thought that one would flow a little bit better. <laughs> it was a really, really interesting thing because that took me about an hour to figure out. I was just like, hang on a second, what? There's 20. There should be 20. Why is there only 16? Where are the other ones? But even though they weren't on the back of the 45, they were debuted. But they just, it, it was really, really weird. So there we go. No, I, I sorry. It just took me a while to, to catch up with what you uh, sort of 
were talking about there in terms of the debut. I had to get the debut through my head. And yeah, I knew it was less than 20, but I didn't, I'd never sat down and done the maths. Which ones are missing? Which ones there? Where'd they come out? And all the rest of it. So it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah that, that's why I clarified because I was thinking 65 back. I've got a 65 back or 5D4. So I was trying to figure out, yeah. Yeah, well, the way, just, the way people have been referring to them online, the way he wrote about it was just Return of Jedi Palatoy run. Um, mm-hmm. So he he didn't have any more uh, distinction than that. But anyway, let's move on. Yeah. So there we go, guys. Just want a quick discussion now on page 2144. Seahawks bought a beta 12-pack, or a slight beta 12-pack Chewbacca. Uh, and this had, uh, you've all seen the picture on page 2144. And uh, this was with the dog-eared corner was missing of the card back. And, and some would say that it's still an absolute beauty. And he put up three options to display him and said, what would you do? Leave it as it is and put it in a, say, a GW acrylic case. B, put another 12-back card back in behind it. He said he's got a spare C-3PO card back, but would like to get a Chewbacca one. So the number's correct in the upper left corner. He said he'd use a star case to try this. So he's you know, almost superimposing this one onto a card back. Or C, he could print off a card back of some cardstock, trim it up, top up the corner, uh, and sit it in behind. This way he can see the back of the actual figure card back you know, rather than cut something else. I mean, what, what would your thoughts be, guys? Let's just call it out. What, what would you do with this? Leave it. Leave it as it is. It's beautiful as it is. Perfect in every way. Thank you, Pete. Just don't mess around with it. You know, you're going to be using up something else to, to fill a hole. The hole is beautiful. The gap is delightful. I've got a damaged Clipper Jedi carded figure. And when I got it, I looked in and I thought, that's going to really, really irritate me. I'm going to have to do something about it. But I never have. And I've probably had it 18 months now, and I'm never ever going to do anything with it. And it looks absolutely fine in the GW acrylic case. And I don't even, I don't even really look at the the damage now because it's not what my eyes are attracted to. My eyes are attracted to the vibrant, you know, carbon image and the clipper stick and things. So, but if I had his, because obviously it, with it being torn in that top corner, I would probably agree with Pete, and I would personally leave it as it is and put in GW create uh, GW case, and I would leave it like that. But if he wants to display it in the star case, then I probably will go with the second method of putting a 12-back card back behind it and then pushing the, the, the two together. But I certainly wouldn't print off a card back. I just you know, I, I just don't see any value in that bit. No, no. Love it. It's, it's cool. great. great. Yeah, great absolutely. Yeah. I'd leave it as is. Uh, I spoke to him and said, oh, what did you go for in the end? And uh, he tried printing something off. He said it didn't work, didn't look right at all. So he's just put the C-3PO card back behind. Uh, and he's happy with that for the time being. But I'd be interested to know what our listeners think on page 2144. He's got the three options. And, uh, and yeah, just to see what people would generally go for. But I, I'm in the camp of just leave it alone. You don't need to put a card back behind it necessarily. And as you know, the numbers wouldn't tie up. Because Chewbacca, as everyone would know, is 38210. And... C three PO is three eight two two zero, which I know is obviously on the tip of everyone's tongue. So, uh, so there we go. Um, yeah, nice little quick discussion on, on what you would do with that beta Chewbacca. But Seahawks buddy, I think it looks awesome, and uh, congratulations. And I know that you're well chuffed with it. Moving on, Simon, come on, mate. You were telling us all about something fantastic which you saw on the Trilogo group. 
Yeah, it's it's everybody's friend, Joe O'Brien, who, as we know, has taken taken quite a backseat uh, of late with Star Wars, sold off his 88 Focus and has gone down the route of real Ghostbusters and is, is having a whale of a time, particularly over the, the price difference between RGB stuff and, and Star Wars stuff. So he's absolutely loving that. And he, he does keep trylogo.info up and running and, and the Facebook group's going great guns as always, but he hadn't really been much involved in Star Wars. And then he, he got in touch and said, um, do you know anyone up in the West Midlands? I've won a few items at auction. Uh, anyway, long story short, ended up going up because it was on a on route for me on a trip to pick up a few bits and pieces he'd won. And my word, the boy done good. The auction house had described two lots uh, yeah it, it not bad descriptions but they sort of they, they sort of messed up really because he's he's gone and won himself some rather nice trilogo figures the first lot was described as two palatoy trilogo cards wicket and tebow and a nine num in an open baggie and joe immediately without even reading the description has recognized what's actually there which is a regular run-of-the-mill trilogo tebow nothing particularly special about that uh, a nine num in a mailer yeah, fine. Ignore that because it was it was open, but the wicket was actually a uh, a very nice PBP wicket. What he's actually received is a GMJ wicket, which is General Mills Huigentes wicket, which has got the UFO punch in it that you see sometimes with Meccano, sometimes on PBP releases. A regular Tebow, which is nothing special, and the nine-num mailer, which was actually an addressed mailer. So that one had been sent out. It was open, the bag was open, and it was even a TIE Fighter pilot blaster in there rather than the nine-num one. But nonetheless, it was an addressed mailer, which was really cool. And the Trilogo Wicket, the GMJ, is is really quite a, a nice, rare card to find. So he's picked those up at an absolute bargain price due to the misdescription and then onto the second lot which was described quite accurately as a pbp 65 back trilogo b-wing pilot which we'll come on to in a minute but says appears to be resealed and then a good plus 21b and what he's actually received is a nion perfect 21b don't really see what was good plus about it it was it was absolutely outstanding and the b-wing pilot wasn't a reseal at all it was a as joe says the pbp seals weren't amazing anyway but to be honest i I couldn't see what they were talking about about reseal and that one in its own right is is quite interesting because this is a we talk about the 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 six commonly known hybrids which are the you know the cloud car pilot greedo hammerheads the two best cards guards etc so you've got those palatoy hybrids but what you've got here is a spanish hybrid which was the other way around it had a tri logo front to the card but on the back of the card was the old spanish 65 back with the nine num offer on it and that's the pbp 65 back tri logo from the front the mere mortals like us couldn't really tell, but Joe straight away recognized it for what it was. Um, and, and obviously the description there, uh, and has picked himself up a couple of absolutely blinding bargains. So well done, Joe. Uh, and I believe the, um, the wicket and the B wing pilot have already found new homes as have the, the nine mailer and the two one B, which are with me, which I'm very happy about. So yeah, Joe was back with a vengeance. If only briefly, Nice one, site, and absolutely, uh, yeah, brilliant post on, on a great Facebook page. So uh, thanks very much. 
And moving over to Stuart, mate, you, you've just got a couple of quick updates for us, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I just want to go back to my last two interview guests and a couple of items that they've contacted me about and purchased. Now, Lee Harris I had on on episode 38, so in July, and he um, initially said that he had completed his first 12 on 12 backs. Uh, he'd only had one at Celebration. He had completed them all since he'd got back from Celebration, so he'd done massively well. And he was moving on to going up to the 21. He's already got to 20. He's only missing FET. That's in two months. Quite incredible. So he's, he's promised me he's going to complete FET by Christmas. So his run's amazing. He sent me a lovely photo, which I'll add to your section, Jez, so you can put it up. And Derek Cole last month, you might recall that we talked in depth about the Sprite offer with the stationary set, the T-shirts and the bag, which were available. And at the time of that interview, he said that there was no known example of the Sprite bag from that promotion. And just a few days after we went live, Derek managed to pick up a Sprite bag. It's the only one known to exist. Um, he's going to afford me a photo. Amazing, amazing find, especially for him. So just, just got to track down the T-shirts now. But um, brilliant, brilliant find for Derek. And a lovely looking run at the moment for Lee. So just want to say big well done for both of them. Perfect. Nice one, Stu. Rich, over to you. What have you seen on the Peloton Owners Group, mate? Well, every now and again, Gary Smith drops something that is often more subtle than what it is. And he, he posted a 12-inch box Boba Fett. And, you know, as usual with Gary, he does turn up these absolutely amazing Peloton items. And this one has a white sticker on the top of the box with black text saying Palatine capital letters. And it's, you know, it's just absolutely fantastic. And as soon as he posted on there, lots of people are going, wow, it's an amazing piece. So I contacted Gary and I said, Gary, you know, pop, you know, I'm just a regular collector, you know, and I'm looking at this, I'm thinking it's a really, really nice boxed boat it's in fantastic condition. I said, well, what can you tell me about the sticker? And what really intrigued me was that Gary said, well, actually, you know, I don't really know a lot about them. So I thought, oh, well, where do you go when you don't know much about Palatoy stuff? You go to Jason's website. So I went on to Jason's website and I couldn't find anything at all to do with this Palatoy sticker. So I said to Gary, you know, well, you know, who would you recommend? And he said, well, of course, you know, go and speak to Lee Bullock, you know, Mr. 12 Inch himself. So I contacted Lee and I said, Lee, have you, you know, obviously you've seen Gary's item, you know, what can you tell us about the sticker? And he sent us a little bit of information on it and saying that it's, it's the same sticker in printing font that was used on the catalogue stickers on the items that they had. And he suspects that all were used in the Palatoy factory and that these then went to retail from there. So not a huge amount is known about these. Now, these stickers have turned up on other places, but it's certainly a, a poorly documented area. And it's absolutely fantastic that this item has turned up and it is now sitting in Gary's collection. So uh, great, great item to show. Absolutely brilliant. And as Gary said, he didn't even know it existed until a few years ago. So he's, be, he's been on the hunt for one since then. Good stuff popping up all over the place. So I move over to Tantive. You know, it's like Tantive, it, feast for the eyes. So many great things to see. And again, what, what's really good, we talk about losing one's mojo or falling out of love because of prices and stuff. On page 11 of R2's projector beam, the 89th Chris is shown two bargain mint on carded figures they were 50 canadian dollars it was a buy one get one free worked out about 15 quid each in prime condition a real bargain you got a chief chirper and a clatu skiff absolutely fantastic 50 canadian dollars oh, chris mate that, that is so cool really delighted for you page 11 see what you can get 15 pound each 
<laughs> Staying on page 11, it was Jawa 57 showed off some German glasses. So, you know, I contact you and I said, this could uh, be something which we should look into a little bit more. So, um, so I set you the task of looking into this. And, and was there anything much you could discover, buddy? Information was few and far between on, on these glasses. There's not exactly a huge amount on the Amora glasses, which are the, the, the better known set. But what, what I found was I've got to attribute it all really to someone with the username R2 Detour, who posted on TIG in December 2012 that there was a set that we all know about, the Amora mustard glasses, which were produced by the French firm. Stu, you were collecting those. Did you ever complete your set? Um, I'm currently missing one, but I'm actually on the lookout for these German glasses. They are in either the Tomark Guide or the House of Collectibles from back in the 90s. So I'm aware of these. They're very, very nice. Cool. So, yeah, Amora produced those ones. And as I say, they're, they're far more widely known about. But what isn't known about so much is the German firm called Hengstenberg, who in 1983 did the same thing, except they, they produced five, which is a bit of a random number of these glasses uh, that originally came with Dijon mustard in and uh, that Jawa 57 has found one from a um, I think he calls them an attic sale he seems to turn up some really great stuff out there from attic sales uh, so he's picked up one of these glasses but the 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 weird thing is between the two firms I don't know how close in terms of dates the two were but they they've gone with the main characters as you expect so with Amora you know 3PO Vader Leia Yoda and one other and Hengstenberg have gone with Luke and Yoda Vader and Stormtrooper Luke and Vader Chewie and this other random character now of all the characters you could pick in Star Wars these two firms have chosen the same random weird little character which is Paplu why would you choose Paplu just uh, if anything if you had to pick a, an Ewok uh, that was well known amongst Star Wars fans I, I would have thought it would have been at least Wicket or something like that but no Paplu appears on both of them But yeah, that, that that really is all there is out there at the moment that I could find on these damn little things. But a very cool little set of glasses appear to be the same size as, as um, the Amora range. And Hengstenberg, which is still going, I believe still do the, that kind of promotion to this very day. I think Amora do as well, actually. So they've um, it's something that been, they've been doing for years and are continuing to do so. As I say, I've been trying to find the glasses, the German ones for about six seven months now i haven't seen a single one actually come up to sale that's available for the uk market no so no yeah. there's a there's a great link on uh, on tig there's a great photograph r2d2 has got uh his amora ones up he completed the childhood gaps he filled some childhood gaps and then i think it's on rebel scum that jawa 57 has pinched a photograph of of a set of the german glasses and, and they look great they're just nice little things but you wouldn't think that something so random was so incredibly hard to find oh look now you make me want to go and look for my final glass for the amora <laughs> which one is it mate i'm missing the vader walking with the stormtroopers on each shoulder 
Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if it's the same then. Because I, I, I seen the photographs of the two and I noticed down, but I didn't notice the stormtroopers. So maybe it's not going to be the same design. Can't be. I don't know. I don't think they are. I don't think I've got an image somewhere, no. but I'm not sure what I've done with it. I, I'm sure they were quite different, the ones I saw. But yeah, random. Bloody Paplu. Paplu. Really? Well, yeah, the Amora ones may have made up an Ewok. They've got someone called Kiko on the front side. It's the only mm. reference to him ever. First appearance. Pre-production. <laughs> and uh, following on from JR 57's post about finding this glass and all the rest of it, I think it's Commander Clint says, would you mind if we post it here in this link? And a great feature about Tantive is that they they will have a section dedicated to, so in this case, drinking glasses. And it's just got all the drinking glasses from around the world that people have got in their collections or they know about or borrow images from other sites. And it's just a great reference library to all things drinking glasses. But they do that with so many other things. So one of my favorite threads on there is comic books. And not only just the comic books, Star Wars comic books, but adverts within the comic books as well. Uh, and it's a, it's a really great sort of coming together. It's, it's the ultimate in Star Wars Wikipedia of gimcrack and randomness it's uh it's a great feature in the, the popular threads i absolutely love it as well it, it, yeah you can't go on enough about tantive it, it, it's really really good and yeah we're gonna have to look at that in more detail in the future nice ones i brilliant i then went over to the imperial gunnery and again still a very very popular forum i saw something there and i just thought wow this is fantastic model trem vader variants yeah, now I know that we've spoken and we're, and we've spoken about variants on the last two podcasts, but to go into model trem variants, this is absolutely crazy. It was on page 19 of the Imperial Gunnery's latest acquisitions and also discussed further on page 20. Now, this is a chap who goes by the username M4K3R1, but it's Christian name's Oscar. Now, I sent him a message and absolutely <laughs> completely blown away with these three trem variants i still can't get over it hang on a second let me bring up my link box variants as well jess box variants too yeah, and absolutely yeah you're, you're right pete he, he just said to me you know he collects three and three quarter inch dark faders loose variants of all kinds min arcade variants uh, various different vader things he likes vader yeah i get that these three trem variants have been a small side project which he wanted to accomplish he had seen these trem variants sold over the years but never paid much attention to them as he didn't want to get into bootleg collecting he hadn't got that fixed just at that point the big problem was once he got the first bootleg it quickly escalated from not wanting any to wanting the variants he said that's the beauty with bootlegs first you hate them and don't want any of them you don't like them at all then you fall in love with them and once you've got your first one in hand then it just spirals and escalates once you start down the dark path forever will it dominate your destiny he did say that there was a small discussion regarding his latest editions um, on this Kenner styled limbs Trem Vader on the bootleg Facebook page, which uh, Joe Y hosts. So he, he said you might also be interested in reading it. Also, there was some doubt from a member regarding its authenticity. So he'd shown it off, a lot of people saying how fantastic it was. But there were a few doubters there, really, really doubting its authenticity. But some of the bootleg experts, well, in his opinion, experts confirmed it to be good. 
He said, apart from the one he has, he won't be chasing any others for Vader. There are some lightsaber variants. Uh, the ones that he really likes are the thin metal sliding saber in arm and an awesome metal two-piece saber that's made up of a hollow saber in hand and a small piece that slides to the end to make it more extendable. And, and he's uh, told me someone who actually owns that one. So there are so many different ones out there. And, and he's given me the link to this Facebook page, as I said. And you, and you can see it, and you're quite right, Pete. Not only are there different Vader variants, it, he's just got the boxed variants as well. Pete, you've been looking at these. Is there is there much going on with regards to the market? <laughs> I am no, I'm no trend market expert. But uh, I remember we looked at these before, and uh, someone came up with a, an auction. He had about 20 things, 20 pieces on, on Facebook of all different box sizes and stuff. And... Uh, that they were kind of priced any i mean it was the price was kind of random so i'm assuming some are very deadly rare and some not so rare but the, the starting price is always around about the, the late 300s so these aren't things that are cheap um there was a guy selling some some at celebration at anaheim and in orlando and again you know i, I saw an organo and i thought oh that's that's quite nice and because the, yeah, the detail on them is is always so charming. You know, they're they're, they're not like a bootleg someone's whacked in and painted them up. They've actually had someone pay, you know, time and attention on every single one. So that's why they're so so delightful. But um, a Yoda, uh, a supposedly very rare Yoda, went about two or three months ago for one and a half thousand pounds. So they are not cheap. But there is, and there's not a lot of information on prices either. There's nothing on Tracker. That occasionally they seem to come up, but no one ever talks about the price. So I'd imagine that, that, that those Vaders. Weren't, weren't, you know, 10, 15 quid. I imagine they went for a bit more than that. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, with the box, I mean, these are complete. You know, he's got the weapons, he's got the box. When I when I got my loot, didn't have the weapon, didn't have the box. Um, and these are still, you know, asking for a, a premium penny. What he's got here, though, he's put it on from left to right in the photographs. He's got a fixed head resin torso with lead limbs. And then what he believed was a movable head all lead and then he corrected it after it had been uh, corrected by a couple of guys with a resin torso and then finally the newest edition which was his kenner style limbs all lead it's absolutely beautiful and he said not bad for someone who promised himself he's not getting into bootlegs vader was seduced by the dark side of the force but as I said, so this uh, post, the bootleg post, lots of to and fro in with regards to authenticity, but some really, really charming pictures of the boxes in particular, because uh, one of the owners of this as a child has actually put loads of information and sort of written about a defense center inside the box. So obviously they used the box in their, in their playing um, as a child. So, um, yeah, yeah, great things. Yes. Do, do you know? Did he mention if the capes are, are like you know modern editions, or that they actually someone put those on for a bit, bit of fun, or they actually came with capes? Because I, I don't know if I've ever seen any with other accessories. I mean, the lightsabers are amazing, but uh, yeah. I mean, again, beautiful charm. Just a little kind of like metal stick, or a, some look almost translucent sticks being painted on the outside with a yeah. <laughs> kind of a red handle. It's very, very odd, but yeah, at the same time, it kind of works. Yeah, not mention anything about the capes. And I was just thinking the same thing, mate, because, yeah, all three of them have got that. And I wouldn't have thought necessarily that they would come with that. But as you can see, if you can if you can manufacture all these lead and, and resin bootlegs, it'd be very easy just to uh, whip a cape on it. We've also noticed the on the, the box, which you can see clearly, the uh, someone actually went to the trouble of making a beautiful little hand-drawn model trim logo, which I've yeah. never seen before, <laughs> actually on the box. We've actually got an MT 
on the logo, and it, and it, that is definitely a hand-drawn logo. It's also been printed probably by someone down the local photocopy shop. But um, <laughs> again, it's, it's I mean, it's just those little things. Again, I'm surprised you haven't seen that on a t-shirt somewhere. Yeah, yeah, no, that that is brilliant. Um, but the three boxes, as you say, completely different. He's got a photograph of the uh, the three Vaders side by side, almost like they're doing the sort of monkey's walk. And um, yeah, really, really charming. And uh, and I think he's right. You know, initially there's going to be a lot of camps of people who just say, yep, not interested in that at all. And once they've got one in hand and maybe just get one into their collection, it's that slippery slope where, um, funny old thing, I think I've got about nine or ten Polish bootleg Luke X wings and I never thought I'd have one and then suddenly you realize that well the Polish ones certainly aren't that expensive but these trims wow to have three that's that's something else it's something else excellent first class thanks very much for that Pete brilliant mate really really great to see on the Facebook page and also on the Imperial Gunnery page 10 right so I went over to Rebel Scum and on page 183 Duskamp puts up some beautiful Meccano Hanhoth cardbacks and also an Imperial Stormtrooper Meccano cardback. Now, I just, I just saw these and I thought, hey, it, it was just nice to see some people posting some stuff in, in Rebel Scum. But these, I think, is just a Hanhoth itself. I just think that card's absolutely fantastic. Rich, you were looking at these, weren't you? I did, Jez, and I'm not going to thank you for putting Han hardbacks in the show notes because i didn't have a bloody clue what a hardback was and i'd spent ages looking for hardbacks until i looked at the show notes again and i noticed you'd put han both hardbacks and i thought hold on a second it's han Hoff. and then i'd realize it's cardbacks i can't believe it so, <laughs> so i wasted so much time doing that but never mind Apologies. you know i was thinking jez got one up on us yeah i haven't got a clue what a hardback is so no, anyway click the link i sent you <laughs> yeah well i did click the link i opened it and i thought how's it a hardback what, what what's special about them are they some kind of you know i thought but it's nothing in matthias's books about hardbacks but anyway you know obviously when we look at things like that your eyes immediately drawn to the square you know cardbacks on on these and i thought these are absolutely fantastic so i picked up you know stefan's uh stefan and yalaru's mcconnell trilogo collector's handbook which is what we normally do and i started to flick through them and i thought you know how how rare are these you know um how how difficult are they are that they get and obviously stefan's book you know identifies that they are incredibly tough the han solo is more difficult to get than the imperial stormtrooper uh, the Hoth Trooper, which seems to, I think he's given it a rating of 3 out of 5 for the Imperial Storm Trooper. And that one, it's carded on there, and I think it looks great. I think the bubble, the bubble to me looks a little bit odd, but it's a lovely shaped card, so so well done on, on getting that one. But you're right, Jez, the card back on Han Hoth is absolutely fantastic. But then I also looked at the, the other one, which is on the Latour de Jedi card, and obviously that's the regular shaped one. Yeah. But I was picking up um, Stefan's book, and I've noticed at the bottom there he's got 45 back and 65 back. And I thought, oh, I wonder which one Duskham's got. And I looked and I thought, well, he hasn't shown us the back of it, so I didn't know until I figured out how you do tell the difference. So did, have you been able to pick up that at all anyway? How you tell the difference between a 45 back and a 65 back from looking at the fronts? Oh, go on, mate. I've got the book in front of me, but no, I didn't know that. So yeah. go ahead. Well, in the top left-hand corner, on the 45 backs, it has the assortment number. So as I'm just flicking through here, most of them have got REF, and then they've got uh, six digits or so. So those are on the 45 backs. But on the 65 backs, there's nothing in the top left-hand corner. So that's how you tell the difference between the two. Now, 
also Stefan put in his book there that some of the 65 backs they have the English translations of the text on them for the characters, but obviously it doesn't for the Han Solo one because it still says Jan Solo with Tenu Hoff written on the front of it. And also what I, I, I like about these is the fact that it's got the price stickers on because, I mean, probably all of us went to France when we were kids and what, what, I, what I've looked at the differences between, you know, the Square Empire one, which is was for sale at 16 francs, and yet the Jedi ones are 22 francs. And that that's quite a, a a jump, isn't it? That's what, what's at about a third a third increase in price. So you know, I, I like the fact it's got price stickers on there. So fantastic, great, good on you, Duskam, and thanks for putting them on Rebel Scum. You Rebel Scum. Nice one. Oh, great bit of uh, great bit of info there, Rich. Cheers, mate. So, whilst I was on Rebel Scum on page 183, Broke, who seems to be uh, putting quite a bit on Rebel Scum and the other forums at the moment, put on, quite simply, straightforward speeder bike. Also put on page 19 of the Imperial Gunnery. But then, Star Wars Forum UK, on page 2139, Ben Kuma puts on absolutely fantastic score of his uh, Vectis speeder bikes, which we'll talk about in a minute. And I thought, yeah, come on. Let's talk about the uh, speeder bike because there's so many things. I'm, I'm sure that everyone here on the podcast had one of these as a kid. Would I be incorrect in assuming that? Everybody had one. At least one. Yeah. At least one? Wow, there's no way I would ever have two of anything wow. as a kid. Rich, first of all, I'd like to come to you, mate, because Ben put on this great story on page 2139 of his Vexus speeder bikes. Now, do you mind taking the lead with this one? Because you actually collected them for him, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So, so Ben had bought a small lot of speeder bikes of Vectis, and and he asked me to go and pick them up. So when I got there, as, as usual, I'm not sure always exactly what I'm picking up. So I just have lot numbers often, and a box came out, and Ben Ben said, you know, how many speeder bikes are there? And I said, well, there were two boxes, and there is, you know, one loose lying here. And there were probably one or two inside the boxes, but I hadn't checked them at that point. Ben was, you know, obviously excited about this. And he said, can you take photographs of the of the stickers and send them to me? So I took photographs of two stickers and I sent them to him. And he, he was really excited. And obviously, as I was driving back from Vectis, he was clearly doing some research on the stickers. So he got a great score. So what he got was he, he got a loose speeder bike. And I really wish I had checked it. Because when I when I got home and I got the speeder bikes out, I noticed it was missing a flap. And I was thinking, I was going, oh, bloody hell, did it have a flap or did it not? So I contacted Ben and said, Ben, did this have a flap on? And he was going, oh, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know how it happened, but I found the flap and it managed to get out of the box and was actually underneath me seat in the car. So how it no got there, I've got no idea. So he had one full, loose, complete speeder bike. He had another one that was boxed. Okay, and it was, you know, it was, it was, it was a nice condition, uh, standard kind of box, and, and that was a really good deal. But it was the, the GM one with the Danish sticker that he was super excited about. So it had a price sticker on it, which I think it said Bilka or Bilko, something like that, and that was priced in 99.50. And it also had another sticker on it, which was an orange and white sticker. And it's roughly translated as, do not break the seal. If the seal is intact, then we guarantee that the contents are undamaged. 
trade systems are in place. And I thought, well, what the bloody hell does that mean? And, and Ben had said that he'd seen them on Masters of the Universe line, and he hypothesized that these stickers were applied right at the end of the Star Wars toy line and went on to Masters of the Universe and things like that. But it was actually Matthias who gives us a little bit extra information on it, and he said that, that back then from certain types of shops, you could buy an item from a shop with this sticker on for, as a gift for a young kid. And if the child didn't want it, then they can take it back and trade it for another toy as long as that seal wasn't broken. So that was the that was the kind of you know system that they had in place, which I thought was a was a, a great marketing strategy from the toy shop, because if the kid didn't want it and took the toy back, they get the money back. But at least in this method, they could take the toy back and exchange it, and the toy shop still makes a sale. So it's it was it's a great store Ben, and I think you only paid about sixty pound for it. So even if this didn't have that price sticker on it, £60 for two box speeder bikes and a full loose one complete is an absolutely cracking score. And I think this is possibly, unless Ben's found another one, I think this is the first Star Wars item that were found with this sticker on. So that's a, that's another one to add onto the Holy Grail, nine grails in a row website at some point, if this ever appears on there. Yeah, absolutely. It was brilliant. I mean, he was quite clearly delighted with it, and quite rightly so, because it was one of those things where he, he showed the list in which had been put on Vectis, and it was a very poor photo, as as often they are. You know, they're just lots and lots of small photos, and it just showed the side of the box. It didn't really focus in on the, on the sticker. So he took a punt, and he had no idea at all. So, um, yeah, don't know what was going on. Bit of a self-hack there from Vectis, would you say? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so good on you, Ben. It fits completely with your focus. Delighted for you. Nice one. Talking about the speeder bikes, lads, what, why do you think that everyone had to have one of these? What was it about the speeder bike which was, which was so good? I think from Jedi is probably in the top three most iconic scenes in that movie. Amazing chase. Luke, Leia, Bike Scout, what a great figure. So I just think as a toy, it was just just spot on compared to most of what came out in Jedi. Oh, I just sold one. I'm going to go and buy another one. <laughs> I've got one you can buy, Stu. Done. <laughs> I, I think it's, it, the vehicle itself is just brilliant. It's a beautiful little sculpt. It's nicely weighted. It's got great playability. I mean, the exploding apart thing. Yeah. It's just fantastic. It's just so cool. They got it. It's, I mean, it's right up there in terms of my favourite Star Wars vehicles. It, it's it was affordable. I mean, I paid forty nine pence for mine when they went on clearance. It was affordable and it was so so playable. What's not to love about it? I, I think you've just hit the nail on the head with affordability because certainly when I think back to my parents, they they bought me mini rigs, mm-hmm. and with this coming out, my parents would have been in the store thinking, "Oh, that's quite cheap." You know, that's a stock and filler. We'll fill that up. And then they would have, you know, possibly seen Imperial shuttles and things like that and thought, sod that, he's not getting one of them. So I think that the price point of them was probably exactly right. And these probably were priced to run up at the same price as a mini rig, maybe a little bit more back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I did some looking online. And when they first came out in Argos, uh, we were looking about £4.45. So probably not much more than double the price of a figure. But as you say, from a playability point of view, absolutely brilliant. 445. They later sort of then, uh, as most things did, dropped off by about a third. In, in later catalogues, you could see it for 295. And as you say, clearing them off down to 49p. 
So price point, I do. Yeah, I think it was fantastic. TV adverts, there were a lot of TV marketing for this. Return of the Jedi, the death-defying speeder bike chase. The speeder bikes battle it out with these terrific Star Wars models. Adjustable cannon, manually operated speed flaps, breakaway front end. Who will triumph in this daredevil race against all odds? Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. Yeah, we'll all remember that kid, which we all did, going under his dining room tables and through the chairs and things. Yeah, absolutely. Is that the dining room table, which I'm convinced didn't have a top on it? Because when you see the arms, it's just, hang on a second, how is he just putting his arms through all these table legs like he's some sort of ghost or what have you? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant effort. Brilliant. I mean, there, there was so much to a speeder bike and so much which they, they nailed it. They just got it right. In front of me, I've got Star Wars Return of a Jedi comic number 19, which came out on October 26th, 1983. And it's got that classic image of the biker scout on his speeder bike with like a sense of urgency. He's on it and he's leaning forward like a like on a motorbike really really fast it already even though it's static it gives the impression of, of speed whereas then i look conversely i'm going through a book called the star wars archives which is props costumes models and artwork from star wars and also covers indiana jones as well but they looked at the imperial speeder bike chase storyboard sequence and there's some concept illustrations three different ones here and they're sat more like they're on a sort of hog laid back harley davidson and it's just a it's a lot more relaxed posture where i'm so pleased that they went for this more sense of urgency one with people leaning leaning into it so massively featured in the movies in tv advertising and comics it's interesting that one of the main books which we had in the UK, which was the Star Wars Return of the Jedi storybook. You guys seen that red one with the big, it was the main sort of predominant red mm. uh, annual which came out. With the Emperor like, Royal Guards on it? Yeah, was yeah. So yeah, yeah. Vader and Empress Royal Guards. I'll look through that to see if they, if they had the similar sort of sense of urgency biker scout on it. And no, not at all. The only photograph they had was of a speeder bike blowing up. So you didn't actually see any pictures of the speeder bike in that book, which I just thought was rather peculiar. So, Stu, obviously we uh, we nip in and out of tracker quite often. And um, we've already said that Ben got himself a couple of bikes and three bikes for £60 plus fees, which uh, Rich thought was a pretty good deal. Is that right? Good deal? What are we looking at, mate? Well, it is, it is a very good deal. The prices this year. Now, I will say, as a ship, it's not something that's generally altered too much in price over the years but the standard kenner one boxed you're looking at an average of about 45 quid they have gone as low as 15 pound in boxes so i think it's another one of these right place right times one of the cheap ones on there had all the insert tray inserts was all complete so they are out there the meccano one the average for meccano one this year is only 46 pound so not much difference there for a, a foreign variant the only one that goes up particularly a lot was the Canna Canada, 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 what? Canna, <laughs> Canna, Canada one where the average for them is just under the £100 mark. But if you're just putting together some loose ones, your average is 11 quid and they've been picked up for two, three pounds this year. So still a reasonably liberal price vehicle, but there's a lot out there, isn't there? When you look on eBay, these are all over the place. No reason not to go and buy one. 
think it's the flaps which make a difference. I think very much like the, uh, he said okay. flaps. <laughs> I I don't know why I bother sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's the flaps, I think, which uh, can sometimes cause uh, for the, the prices to fluctuate as and when they do, because, you know, I've seen individual flaps sell for, yeah, 12, 15 quid. I mean, that's that's pretty pretty damn crazy. Handlebars as well, don't they? They go missing. Yeah, I've seen some come through my hands in the past where you've had two left-hand handlebars or, or two right, and I was thinking, hey, what's going on here? But yeah, these uh, this is a ship f- from the size of it. You know, you, you the end of it's not meant to come off, but the end can come off. Obviously, you can lose the, uh, the gun underneath, lose the flaps, lose the handlebars. So, yeah, quite a few things to this, but it, yeah, absolute beaut. I've got my original one in hand, uh, which unfortunately over the time has uh, lost its underbelly weapon. But, yeah, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Rich, what packaging variations? I mean, we've already mentioned some. What packaging variations are out there, dude? Oh, I think there's seven of them at the moment, isn't there? So you've got your, your standard US Kenna and the Kenna Stew, you're setting me off now. <laughs> And you've got the Kenner Canada one, which Joe mentioned. There's also a Europe by Logo box. There's a French Meccano. There are two for Spain PPB. There's one with a, a motor jet that's printed on the box. And there's one with a motor jet sticker on the by Logo boxes. You've got your Lily Daddy box as well. So that's that's them all. Nice one. And also now Ben's. So, uh, yeah, Ben's special one with the sticker. Awesome. Well, I don't think in class that's a variation, though, is it? That, uh, that's a box item with a sticker. Yeah, Absolutely, I know. I jest. Now for a quick escape on a speeder bike. You won't get away with this, Han Solo. New speeder bike with automatic speed flaps. Action figures each sold separately. Meow. I've got you now. Bad chance. Michael's got your base. I'm in hot pursuit and gaining. <laughs> Watch this. Open speed flaps and meow. I'm going to crash. Biker Scout, you're not all you're cracked up to be. New speeder bike. Action figures sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi collection. Guys, I'm 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 kind of a little bit giddy, a little bit excited, a little bit, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I, I've got mine in front of me with the biker skate on it. And I've just thought to myself, hang on a second, I haven't noticed that behind. And and underneath the biker scout's helmet, there's telltale threads. And uh, where I've had some cotton in the past tied round his neck. And I thought, well, what on earth's going on there? And I've just held it with my finger and thumb. And it's perfectly balanced. And I must have put that on as a kid. And in fact, I've got a slight recollection now of having the biker scout, once he's there, sat underneath or holding onto the handlebars underneath that little restraint, perfectly dangled down, recreating the chases. So rather than just holding it in your hand, I was using it with cotton. Can any of you guys would have done that, or is that just some sort of crazy thing which I may have done? Can you can you picture what I'm talking about? So I've yeah. got the actual biker scout suspended by cotton, mm. having a chase. Oh, yeah. Goodness! Did you not perhaps put cotton between two items and then, as you you know, like a piece of wire, and then you fly your biker scout and knocks it straight off the bike? No, didn't didn't do that. No, I'm excited to find a little bit of vintage cotton now around my original Biker Scouts helmet. I love that. Oh, awesome. Awesome for me, not for anyone else. There we go. <laughs> Pete, apart from the vintage speeder bike, 
for the three and three quarter inch line. What other speeder bike purchases were available, mate? What, what else could people have been buying? Well, I think we've now realised what Stu needs to raise money for when he sells his greater collection off. Because uh, we talked about it years ago, which is the Scout Walker Command Centre, with it, which was the enormous garden-based activity centre where the swing was the uh, speeder bike and that hanging underneath. So Stu really needs to get his uh, finger out now and start to raise money to find that, do it up, and put it in his garden next to his shed of uh, iniquities. Then, of course, we had the again that we all know about it, the Huffy speeder bike for, um, from the company who made Chopper bikes. That you you can, I mean, I've seen some pictures recently. I don't know, I can't remember why, but um, the the, it, <laughs> the enormous store display that came with it, which was like uh, win various prizes, which uh, which actually makes it look a lot better. I think it looks a bit a bit strange. It looks quite dwarfy. It looks like it's been shrunken. So I always think it looks a bit odd. Then, of course, we also had there's been a variety of other things out there. There's the speeder bike MPC kit, and which is accompanied by the speeder bike mirror kits. I don't know if you've seen these, but these are hideous. <laughs> it's basically just to describe what they are. It's basically a mirror with half a biker scout and half a, a speeder bike cut <laughs> cut across, cut down the the middle and stuck onto a mirror. So it looks like there's actually two halves of it. Why Why someone thought that was amazing, I don't know. But um, it comes in a quite nice box, which actually makes a nice little collection with the uh, the, the actual MPC kit itself. Um, there's a few other random bits out there, There's um, which um, something I actually found, I thought, you know what, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind getting that, actually, was the Return of the Jedi Random House Punch-Out and Make-It book, which actually has various models in there to make. And they're beautifully printed as well, so you can you punch them out and then you uh, put them together. Obviously, that's why it's a punch-out make-it book. Um, that's got speeder bike, imperial shuttle, sail barge, skiff, and hang glider. I mean, and the book's fantastic. It's like a beautiful blue book with an enormous sail barge on the front of it. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's uh, it's it's a, it's a staggering book. And there's also a few other random pieces that have come up. There was um, I'd look at vectors actually and see see what any, any interesting came up there. And uh, there was something which didn't sell. I think um, I had a conversation with Simon earlier, and he reckoned that this has come up on various Facebook groups recently, kind of <laughs> someone trying to get rid of it, obviously. But it's the original concept artwork and licensing slick for Biker Scout Stroke Speeder Bike Return the Jedi Stopwatch. I mean, it's, again, not the most interesting-looking thing in the world. The watch wouldn't have exactly got everyone excited. But uh, they, they were trying to. The, the estimate was around about one thousand eight hundred to two thousand, but it never actually sold. I don't know whether someone has actually got it, <laughs> but it's uh, again the artwork. Is, it doesn't exactly. I can kind of see maybe why it didn't make it. Um, it's a little bit on the dull side, but there we go. There was also I also found some concept art for the Return of the Jedi speeder bike bike arcade game back in the day, and the the artwork itself is on the the Star Wars Collector's Archive. It's actually fantastic. It would have been awesome. It's a bit like the, the, the uh, motorbike racing games, and uh, it would have also been a, a biker scout through Endor Forest, so um, and various other places. Of course, I mean you, you can also add in there like the computer games, the stickers, the activity books, and stuff where the thing appeared. But uh, th- those are the kind of things I kind of found which were more modelly and uh, or would have turned out to be models. Oh, Pete, that's brilliant! The uh, the arcade game, I hadn't seen that. I, yeah, I want to go and check that out. I'm assuming it, it didn't get anywhere because it's just concept art, but it did. It does look cool. I've got a link I can forward you right now if you wish. Oh, yeah, we'll put that in the notes, mate. Thanks very much. I don't think that for the price, mini rigs wise, this was beaten. 
I, d I don't think there's anything else in this size at this price point that uh, Kenner came out with which tops this. I mean, as um, you say, the exploding function. I don't think there was a better ship that, that came out in the Jedi line. I know we're going to say the Imperial Shuttle here, but I think the speeder bike was the best ship toy that came out new. Yeah. Considering its its size and its, uh, you know, it had so much feature to it, and also it was obviously from one of the best scenes in the film, you know, where you actually you can replicate that that uh, that scene through your your table legs, and it's great fun. Yeah, I mean, the sound, everything about that chase, the, the sound of the bikes, just the, at the speed, the ferocity. at the beginning about building a miniature forest that we could race through uh, motion control but in order to be able to just to get the speed because the idea behind it was incredible sense of speed plus there was a huge number of shots it was like it's 105 shots in three minutes there's some incredible amount of work in that, in that little self-contained sequence I love that sequence it's also a tremendous tribute to the work of Ben Burt who's the, uh, the sound designer for all these movies from Lucasfilm so he's, got a, he's given it a great sound. I got the idea of using a steady cam, and we did a test in a local park here of walking through the woods on a path that we kind of disguised. And he shot with a camera that shot one frame of film every second. So when you project it back 24 frames a second, it's going 24 times faster. And we figured he walked about five miles an hour, came up to about 100 miles an hour, and it looked great. about and that gave a kind of snapping and uh, crackling sensation and I heard a funny sound outside just an unusual sort of musical sort of sound a little bit like a laser gun and I said what's that and I looked out and there was a guy out in the street with an air hammer and it had jammed and it had a strange kind of a sound we also went out and we took a lot of metal debris old cans and boxes and pieces of wood and threw them up in the air and they came down through tree branches breaking the branches as they went and sort of bouncing about and that gave a kind of snapping and uh, crackling sensation and what's also great about this from a playability point of view is you're not limited to one character are you you know we you can have goodies on it buddies on it you can have ewoks on it it's uh it's just there is so much fun which can be had and as you said from a price point of view brilliant the exploding function though i i just i i can recall getting this building it and just playing with it over and over and over again yeah design wise it was it's perfect i mean it looked like the item in the film it acted like the item in the film it did everything and it's just you know it's quite a small toy really it's not much to it but it's just, you know, you, I don't think you could get more accurate, really. It was just, it's, it was spot on. Whoever designed that and put the the exploding feature in it, with, you know, genius, absolute genius. Yeah. Has anyone no. ever seen the NPC model built? No. No. I reckon that'd be quite a nice little model kit. I'll, I'll find one. I might get one of you to make it for me. <laughs> <laughs> make it on our trip to fax. Yeah. You <laughs> make will, it whilst yeah. I'm driving the motorhome. A little challenge. Oh, oh, mate, that's a really good idea. Should we get one? And so we could build it over the weekend. Anything. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'll leave it with me. 
okay. We haven't even spoken about our fax trip. Amazing. Right, so there we go. Whilst you're talking about the design, here you go, Simon. This could uh, this could just fall dead in the water now. But I sent you a challenge of saying, well, what could Kenner have done to improve the speeder bike? Have you had a thought about that? Or have, uh, is it difficult to improve on perfection, buddy? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's really difficult to pr- improve on perfection. I, two things came up with, and one, in fairness, isn't about the bike, the speeder bike. To improve the look and the functionality and all the rest of it, you would have had to improve the bike scout figure, which I've got to say is pretty much my favourite of the original vintage figures anyway. Uh, it's such a cool figure. But he would have had to have been in that exciting racing, you know, motorcycle, Arleman TT race kind of pose, wouldn't he? Hunched over the bike, and you yeah. can't do that with a five points of articulation. So that's hardly the vehicle's fault. The only other thing which is really being picky and trying to improve on the impossible, and it, I can't say how it could have worked, is the little sort of handlebarsy thing, the spring-loaded handlebars that keeps the biker scout legs on the bike. It would have been so cool if you had been able to turn that left and right because it does wobble a little bit and the little cannon underneath would have turned and that's it <laughs> and that, yeah, that really is it uh, it is as as you can't improve on perfection can you and it, it's it's beautiful it's beautiful right down to the, the oh yeah not losing the bloody flaps so much that would have been cool but it's just so funky everything about it extra flaps they had another set of flaps have been you never have too many flaps mate exactly flaps are in this season to improve it, obviously you wouldn't have been able to do it at the time, but I think the sound effect would have been fantastic because the sound of the speeder bike is just something else. Um, but obviously to try and get a sound system in something that small, yeah, pretty impossible. The ejector explosion function is just perfect. I know exactly what you say about the the seat, the way it is with its five points of articulation. Because I was thinking, oh, can can the legs go a different way? Almost, you know, can we have it like this? Can we have it like that? But yeah, I think they've uh, I think they've made the the best they can do there. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, maybe a little bit of weathering, you know, battle damage because they did that on the, obviously with the power of the force two line. They recreated it from the same moulds all over again. But it was it was a brown, and they had some nice blaster marks on it, which made it look really cool. But they didn't go in for the weathering, did they, on the original line? So forgiven again. So from a design point of view, we've we've spoken about it, gone over. There are so many different components to this. And the problem is when you've got these bits which go missing, then there is going to be a market for reproduction items. Rich, you've been looking, uh, what, what have you got on reproduction items for this, mate? And uh, any good telltale signs? Well, yeah, uh, I think the most common thing that you find on these are modern parts. And as um, Simon said, that there are a lot of browns. On the modern items, so you've got to be careful if you find things that come with, you know, like brown parts on them. Although, seeing that, we were talking before we recorded, Simon, didn't we, that some of the Macau uh, speeder bikes did have brown paint on them. And I think there's also, if I've got it right, I think Leddy might have had silver paint on some of the items. But, yeah, pretty much everything can be uh, repwood for these. Um, you can get rep- repwood flaps, which is exactly what you'd expect with those being a little bit pricey. Quick fire test is that the real ones do sink and the repwood float. But there were marking numbers on them. And you've got to be careful with the marking numbers, though, because on some of them, the marked numbers are the same for the fakes and the digits. So um, I think the numbers for the ones that are definitely fake are 6630030G 
and 663013A. However, legit ones also have those numbers. They've just obviously been put on them. Uh, so they're the two ones that are faked that would definitely mark. So if you've got one that you think it's faked and not one of those numbers, then contact the guys from TIG. The handlebars are also Repro'd, but unfortunately both Repro and Real Float. So the float test is not going to work with those. And those are marked 663019C and 663020H. And the cannon blaster on the on the base as well is also, there's evidence of repro cannon blasters as well appearing in the market. So as with most items, take have got some absolutely fantastic high quality photos. So if you're unsure about any of them, just, you know, check check them off against uh, the TIG guides. It's, it's the flaps is the most difficult thing to get now. I think, and it's often your best buying complete, as you are with most things, rather than buying something that's part complete and then attempting to uh, finish it off later. Brilliant advice there, Rich. So, finally, as often which we do, we go over to the Star Wars Collector's Archive and obviously Pete's seen the, the mock-up for the game, but just wanted to see what other components there were. And, and and there were quite a few. There were quite a few which took my eye. Uh, and I thought about it and I thought, well, rather than us just read it out, we often refer to the Star Wars Collector's Archive to find out about certain grail pieces, prototypes and whatnot. And I'm delighted to say that rather than have me drone on about it or us drone on about what's been written, we're hoping to work a little bit closer with some of the contributors of Star Wars Collector's Archive, some of the contributors of some of the uh, books, which we often refer to as well, which I've been referring to earlier on. And I'm sure that our listeners would far prefer to hear from them rather than ourselves. They want to listen to the experts. What I'd like to do is is to welcome these people more and more onto the podcast. Uh, and we could almost refer to them almost as uh, the Vintage Rebellion Alliance. Uh, and I am delighted to say that this evening, um, the owner of two of the pieces which we've seen on the Star Wars Collector's Archive, which is the uh, Palatoid Concept and the uh, first shot, is Chris Jorgulius. And I sent Chris a message with a couple of questions just saying, right, can you talk about these? So here we go. Chris Jorgulius and his pre-production speeder bike items. Chris Jorgulius here, recording for the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Uh, Today, Jez asked me to talk about a couple of speeder bike prototypes, since that's the uh, vehicle of choice right now. Uh, The first one I'm going to talk about is probably more near and dear to the folks in the UK. It's the uh, speeder bike that showed up in much of the photography that was used in the promotions um, in Europe. Uh, you can find these, uh, you know, in Palatoy packaging in some of uh, there's German catalog, uh, German poster, John Menzies ad. It showed up in Australian ad, used in many places. But what's interesting about it is that it is a completely hand built model of the speeder bike. It is likely maybe the first functional speeder bike they made at Kenner, and it's completely handmade with metal parts. There's steel parts and aluminum parts with styrene parts. The cowl's made of styrene. They, they heated it and formed it. All the parts are handmade. The struts are made of uh, paintbrush handles. They just cut the, cut the bristle end off and use the handles and paint in the black for struts. It's interesting. This piece originally turned up randomly at a comic shop in Melbourne, Australia in 1997. The guy that was working at the comic shop was buying a box of items, box of Star Wars items from from a person and pulled the speeder bike out 
of the box, you know, um, to the side, held it for himself because he knew it was something special. And he held on to it for a number of years until um, a friend of his, Will McGowan, showed it up, showed it off on Rebel Scum. And uh, it didn't take very long to realize that it matched the photos that we had seen um, in all the Palatoy ads. And you could tell by some of the scratches in the paint that it was the exact same speeder bike. I mean, there's a couple of um, distinct scra scratches in the black paint that show up in the photography, and it matched exactly. So it was really amazing that this turned up. Nobody really knows how it ended up there. Um, like I mentioned before, uh, there's um, it did show up on some Australian packaging. One of the guys that worked at the Kenner Model Shop was pretty certain that they made it there. Uh, it's unclear why they actually would have sent it overseas and how it ended up in Australia, but it's really amazing that it did. And that guy eventually decided to sell it. He wanted to sell it to somebody in the U.S., so another uh, collecting friend, being Sheehan, helped work a deal and um, got this thing sold. So it was pretty pretty amazing piece. It's, uh, it, it is functional. The uh, explosion feature works in principle, but there's not a spring in it to, to launch the part. Uh, since it's so fragile, they wouldn't want uh, you wouldn't want to launch this uh, cowl across the room. The legs do actuate the speeder bike flaps, but they're not spring loaded. They sort of work like a little uh, lever, and uh, so all the features are there. The shapes, you know. In general, it's it's similar. It's it's like the the production version, but there's many differences when you look at all the all the uh, details there. And you'd see that in the photography, usually it's shown with a stormtrooper riding it, and that's almost ninety nine percent sure. It's probably because the speeder, uh, the biker scout figure was not ready at that point, so all they had to use was a stormtrooper. So, pretty interesting piece. It's amazing that. Uh, it still exists. Um, scratch built models are they don't they don't last long because if you don't store it very well, it doesn't take take much to get it to tear up. And it's amazing that it got thrown in a box with some other random loose Star Wars toys, and um, it it managed to survive intact. And uh, one of the other pieces Jez asked about was a, a first shot of the speeder bike. At this point, it would. Um, you know they they're well past the concept model and they're onto the tooling stage and they've they've made actual steel molds and plastic parts and the first shot is is the same as the production bike um across the board uh one of the interesting things about it is the the cowl is shot in black plastic um this is you know it can be sometimes typical for first shots where the factory just ran the the colors that they had on hand um black works pretty well you know it goes pretty well with this sometimes you'll find things in really odd colors that don't match at all the rear ends of the first shots are usually the die cast rear ends are not painted so they're just silver and you know they're they're die cast for weight balancing an interesting thing about the first shots is usually when you stand them up they point straight in the air it's because the springs are too strong they hadn't dialed in the spring pressure at that point so they don't sit level so that's why um, the ones you see um, used to see them more often they've pretty much gone into collections now you don't you don't see them too much but pretty interesting piece not many speeder bike things around there are some some of the uh, the uh, production artwork 
I think was sold years ago. That's still in existence. And I've seen a engineering pilot, uh, all white box. Um, otherwise, it looks like a speeder bike box, but it's just completely all white. So, interesting things out there for the speeder bike. It's a fun little vehicle and quite a favorite from Return of the Jedi. So, hope you guys enjoyed this little brief description of these pieces. Thanks. Move closer! Get alongside that one! I was just going to cover just after Chris's interview there, Jez. Yep. So, as he said that the concept model made its way from the United States, ended up in, you know, Palatoy on some Palatoy promotional materials, then went to Australia where it was pictured on some advertised materials from for ice creams. So, it, it is a little bit confusing. Why do you think they've sent an actual model across the world instead of sending images? There was talk about, I think, protection rights on some photographs, and it was easier to send. The... Yes, the copyright issues. Yes, of That's course, right. that makes sense now, yeah. yeah. So, so, so owners of the photographer, uh, photographs you know, in America, because that's their work registered to them, yeah, it was just easier to send the actual mock-up, the concept itself. So this thing had a bit of a busman's holiday, and you can see where, as, as Chris said, that they, they, it's been tied in. You can see the damage on this particular one, which which he's got, uh, and the ones from the catalogue. Even it shows you that when it arrived in the UK, I think the guy who put it together put the end on upside down, and because obviously he had nothing else to go on. Uh, and when it went off to Australia, then it appeared around the right way again, but obviously with an incorrect driver on it. So um, yeah, this thing had done the rounds, but I think it's all to do with the uh, image rights. That's interesting because you wonder how they got around all Kim Simmons's photography then, which made its way all the way around the world, didn't it? Yeah, but Kim Simmons may have been employed as a a marketing photographer as opposed to the guy who took the photograph of a concept model. Yeah, but I mean that's the other thing because Kim got a load of load of the hard copies and and uh, prototypes and all sorts of stuff, didn't he? So I'm surprised that that didn't end up with him in the in the first place. J- just a random mm-hmm. thought. But yeah, absolutely uh, delighted and very, very pleased to uh, to have Chris on to tell us about that. And I, I certainly hope our listeners like having these uh, contributors coming on. Guys, that brings us to the end of the new acquisitions for this month. I'm delighted that we've been able to have so many guys on, Justin, Ian and Chris, giving up their time to talk about their new acquisitions or just to give us a little bit of insight into um, some rather special pieces which have been shown on Star Wars Collector's Archives. We have looked at so many different things and I'd be keen to hear from anyone who can come up with an idea to, uh, to improve what we think is the perfected Kenner speeder bike. Come on, guys, get your imagination on and tell us what they could have done. Or is it your favourite piece in that line? So until next month. Ladies and Germans, children of all ages, pick up your Tupperware container full of pecans and freshly washed elderberries. It's the Market Watch. Mr. Moynihan, music please. Game crack, show us your game crack. We value your game crack, show it to me. 
from now, we need to celebrate the gimcrack. And some of you out there have been utilising the word gimcrack to describe all sorts. I think we need to promote this more. Now, to do this, we should be issuing a badge for the best gimcrack suggestion every month. It's got to be something that's bought or has been acquired or has surfaced in the last month. So it can't be just going to the Star Wars Collector's Archive and going, oh, that looks pretty good. So if it's something I really like, we should review it or review two or three and choose the winner. And a person who highlighted it will be sent a lovely little gimcracker badge. So we'll do that every month. So Gim Cracker Badge. A Gim Cracker Badge. If you want to know what Gim Crack is, the dictionary definition will sort of talk about tat. I don't want to put down anyone's collection, but um, I think I've probably got quite a lot of Gim Crack in mind. But uh, just stuff that's, you know, not not high-end, shall we say. I've asked the guys to start this off. I've asked them to, to supply me with a Gim Crack item, which I can choose and award the first... Inaugural Gimcracker Award. I will go at random. Let's start with Jezebel. What's your Gimcrack for this month? Oh dear, there, there I was just saying, not Jez, not Jez, not Jez. Um, I kind of got this wrong slightly. Um, I did Google Gimcrack and it said showy but cheap or badly made. Good, good. Uh, and, and I looked at various different things. And I, and I struggled, and then it suddenly occurred to me, the Star Wars Holiday Special. And I've kind of hung my hat on that, because um, it was a bit showy. You know, there was there was a number, there was a song, and there was lots of makeup. Uh, and you get that in shows, makeup in songs. Um, but it was cheap, and it, and it was badly made. So I was like, yes, definitely, the Holiday Special. Um, but I'm not sure if anyone's actually bought that and shown it on a Facebook group. If, if anyone has... Um, bought it recently and, and shown it on a Facebook group, please tag me. Um, otherwise, I think I may have just already been the first forfeit of the Gimcrack Awards uh, 2017. And that's what happens when you don't read the show notes. So, right, Simon, let's go on to you quickly. Right, okay, I've got I've got two, because I think you might disqualify us as one. Okay, go ahead. So, go ahead. All right, I'll go for the risky one first. There was a post on Star Wars Forum UK by a new user who... It says he's got a book coming out uh, sometime later this year through a, a well-known publisher, uh, all about Star Wars collectibles. And in there, he's got a whole section dedicated to media. So mm. your, your records, your, your, the films themselves, including 8mm films, which I know has been discussed briefly before. Um, but what was a real revelation was that he had heard that a company called Derren in as late as 1989, released A New Hope on Super 8mm film. Mm. The whole film. That's four 600-foot reels of film uh, at the cost of several hundred pounds at the time. And what was really intriguing about it was the fact that, A, it was 1989. Bear in mind the 8mm market died in 81, 82. Hence, they never even bothered producing Return of the Jedi in the UK on 8mm film. Six years later, the market dies really dies, they've brought this out. It's a magnificent cost, but what was really interesting about it, Darren took their 8mm print direct from a pretty much unused, fresh print of A New Hope that, that appeared in France, uh, and apparently the quality of it is absolutely astounding, and it's the only way that really you'll ever get to see A New Hope again, as it was shown in the cinemas 40 years ago. I thought like 8mm could only do like 10 minutes. It, it can do as long as you like. You've just got to have a projector big enough. 
now, now your standard home projectors typically would only take the I think they were four hundred foot reels. But if you went sort of super deluxe costing a fortune, they would quite happily take six hundred foot reels. Uh, and in, uh, I think if they were standard eight, that would double as an eight hundred foot reel. You fit eight hundred feet of tape on it. But I just love the idea that you had this four reeler, massive hundreds of pounds worth of film that you could show at your own home oh and, and you could show the proper print and apparently the colors are incredible on it so that i think is that's my new grail but in case you that's don't beautiful. allow that thing is well he hasn't bought it is that is that the film do you remember, i don't you remember do you remember the comics where they used to advertise show star wars in your home and there was like a it was an advert and it was advertising some kind of company that they would actually set it up for like parties and stuff you know it must have cost a fortune i wonder if that was a super eight film Wow, I didn't. I hadn't seen that. I thought that show Star Wars in your own home was those funny little two hundred foot movie projectors, the hand cranking ones. That you <sighs> no get. idea, no idea. I, I, I just it just popped into my head just there. That's in, that's. I'm liking that one, Sai. It's, it's a beautiful thing, mate. It's a, I looked up on. I was straight on eBay afterwards, and there's one chap in France at the moment who's got real number four <laughs> up for sale only, and that is currently sat at around ninety euros. Something okay. like that. It's on bids. It's, it's on auction, so it's only got a couple of bids, but it's got days to run. Ooh. I contacted him saying, you know, what happened to reels one to three? And he said, Darren used to occasionally just sell what spare reels they had left. And he said, I bought reel four from them. And oh that was it. Oh, my goodness. And to give you some idea in terms of numbers, all that someone who related to the production of this film could say with Darren is that they sold at least 250 units. They couldn't say any more accurate figures than that. But this really is a rare beastie. Uh, a really bad condition one uh, went and sold in the States two years ago for $450. <laughs> I think now you're probably... I'd, I'd hate to guess, but I would have thought this, uh, a full set of four reels in good condition over here, you've got to be talking six, eight hundred pounds. I think you need, I think you need, you owe the Star Wars community at Christmas to buy this and bring it. <laughs> I think, I think I owe Star Wars community to find a full set in good condition first. Well, yeah, someone must, someone must have it somewhere. But I'm mm. liking that, I'm liking that slice of gimcrack. What's your reserve piece though? Because like the boy's um, going to have to like step up for, to beat that one. Right. Uh, the reserve piece uh, was a fairly safe bet in complete and utter obscurity. Uh, it was on the Beyond the Toys group, and someone has got there a couple of Harper's Dog Chow stickers <laughs> from Australia. These were landscape stickers, I think they were, in, in uh, that came with, yeah, bags of dog food. Uh, and they are eye-wateringly rare and therefore expensive. And I don't even like them. The Jabberwon was used and had been on a carry case and since cut off the carry case. So it's got like the blue vinyl on the back of it. Um, that's £245. And then the Vader one, which is unused, is up at £520. Oh, my goodness. And what do these stickers look like? What's on them? Are they pictures of dogs? Well, no, no. It's just got press release photo of Jabber on his throne there. Uh, but it's, it's it's sort of like zoomed in on his on his head in one corner a, a yellow flash across the corner saying something like Harper's dog chow and that's it They're, that one's rectangular with rounded corners I mean it really is the most unremarkable thing that you could think of 
<laughs> but that's what I, like. I really don't like them. I really, really don't like them, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have paid five pound each. But you know, they're rare, so people want them. How big are they? Uh, I didn't actually see that. I didn't. I, there wasn't any scale on there. But in, oh my, in my head, I'd made them about eight centimeters long and about five, five or six centimeters high, something along those lines. I mean, who, who would need to sell dog food with Star Wars? I mean, <laughs> what, what's the connection? I mean, uh, random. I'm, assume, I'm assuming Chow is is food. I'm assuming it's yeah. And, and yeah. what what market was that from? Australia or something? Australia. I wonder if they did any cat chow or one of them cats are too cool to chow page 48 of the star wars collectibles book this little uh steve sansweet micro book it's got a picture and a description of them oh awesome give it give it jez give the description i'm intrigued suddenly really yes among the most unusual product tie-ins was the 1983 campaign in australia for harper's dog chow then again, perhaps it isn't so strange when you <laughs> consider that Wookiee Chewbacca was modelled after George Lucas's dog, Indiana. The Vader decal on the back informs dog owners that there's one of 12 Jedi stickers inside amongst the beef-flavoured kibble. So there you go, one of 12 Jedi stickers inside. I'm sure dogs up and down the country must be like, you know, barking for something, you know, The Last Jedi. I mean, that's trying to sell Star Wars <laughs> to dogs. <laughs> I'm sure they're, they're, they were running to get it. Right, that was pretty good. I mean, after Jez's flop. Now, let's move on to Stuart. Yeah, just, just give me a sec. I'm just just rereading the show notes, just trying to find where it says, <laughs> oh, let's see if we can find the most expensive gimcrack. Okay, because um, I've bought something to the table which probably cost £10. Good, right, that's what um, I like. Come on, bring it on, bring it on. Trevor McConville on Beyond the Toys, he has bought an Ewok personal care bag, and I've never oh. seen these before. It's like oh. a little uh, like a little wash bag type thing for makeup. And it's got a big picture of Princess Nisa's face with a little comb and a little mirror tucked oh. in the front in a, in a plastic sleeve with a cardboard header on it. But um, What colour is it? Well, there's three colours. There is a. He's got a red and a blue one, and he's currently looking for what he calls the purple, but many others call the pink. So the purple pink one he is looking for to make up a set, but I've never seen them before. Oh my goodness! Um, they're absolutely stunning. That's awesome. Well, but, they, they, um, they've got to be worth. But I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you, Pete. They're so rare. I looked on eBay, and there's like only one sold in the last twenty years, and it's like eight grand. <laughs> Oh, if, if, if they are, well, if you if you never seen them and you are the you know the Nisa focus collector, then uh, then how they, they must be rare. So maybe that it's it's ten thousand pounds, not ten. You may very well have found the item to go on the badge. <laughs> yeah, that is a cracking item. It doesn't need to be the, the expensive one like size found, but that's definitely in there for Gim Crack. I think what else I found actually. Well, I didn't find it. It was added on Beyond the Toys not that long ago. Which I've never seen before. All over was the um, someone had posted an ESB bobble hat. Did you see it? Like yes. Red, yellow, yes, blue, yes. black, with the logo, and they reckon it was used in a cinema in Canada when ESB was released. So, right, I think Rich is going to have a one hell of a job here, unless he unless he does a jazz. You know, no I mean, one, no one does. <laughs> it. No, no one does. No one does. No one does. <laughs> no one does. I found the dog chew. Right, I, I found the dog chew in my book. Um, that's skin crack. That's definitely skin crack. But I didn't realise that there had been any sold because I, I had seen that. Hence, page fourteen. I think I think Jez has contributed. 
with yeah. along with Sai. He's tag team with Simon. Good I work, think boys. he's tried to tag right. himself onto Sai's absolute ludicrous <laughs> answers. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, just trying to pay him back for my performance earlier. Right, so Rich, come on, come on. We know that you would have taken this very, very seriously. Let's and you know it. what? I didn't because. <laughs> What I did was I thought, right, I'm going to look for something that I think is probably the most ridiculous item that I'm just good. never, ever going to want. Good, good. And uh, I saw somebody selling the Yoda Magic 8-Ball, and I thought that is probably the most ridiculous item that I'm never, ever going to want. It was boxed. But I just think the whole concept of that Yoda Magic 8-Ball is absolutely ridiculous. Even the way that you've got to look at, you know, you've got to tip it upside and basically stare up, stare up its backside to see the uh, what the contents of the 8-Ball you know, is, is going to see is ludicrous. <laughs> Thanks, Rich. That was wonderful. So, Rich, you picked something and then just slagged it completely off. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm not sure about that. you, Pete, though, Prince of Gimcrack. Is there something which you found which you could slap on your own badge, you know, to Hutchinson? <laughs> yeah, sadly. <laughs> sadly, sadly, Stuart went and stole it, but there we go. It was going to be the hat. Uh, yeah. I love that hat. That's a brilliant it's, hat. It is a great hat because it's just mm. completely like someone's just got a, a stupid coloured hat. What's it about? It, it's kind of like rings of colour. Then an empire it's strikes like a back. Rainbow hat. Yeah. Then, then an empire strikes back logo on it. It's like, oh, okay. And a bobble. Don't forget the bobble. <laughs> Was it a bobble? I don't remember the bobble. It's got a yeah, bobble. There's a, there's a black bobble on the top. Again. Oh my goodness. So I didn't decided not to choose though because it was only worth about four hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's not about the money, Stu. Exactly. It's <laughs> about the love of the item, which Richard didn't have this time. But anyway, it's, it's up to you guys out there next time to find me some gimcrack. Now, I've got to choose. I've got to say, I mean, Sai, that film thing was just it was staggeringly brilliant. But I just because it's got to go on the badge, I've got to go with Stuart's. I've got to go with the care bag. Ah, oh, see that, Sai? Money can't buy you everything. <laughs> and now, the top five speeder bike prices on StarWarsTracker.com that caught my fancy and tickled my gizzard. <laughs> At number five, fly me to the moon and push that biker scout right off. It's a loose without packaging speeder bike at a top price of £37. And four, get off that, you grubby little flea-ridden, human-consuming chubby bear. It's a Return of the Jedi A Canon Mint and Seal box for £129. At three, Princess Leia has knocked you off your bike, and your innards are being made into mints by a family of gentle humming tree bears. It's a graded Kenner by Logo Moto Jet for £294. And at two, Biker Scouts get your revenge on the Ewoks by letting them sit on your bike and press the self-destruct button. It's a graded Return of the Jedi A for £317.30p. But at number one, you can't have a speeder bike without a biker scout. It's a Lily Lady Menton card for £2,356 of the Queen's Pound. See you guys next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5.
Right, it is with great sadness that after we finished recording this month's podcast, we heard about the the awful sad passing of Mete Aiken, 36 years old, uh, no age at all. So really, really sad to hear this news. We obviously had him back on the show back on episode 25 in June 2016. He was on with Pete in the market. I think you were discussing Uze's, if I remember rightly, Pete. Yeah, I mean, we had no real idea about Uze collecting or bootlegs. So we kind of went to the guy we, we knew has the most knowledge on these things and uh, a genuine Turkish exile. And he gave a fantastic interview. He's such a nice guy. He was so easy to talk to. Uh, I think I talked to him for a good hour and a half plus mostly about football and Turkish football and European football, but uh, also about Star Wars collecting. That's, that's obviously why we hit it off. But he's always been, since that interview, he was always so helpful. You can only, if you need to know anything about bootlegs or who were the people in the, in the industry to talk to about bootlegs, he would uh, pass you on. He's just, I mean, it is an absolute shocking loss, absolutely shocking. I mean, I'm, when I heard about it, it, it really did kind of make you think about, you know, your collecting and your Star Wars and your life in general. Really. It, was, it, was, it really has been... A shock to the system, and uh, all my sympathies with his family, of course, and his friends. Yeah, Rich, Jez, did either of you uh, ever have much to do with Mete? I didn't on a Star Wars level. I mean, um, obviously Mete's main interest was bootlegs, and I don't have a huge bootleg interest, but as Pete said, they, I did talk to Mete um, quite a few times about Turkish football. Certainly uh, reminiscing on Euro 96, when Turkey actually had a half-decent team, and we used to have a, a bit of a joke now and again about how you know, poor the English team are now, but, you know, I should count to that by saying that the Turkish team were even worse. Um, certainly, I remember he, uh, he particularly enjoyed um, Hakan Suke. He was one of the uh, the Turkish, you know, legends from Turkish football. And uh, Emre Khan, who was one of his favourites playing for Liverpool. So, yeah, I'm going to miss certainly some of our ribbing and jibbing between different football teams. Um, but it was all in good fun. You know, you're going to be miss Mete and sad loss for the community, as Pete said. Thoughts with the family, particularly after that uh, terrible accident that he had in Turkey uh, last year when the car crash happened. So, you know, big shame. Yeah, it certainly puts everything into perspective. I mean, we had never spoken, but after having listened to the interview, which Pete did more than a couple of times, remarkable sense of achievement of what he's done. But I, I had no idea how much involved he was within the whole medical world as well, um, outside of Star Wars. But it certainly brings things home with regards to, um, you know, Give those around you a bit of a squeeze and a love because you just don't know what's going to happen out of the blue. I do remember, though, from that interview that I'm sure he was pretty particular on the pronunciation of his bootlegs. And I'm sure he'd very much like to correct you two guys right now because I'm convinced he was calling them ooze eyes rather than ooze a's. So uh, I just think, um, yeah, he, it, bearing in mind that he can't correct you on that right now, I think I need to. The interview was a great interview. It wasn't too long. And I think with Uze, Uzai, whatever the pronunciation is, I think the information in that interview, I don't think there's any harm with us just rerunning that here as a bit of a tribute to the one and only time we managed to get him on the show. I just want to get an idea, really, of... Because we know nothing about Uze's. Now, I don't even know if I'm even saying Uze right. I don't even know if I'm getting your name right as well. So if you, if you can clear those two things up very quickly. Sure, yeah. The uh, well, well, my name is... Uh, most people, when they see my name, they pr- they pronounce it uh, Meat, which which drives me absolutely <laughs> insane, as you can imagine. Because I think to myself, who, you know, we'll think about for a second. I don't, you know, I don't know who would name their, name their child Meat. So uh, my, my name is pronounced Mete. Uh, phonetically, it's M-E-H-T-E-H. Okay. Um, and uh, the the correct pronunciation uh, is uh, Uzai, actually. So uh-huh. they've um, 
people people uh, will uh, say it's pronounced like ooze, O O Z E, like something oozing out of your eye, E Y E. So ooze eye, um, and that and that is the pro- correct pronunciation for it. And it means it means space in Turkish. You sound very American, by the way. <laughs> I am very American. I was born in I was born in Turkey, um, but my parents moved whenever I was three years old. They moved to Pittsburgh, so I'm uh, I'm I'm you know dual dual Turkish American citizen. But my uh, you know my wife is Turkish. I have a lot of family still in Turkey. I go there about two to three times a year, um, usually to Istanbul. Um, and you know when I was younger, I would. After I my parents moved to the United States, I would still you know spend my summers there, usually three four months at a time. Because something that's always fascinated me is is how on earth did these things get out anywhere? Was it a company called SB Products that made these things? You know, there's there's still a lot of debate on the timeline of when they were produced. It's assumed based on when they were available. From when I remember them being available uh, when I was a kid was around 1988 is the year that. Uh, people uh, believe that they were going, that they were being manufactured and in, in, in uh, stores, and uh, as, you know, as you can imagine, that's that's quite a few years after the you know last line of uh, vintage yeah. Kenner uh, Power of the Force stuff was was placed out. So um, I think uh, uh, you know a, a part of it was you know the timing of it allowed them to sort of fly under the radar because of sort of the craze for uh, for Star Wars figures at that time was already dying down. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, the actual company, SB Products, was not, was a, to my knowledge, and from speaking uh, with other people, uh, you know, uh, friends and relatives, um, it was not a toy manufacturer by any means. It was actually some sort of uh, industrial uh, manufacturing company that made a wide range of different products, um, including, uh, you know, plastics. I think uh, they were also involved in producing some sort of metals like iron and copper and things like that so so they really had nothing to do specifically with toy production they just saw an opportunity to manufacture these bootlegs and uh you know uh, get a get a share of the market because at the time it was very difficult uh and very pricey to import um legitimate licensed uh kenner products into the country someone got the idea of getting you know legitimate copies of these figures and then making the molds uh, based on the Kenner figures because the actual Uzai figures are, 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 as far as bootlegs go, very good quality and, and match the production counterparts quite well. So so someone uh, you know there, because they were involved in manufacturing, manufactured the molds based on some, some Kenner figures. And then the one thing that we do know, and this is something that uh, came to light over the last couple of years, the nephews of this guy who was the photographer for the card back art posted on Facebook these very old photos of their uncle with his actual original photos of the card back art for the Uzai figures. Like and they're 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 floating around on Facebook somewhere and I can certainly send them to you by email. Yeah. But yeah. there's there's photos of, you know, uh, proof cards for Headman, Chewbacca, um, uh, the two vehicles that were manufactured. And these uh, these nephews did give some information to me on a little bit more background on, on their uncle, who unfortunately died a while ago, so you can't uh, extract any information from him. But he was hired as the photographer for the figures, and he would essentially 
make these, you know, sort of layouts and uh, diorama type things, <laughs> place the figures in them, and take photographs of them, and those were those were used for the card back art. That, that is something. Whenever I see it, it's. Uh, it, I mean, I just can't stop laughing. I mean, they are the fun, <laughs> some of the funniest things I've seen. I think it's the Chewbacca one. I'm. I mean, I just show it to people because they just can't believe how ridiculous it is. Yeah, but it, 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 it is one. genuinely yeah, yeah. beautifully funny. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that is part of that is part of the love for these figures, and that's why you know the, the, there's a really a perfect storm for for why these figures are as valuable and sought out, um, you know, by collectors. You know, it, it matches everything. Uh, you know that that should make a a you know vintage product valuable. You know, they're very rare. They were produced in low quantities, and there's this, you know, cultish following to them because of how cheesy the cardback art is, and that's what really makes them so wonderful is the cardback art itself. You know, if you look closely at the nameplates as well um, on the cardback art, you know, it's particularly for Chewbacca. So, so there's two different um, uh, cardback variants. One of the, one of them is called Aslanadam, which means a uh, lion man in Turkish, and the other one says. Maimunadam, which means monkey man in Turkish. So, <laughs> so the way, so you know, and and the and the actual, it doesn't say Chewbacca uh, for the for the figure on the back of the card. It says Chebacca. They got rid of the W. So, so they and they do this, you know, obviously to to avoid copyright infringement, and that's and that's you know just all these little things um, <laughs> that make them so so appealing to you know to so many of us. Were they quite well known in Turkey? So when you were a kid, did people say, "Oh yeah, I used to have Star Wars figures," but they were talking about um, about these figures, or were, were they actually something which only a, a, you know, a certain amount of people knew about, and they became, you know, more renowned later? So like in the nineties and two thousands. Yeah, yeah. That, so that's a great question. So you know, when I when I was growing up, um, me and, and and my family members and friends in Turkey, we didn't really. We didn't really uh, notice a difference between the figures because the quality of the bootlegs were were pretty good. Um, I remember distinctly though as a child because I had a blue star figure growing up um, that I had this figure that looked a lot like my because I had a Kenner Snowtrooper as well, and I'm okay. like, this is this is the same like this, this is the same figure, but it's it's blue, and I and I didn't understand why because I was just a kid. But you know, I was like, so I, I didn't really make the connection as to as to why these were different. So, so kids just sort of collected them, and you know, didn't really didn't really care. Now, there were times I remember uh, with my specifically with my cousin who was a couple years older than me and who had more money than me would brag because he would be able to afford the uh, Kenner figures that were in Turkey that could be found in much larger department stores, but were five to six times the cost of the uh, of the Uzai bootlegs. So so there was some level of uh, people being aware that, okay, these are the Kenner figures. They come from overseas. They're, you know, special, and they're more desirable for that reason. They're not these crappy, you know, bootlegs that, that you know, some, you know, the, that these Turks are making. Um, so, so to answer your question, you know, there really wasn't a lot of appreciation for the differences back then. It was... It was really in the mid '90s um, when uh, these started to, you know, come to light at in conventions. To my understanding, because I wasn't collecting back then, but people would bring these to uh, conventions, particularly uh, a collector uh, called Lev, uh, who runs Toy Tokyo, had gone to Turkey in the mid '90s and picked up uh, boatloads of carded Uzai figures and brought them back 
to the United States to sell them. And he would sell them at conventions. Um, and, and, and back then, um, and I have a few carded figures that still have the price tags on them uh, that Lev had placed on them in the 90s, and, and they were you know selling for $50, $60. And people were, were starting to become aware of them at that time as these unique collector's items, but they weren't expensive by any means. Um, and it wasn't until I would say, you know, the mid-2000s, something like that, you know, when, when uh, the new uh, Star Wars movies were coming out again, that uh, prices on these uh, started to skyrocket and, and, and have really been skyrocketing ever since then. Before two years ago, before I sort of got back into collecting, I had no idea these even existed. So they are, uh-huh. they are truly spectacular items. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I I agree with you. And and you know if you've if you've gotten back into collecting, you know, two years ago, you've 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 seen the really you know exponential increase in yeah. in prices for these. But but to be honest, so I I've gotten into collecting, I would say you know heavily for the last seven years, and I've always um, you know since I've been collecting focused on Uzai figures because I grew up with them and I love them because I'm Turkish and, and, and for those reasons. And I've seen when I when I started collecting, you know, the prices just seven years ago were minuscule compared to what they are now. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we, we've seen an increase in, in prices obviously across the board with the new movies coming out. But it seems like with the with the Uzais, it, it literally does nothing but go up and up and up. And 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 despite there being, you know, these this, it's not like they're impossible to find loose and carded. There is some availability, but but no matter what's available out there, who's offering it, the next time something gets offered, the price is just higher than it than it previously was for the same thing, and it, it just keeps going up. You know, when, when when you have friends or family come over and, and you show them, you know, what you have on display. But I have, you know, I have a blast showing particularly those eye figures that are in my display case because I get to, you know, just explaining to them, look, this is how they, this is how they avoided copyright infringement. This is, you know, this is a, a, a blue snow trooper in a bunch of orange sherbet, you know, on the card back, you know, like, and I show this to these people, and 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 people are are they they love them. I mean, immediately, I've, I've never had someone that that looks at these things and says, "Oh, well, that's that's kind of stupid," or "Why? How could you spend so much money on that?" I mean, they absolutely love these things, and um, there's a, there's definitely a widespread appeal for you know people people of our generation for sure. Well, I think because everyone knows what Star Wars is, and they know that that yeah. Star, you know, I mean, I think everyone now knows that Star Wars equals money. When the, you know, people are interested in it, they go, "Oh yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind a bit of that information," because they, they yeah. you know, there's always that thought of, "I wonder if I can find some of these in someone's loft." No, just not going your collection. I mean, what what is your collection of of um, Uzais then? What, what 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 do you have? So I um you know I I'm I'm more of a mindset of uh you know sort of quality over quantity I guess. So okay. you know uh, as I mentioned I. I mostly focus on on Uzai's I um I have a, a near completed carded set I'm missing three uh carded Uzai figures to have a a complete set of not just the you know main 14 characters that are available but also what I would consider major card back or figure variations I've been stuck at only you know having three remaining to get because obviously 
as you get closer to completing the set, less and less is available, and yeah. it gets more and more frustrating. So, so I've been I've been stuck at that for a while, and obviously, uh, you know, Headman. Uh, there's only three known carded examples of a Headman, and none of those are going anywhere anytime soon. So that <laughs> that continues to be. Uh, you know, something that will evade yeah. many collectors. Turk is not a small place. Do you reckon there's there's a? a I mean, we, we've seen recently um, people suddenly unearthing boxes of carded figures. Do you think there's out there somewhere out there in Turkey? There's some guy in a warehouse or uh, an old shop with a bunch of these in a box somewhere. Well, it's it's definitely it's definitely possible. Um, there is the uh, there is the fact that so. Uh, Turks are very aware and cognizant of the value of Zai figures. <laughs> and I've spent a lot of time going to, you know, whenever I go there to Turkey, I, I spend several weeks there. And I, invariably, I'll spend one day going to flea markets, to antique, you know, areas of Istanbul that are, you know, um, uh, sort of antique markets, collector's markets, things like that. And uh, anyone you ask, you know that works in selling old things yeah. knows about Uzai figures and knows how valuable they are. And in fact, many of them will, will overstate how valuable something is. You know, <laughs> you'll you'll ask about an Uzai figure and they'll immediately say, they'll say, "Oh, headman, you know, we have five hundred thousand dollars, something ridiculous like that." <laughs> so, so, so they are so they are aware of it. So if if those if these things are out there, they will be found and they will they will go on the market. I'm sure the last big find there was um, yeah. in in Turkey was by a, uh, a, a Turkish um, lady who lives in the U.S. whose brother found, uh, I would say, maybe 10 to 12 carded figures. But this was a long time ago. This was about yeah. eight years ago. That's the last big find of carded figures that's actually coming out of Turkey. I mean, I mean, how how do you know how widely spread they were? I mean, were they just in the, in, the, in the large cities like Istanbul, or do they did they kind of reach out there in some of the you know the sort of secondary and smaller cities or or towns? They were, they were in smaller cities, so I actually uh, distinctly remember uh, getting uh, my emperor's, my grandmother buying me my emperor's royal guard uh, figure in a in a town called Izmir, which is along the uh, west coast of the country. It's a beach town, okay. um, so they were they were available outside the big cities. And the interesting thing was, and this is in, in, in my my uh, family that still lives there have confirmed this. The general uh, pattern was smaller uh, bodegas and, um, you know, uh, sort of newspaper shops, these smaller places that have little knickknacks and stuff. Those were the places that had those eye figures because they were cheap and uh, people of sort of like lower or middle socioeconomic status would be shopping in those places and they were much more likely to buy them. The Kenner figures were always were never found there. They were always found in large department stores, in malls, in higher-end places, you know, legit toy stores, places like that. That's where you would find those. <laughs> so uh, when, I, when I tell the, the parents of my, the two lads I coach, uh, when, they, when they return to Turkey in the summer, um, maybe not to bother looking in small stores for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look at the look at the small stores only. It's now it is really difficult to find things. I've I've only found two loose in all my excursions, you know. And I do this mostly for fun, you know, just because yeah. I, I I like enjoy the hunt and everything. I've only found two loose figures, um, Uzai figures uh, in in all my times going out. A loose Tie Fighter pilot and a loose um, uh, Blue Star. Um, and neither of the guys actually knew what they were. Um, so I did get them for a good price, but it's it's really really difficult, really difficult to find them out in the wild. Extremely difficult. 
So uh, do, then, uh, there's there's an ethical question going around at the moment throughout the collecting community about, uh, and it's just a bit of fun. If you found a headman on a stall, let's say in the middle of Turkey somewhere, and the guy wanted like you know two dollars for it, and you knew oh, it was worth <laughs> a fortune, would you own up? Oh yeah, I would. I would. I, I could. I could never, never pay two dollars um, <laughs> uh, for something like that. If we're if we're talking a carded headman that's in good shape, that you know. I think you know, at, at you know, to the right person, it would probably go for around fifty grand or something like that. I think I could, you know, really, I would really, you know, it would make my day and make this other person's day too to just say, look, here's, I don't know, ten grand, twenty grand, something <laughs> like that, which which would make me incredibly happy yeah. and make them incredibly happy too. I would, I would never be able to sleep at night doing, it. and I, I wouldn't need to do something like that, you know. I mean, it would. You know, it would it would make me it would it would make me much happier knowing that that there was a you know mutually um, beneficial you know sort of outcome to that sort of thing as opposed to just screwing some poor Turkish guy over. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> poor guys. Right, now I want to welcome back Sean Moynihan for this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready, Sean? I am ready. Your favourite Star Wars movie? Uh, A New Hope. Your favourite Star Wars scene? Probably when the Emperor is taunting Luke in Return of the Jedi. Your favourite on-screen character? Boba Fett. Your favourite on-screen relationship? I'd have to say uh, Han and Leia. Who would you most like to meet from Castle Crew? Harrison Ford. Favourite on-screen costume? Maybe uh, a man a man Favourite figure as a child? Uh, Boba Fett. And favourite figure now? I'd have to say Chewbacca. A figure you'd wish they'd made? Yarna. Favourite figure accessory? The Gamorrean Guards Vibroaxe. Favourite playset? Oh, the Death Star Space Station. Favourite car back photo art? Maybe the Jawa. What prop item would you most like to own? Boba Fett's helmet. What is your biggest collecting regret? When I was eight years old, my grandfather had had it already figured out. He, my grandfather was one of those guys, this isn't a rapid fire answer, but he, he, he already had it figured out that the toys were, if you left them in the package, the toys were going to be worth money someday. He was the only person I knew who, who kept saying that, and he kept saying that to me. So he went out. And he bought uh, a 12-back 3PO and a 12-back R2. And he had them around the house, and he was giving them to my Aunt Susan. And uh, my grandfather was one of those, like, wonderfully inappropriate guys who, you know, had all daughters and, <laughs> and his wife. So he was constantly say, saying something offensive, like, to, to make everybody laugh and get, it, and get their attention. But he, uh, he bought these two figures, and I was eight years old. 
and I I needed a new R2, so I opened them both. <laughs> and and he was understandably furious. Uh, and and if you know if we still had those today, I'd probably be the one who owned them. So that that is my one of my only regrets ever uh, in this hobby. But considering I was eight years old, I, I believe me, I, I've I've beat myself up <laughs> about this over the years. But I, uh, I I try to I try to cut myself some slack about it and remember that I was that I was eight and they were toys. <laughs> uh, your best piece of Star Wars music. I love the Imperial March, but I also love the the Emperor's theme. The favorite convention you've attended? I'd have to say probably C5 in Orlando, because that was my first celebration. And uh, back then it was a lot, you know, a lot less attended. So the, it was a lot more manageable from, from a lot of different perspectives. But there was still a lot of fun. There were parties at night and um, made a lot of new friends that year and the whole the whole thing was was so much more manageable than it is now it, it wasn't uh it wasn't that that was back you know when there really were no more movies and it was it wasn't so mainstream and exploited it was just very you know um very concentrated in, in the fact that most of the people who were there were there because they were super fans and they really wanted to be what is the last vintage item you purchased uh the last vintage i just finally picked up uh, a loose lance beater that luke's lance beater that that has a clear uh windshield and finally what is your holy grail item a mint loose yak face with the staff sean thank you ever so much for uh, taking time to speak with us this month yeah sure thing thanks for having uh, me thanks a lot Right, on to our outro question for this month then. I asked all four of you, and it did cause a lot of confusion, that, and I don't know how difficult this is, right? This is the question. Can you all design a playset that wasn't made with three playable features? I'm going to go to Rich, because Rich was the only one that really understood the question without questioning it. Actually, the question said, come up with a playset from the original trilogy that wasn't made with three playable features. So I was thinking of playsets from the original trilogy that only had two playable features. Oh, right. so that, that's okay. where the difficulty in the question came okay, from. Sorry, Rich, I was trying to be nice to you then, but clearly you're a, you're a dense as well. So let's uh, let's just try anyway, Rich, a new right. playset. Okay, so the playset that I came up with was the Emperor's Throne Room. And I thought... Right, okay, three play, play, three playable features. You've got the chair that swivels around. You've got the shaft to drop the Emperor in once Vader's uh, had his way with him. And then you've got the elevator that you could place your two Imperial Guards outside of and Luke Jedi would arrive up through the elevator. Very similar to the the American Death Star Emperor's Throne Room. Great little playset. Nice, nice. Peedy Weedy. Well, I kind of got carried away because I thought, you know, there I am, I'm sitting in front of the Kenner executives or power to executives in 983 or 84 or 82 or 79. And I came up with a real beast. So I've gone with Lear World. So I think... Is this like the planet of the Nymphomaniacs? I've taken the, the four eras of Lear's existence. So first we have uh, a torture chamber. 
So you also have the, the little ball that comes in and the little escape hatch and all that sort of stuff. Then you have Medal Ceremony area, which is a lovely cardboard backdrop, plastic steps and a base, and a nice vinyl rollout aisle so you can uh, have troop building with all the all the troops as the, the heroes go up, and maybe some medals as well. Yes, the troops uh, that never made. Indeed. And then... Uh, um, and obviously an exclusive figure on that. Then we have the um, Lando versus Han Bespin Leah Romance Chamber. So you uh, stick Han and Lando onto one of those Rock'em Sock'em things, and uh, you make them fight out for the honour of a, of a date with Princess Leah. And then finally we have Leah's Frosty Love Tunnel with uh, Back to Tank and Romance Incest Chair. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and then you can mm. buy them separately and put them all together. It'd be amazing. Yeah. So you didn't understand the question either. I, I just went a little bit further. <laughs> Simone. Right. Just to clarify the question, I know there was some confusion. Does does like the micro playset count? Uh, no, these are proper playsets. Proper playsets. Um, yeah, that he came with the original toys. Okay. All right. I yeah. You see, I wanted to do uh, like I did and recreate something differently because let's face it the clown city playset had so much potential but was pants so all right i'll avoid that so the jez doesn't go me 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 and we'll go for death star hanger death star i mean this is a monster but you need you need half your living room for it just to put in perspective but it would be too cool you'd have a lift that rises out of the floor you could have like your scanning crew on or maybe even a TIE fighter and you'd have uh, cannons mounted outside to like shoot stuff and then you'd have your sliding blast door things close the blast doors close the blast doors open the blast doors open the blast doors like that and sound effects just like that as well and that would be cool because you could do all sorts of stuff with it I like that I like that yeah so I have my order of my favourites to my worst at the moment Let's let's see if Jess can round it off well and he's not going to come last in something tonight hey <laughs> rifle carry case top answer all right <laughs> catch you. yeah right. so that's already, that's already been made mate you can't have that no get out of it right so here we go uh pretty much dominating the toy market from the boys point of view now i get it that you know there were some girls involved but it was definitely a demographic which was missed out so i've come up with the vintage salon and so this isn't just a girl's thing. This is metrosexual. This is for everyone. Anyone can go to the salon because let's face it, they've got very nicely quaffed. Is that a word? Hair? Um, you know, just Han, Luke, Leah in particular. And it's not just about the hair. It's about, it's about the makeup, the way they are. You know, Luke's had a car crash and lots of makeup and, and this, that and the other. So there, there's a, a definite area here for a salon. And with three exciting features. So there's the barber's chair, which is rotating. All right. So a rotating chair, really, really very good and very similar to the chair which you would find in the Falcon. So, you know, the kind of concept guys can, uh, can use that. A hairdryer with exciting sound. Yeah, exciting sound. And we all know what that would sound like. But also... And this is the playability feature. If you remember the uh, cartoon Mr. Ben. (laughs) 
that Mr. Ben would go into a wardrobe and then come out of the wardrobe and he would be dressed as a certain character and he would go off around the jungle and this, that and the other. So what you would have, imagine you've got your Leah Bespin. Well, she's hiding in the wardrobe and you've got Leah original and, and bzz, you've used her in the chair with the exciting sound. She then trips into the uh, into the old wardrobe and then Leah Bespin comes out it's amazing just really really good imagination for everyone to get involved with girls boys the whole family fun it's the salon they all need it interesting interesting right so I'm gonna gonna rank you all for your answers this month I might actually introduce this as an area I might give you points each month here so in fourth place it's really difficult I'm gonna have to say Jez <laughs> what <laughs> exciting sound Mr Ben Wardrobe um, that's imagination right there Jez oh. Jez okay I'm, I'm gonna rank it each every, each month now I don't want you coming fourth every month okay so do your best third I'm gonna say I'm gonna say sigh Second, I'm going to go rich, quite like the front. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Pete because I would have been well into a four-level layer play areas. Exactly. Um, yeah, but Mr. Ben playing Barbie hiding in cupboards. That's, that's quite fun. <laughs> no idea. No idea what's going on. <laughs> Any listeners who have made it through that bit, we still have a little bit more to go on this podcast. So, Rich, any feedback for those that are still with us? Well, yeah, we had lots and lots of feedback on certain areas on there. So the first thing I want to go through is obviously the feedback we got on Andy Golden from last month. And lots and lots of people have said, you know, that they found him really, really interesting. And they'd certainly like to have him back to have a main interview. So we will do that, guys. We'll get that done. Um, we'll just give a little break for the moment, but we will have Andy back on. And uh, there's some fantastic stuff that he talked about. Other feedback I want to cover, first of all, is that uh, the board games. We had both Craig Stevens and Commander Clint from Tantive, who stated that they believed that Parker did indeed make the escape from the Death Star game, and it was made in the same factory as the other Parker games that were made, um, and it was just branded with the Kenner logo, and Commander Clint sent us some um, images of Escape from the Death Star game with uh, Made in Canada written on the side of the box. So, so that's quite interesting. So I'd love to know more about that if anybody does have any more information on that. We had some feedback on Creatures Not Made and by far most people said Bantha. Um, if they had made a Bantha, quite a few people, you know, may have purchased one back in the day. We had lots and lots of nice messages about Grant, first of all. So a lot of people said that it's going to be a shame that we're not going to hear from Grant as much. We will still hear from him. Yeah, he's certainly going to be missed. So thanks for all the nice messages that uh, we've had about Grant. And I'm sure quite a few people have contacted Grant as well, which is uh, great. We had lots and lots of people welcoming Pete back as well. In particular, you know, the Market Watch Rundown got a lot of uh, comments and a lot of people are looking forward to it. I think, as Jez said quite a while ago, it's interesting sometimes that we don't get feedback until we take something away. And then we hear more once we've got rid of it that we get we get comments back again saying, please bring it back. So that was interesting. Right, so over on Facebook, uh, David Reader talked about the Airfix. And, you know, it was a great little comment on there. He talked about um, Airfix bottle kits. And he said that he would like to get his hands on a Battle of Hoth kit. So if anybody is aware of one of those, if you can get in contact with David Reed on Facebook, see if any are available. Ian Palafan gave us quite a good story about his local toy shop in Bristol. And he said that those little Palatoy catalogues that Cy was mentioning uh, last month, where he said that they'd only come in um, the Death Star box, 
Ian had said that in his local toy store, they actually had them on the counter in the Empire Strikes Back Eva, so kids could walk in and actually pick up a catalogue from the counter, and it's hypothesised that a toy rep had dropped them off there. So it's, it's possible that quite a few toy reps may have had these catalogues, you know, and just uh, distributed them amongst the stores up and down the country. Quite a lot of feedback on the Derek Ho interview. It's certainly something that we are a little bit conscious of, especially when people like Derek have had, you know, such a great and fantastic interview in the Kivecast and the also delivering panels and that as celebration. So it's 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 difficult sometimes to come up with something different. But as soon as I listened to that interview, I contacted Stu straight away and I said, Stu, I think that's probably the best interview you've ever done. It was really well researched. It was really interesting. And Derek came across so well. I just thought it was fascinating. And I could have easily listened to another one hour of that interview. So uh, thanks to everybody who contacted us about Derek Ho's interview. Because quite a few people have said that what they really enjoyed about that, it wasn't too technical. And quite often with an interview with somebody like Derek, it could become quite technical quite quickly. So a lot of people appreciated that and the fact it was kept for the everyman. So that was brilliant. Quite a few people commenting us about bottle tops and I contacted Grant and he said he knew what was going to happen you know quite a few people are now suddenly going actually bottle tops they're quite interesting I'm going to start collecting them quite a few people are trying to get the last few in their collection you might want to uh, just wait a little bit until they've, they've finished theirs off so Jason Langendorfer contacted uh, Stars from UK and he asked about the Liam and Han Solo costumes that were used in 2006 and we contacted Andy Golden and said, Andy, um, you said that the Dian Han Solo costumes from A New Hope were missing and weren't to be found. And yet in 2006, they were on tour in America in 2008. Uh, sorry, 2006. So Andy came on and said, yeah, they're not actually the New Hope costumes. They were the ones from the end of The Empire Strikes Back. Great information from Andy. It just goes to show that he really does know his stuff. I was fascinated to see a picture from uh, Martin, who was by Lom, of the Steer and Go. So I don't know if any of you guys saw that, but uh, the Steer and Go car game that um, Andy talked about last month. Martin either had one or he'd uploaded a photograph on it so so cheers and thanks, thanks for seeing that. And finally I'd like to thank Amanda Clinton Tantive who once again has put another thread up there for us where he's broken everything down. He's talked about you know items that we've discussed. He's pointed people all over Tantive at the SWC and various other places. Lots of hyperlinks, lots of great information. So I urge everybody to go for Tantive, check that out. Um, Stu, if anybody wants to leave us any feedback, what's the best way in getting in contact with us? Yeah, they can find us on Facebook by searching Vintage Rebellion, on Twitter at SWTVRpodcast.com, on Instagram again by searching Vintage Rebellion, and don't forget you can also email us on show at VintageRebellion.com. Obviously, as we always say, all of our episodes are still available on iTunes or directly at SWTVRpodcast.podbean.com. A huge thank you to this month's guests, Sean Moynihan, Chris Gugulius, James Kennison, Ian Sanderson and Justin Lee. And huge thanks once again to everyone who supplied me with answers for this month's quiz. Um, it really was appreciated. Lads, it really has been great to be back to a permanent five this month. And I look forward to the months ahead with the new team. But for September, it is goodbye from Richard. Later, guys. Goodbye from Jezebel. See you later, guys. Although still slightly seething from the uh, unfair things. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even know what. He's just saying things. <laughs> That's been the whole show. <laughs> goodbye from Simone. Catch you next month. And it is goodbye from Pete. Uh, yeah, bye. And it is goodnight from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys.
This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? I thought I had a chance when I lost Jess there, but never mind. Top hands, rifle carry case. I was yeah, on that was fire. a good show. That was a good yeah. show. That one. But do you know what? Me, me, and me and Pete, we've we've grown even closer because of this. I think we've all won. Excuse me. The top answer. Fail. The top answer was not rifle carry case. The top answer was rifle. Ca- was carry case. That's that's just. You know. I had to. I had to condense them down because there was a few for uh, the Vader one, a few for the rifle one. But he got the, he got the top answer. I thought they worked really well as a team, and I thought they were unlucky not to make the final. I think yeah, Jez. I, I do think people. Jez let him down a little bit, and maybe <laughs> he could do a looking at himself before next month, whatever it is. <laughs> you know, if we're paying the prices right next month, who's yes. he going to let down next month? Do you know what? For, the, for the sake of my teammate, what I'll do is I'll just say quite clearly, from a leadership point of view, um, I, I've got more to learn. And Pete, you did nothing wrong, and I'd happily work with you again in the future, and, and hopefully next time you'll get one right. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, that will be good. I think it's the moment I got right uh, there, uh, Stu. Um, We're all having difficulty, Pete. I, I nailed Rich on the Million Falcon noise. No. I got he did. Oh, yes. Wait there. Wait there. Yes. I'm going to... Let's give the no, man some... Uh, out of about five or six questions, you did get the Falcon right. So, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he said at-at for making a noise. No, I said at-at. Okay, he said um, the rifles for making a noise. Or was that you as well? I had the handgun. Oh, yeah, so he had that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Handle, he got... You should have got Sigma Mork, I can't believe that. Who got Ugnaught's bag? Jess. Me. Oh, well done. Jess did quite well, considering. <laughs> he did. He didn't let his disabilities affect him at all. <laughs> I, can't believe no, I can't believe there's no mugs in there. I, I'm shocked with that, actually. And I can't believe you didn't put Comlink in with blasters as weapons and, and all that. And I can't believe that in that last gold run or whatever it was called, what gets lost with vintage stuff? Uh, weapons? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> weapons. Well, it was all t- only two guns being named. But the best thing is Simon coming on going, lay a blaster. No, not a weapon. Um, is it an end or blaster? No, no weapon. You did not say not um, weapon. How about blasters? No, no, not no weapons. Boss. You said choose another. Choose another. You didn't say not weapons until the end. And then you allow comlinks in. They're all accessories, weapons, you know. All these wait, 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 wait. The top answer was weapons. When weapon. A comlink is not a weapon. And a, that, wait, a comlink. So you can throw it at somebody. <laughs> Hard. Probably someone's still on probation. Is, yeah. uh, is, is choosing to argue. Oh, I'll, tell, I'll tell you Why now, I'll be, I'm going to be forcing a comlink up his nose next month. <laughs> well, that'll get lost. It'll be the most expensive <laughs> nose job ever. It'll probably find some more up there. Probably that's why he lost him as a kid. All <laughs> stalk his nose. I'm picking my nose now. Again, you, you could get a fog on his nose. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon you could get a jab of the hut toy up size nose. That's all right. We're going to hear it because it makes noises, apparently. What, jabber? 
Yeah, come on. Welcome to Rich, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he laughs. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. Um, well, at least that little argument will do for an outro. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, let's go on to Meg Ryan. Oh, yes, please. Ooh. Sausage. <laughs> Jaws? Is that Meg Ryan's intro music? (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay, just the two still, Simon? Yeah. Richard? Okay. 